You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? You are listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find out full of surprises. Not over yet. No, there is another. Chewie, we're home. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news and rumors on all the exciting upcoming projects in the Star Wars universe. But of course, today we are here to talk about one in particular, and that is Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey, what's up, Kyle? Doing good, but man, what a week it's been. <laughs> I, mean, I can't tell you the different ranges of emotion thoughts that i've had since i first saw the movie last thursday up until now as we're recording this podcast so many things to discuss and man i just can't wait to go do it all because there is some big big stuff (laughs) that happened in this movie that like i said had me thinking about it for a long long time i'm sure i'll be thinking about way after (laughs) you know we do this podcast and even as it goes to its theatrical run. So much stuff. So, yeah, I'm excited for this episode. It's going to be lots of fun. Yeah, for the past week, have any of us thought of anything other than The Last Jedi? I think probably not. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I can't wait to uh, just dive right into this. And, I mean, there's so much to chew, to chew on, so much to dissect. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, the movie's been pretty divisive. But um, let's start off and just kind of talk first impressions. Um, and I know you're one of the people who's who's kind of changed their minds about it. But uh, let's start with you and tell me just, you know, sort of what your first impressions were when you came out of seeing the movie on opening night. Yeah, it was a very strange feeling, a feeling that I did not like having. I mean, I came out of that movie very mixed, not in the sense where man, this is a, a bad movie or how could Star Wars like be this bad? It was just the direction they took certain characters, namely Luke and Ray, which I'm sure we'll get into plenty of detail as we go through this episode, but just some of the directions they took them, it just left me, you know, feeling empty afterwards <laughs> a little bit and just contemplating it on the direction they went and how I feel about it and the overall story of the saga. Just not all of it was working for me. So, yeah, after that first Thursday night screening, I'm wasn't in the mood I was hoping to be. Not like how it was after Rogue One and The Force Awakens. It was just a lot of, you know, trying to go over what I just saw and am I happy with these story decisions? It just didn't work for me right away. So, yeah, and that Friday afterwards, uh, that was such a weird day for me as a Star Wars fan. Probably never in my life as a lifelong Star Wars fan that I feel the way I did after that Friday after. I mean, even like sleeping on it, thinking about it. I said before how 
we could, you know, just been thinking about this movie ever since we saw it. That Friday, I could probably honestly say I thought about that movie literally every minute of the day, no matter what <laughs> I was doing, working, eating, driving, really about to go to sleep, whatever I was doing, The Last Jedi was on my mind. I mean, I went shopping that day like I always do, which I love still. After you see a new Star Wars movie the next day, you go shopping for the books and the soundtrack and all that. So I did that, I was thinking about the movie, driving there, purchasing that stuff. And when I got home, listening to the soundtrack, reading the visual guide, and then afterwards, I just didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to think about The Last Jedi and what I saw and just like meditate on it <laughs> and just think about how it all fits in the grand scheme with the Star Wars saga that we knew before and while it possibly changes it. So I just pretty much... Like before I went to sleep that night, I just laid in bed thinking about the movie. And like I said, I was playing, listening to the soundtrack and all that. And so that day was just nothing but thinking about The Last Jedi. And when I, I did see it the next day on Saturday night. And because, man, I was just dying to see the movie right away after I saw it. Like that was my first tweet after I saw the movies. Man, I'm very mixed, but I have to see this again ASAP. And even before I saw it again, I've heard from quite a lot of people actually. I know talking to my friend Paul Herman about that and before I saw it he told me how you know he kind of felt the same way I did about the movie after we saw it for the first time and you can hear what he had to say about that on the Thunderquack spoiler cast we did a few days ago where you know he wasn't you know too keen on what he saw either but he let me know the second viewing was a much better experience for him and it was for me as well didn't necessarily get rid of all the issues I had with it but some of the story directions that they took for namely Luke and Ray, it just helped me accept it better and just realize that, you know what, even though I might not be 100% on board where they went with it, it's still a story that is being told in such, such a good way. It's a great story that they're telling here. It's just, you know, different and unexpected to where I thought it was going to go. So seeing it a second time helped me accept that. And then I saw it again yesterday for a third time. And, and I'm ready to say, I love this movie almost. <laughs> it's like what a difference a few days makes with additional screenings, thinking about it, talking about it with different people, and then seeing it again, just taking it all in. It really is a great Star Wars story being told and continuing the chap the saga in this chapter in such a unique, different, but well-told way. So, yeah, I've almost gone a complete 180. I've still got some issues with it, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go through this episode. But overall, I'm just really happy to say... I'm just in a much better spot now with the film than I was when I first saw it. So, and that I'm so glad that's the case because it did not feel right <laughs> or just feel normal feeling that way after I saw the movie and just being that mixed on it and just not being super enthusiastic after that first showing. So, I'm in a much better state of mind now <laughs> with The Last Jedi. So, can't wait just to dive into all that type of stuff to, you know, say why. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's weird because I'm definitely glad that you've seen it multiple times and that you've kind of come around a little bit and that you like it a lot more now. But I was also almost kind of looking forward to us having like more of a debate on this episode because I feel like our previous reviews yeah, for yeah. Like The Force Awakens <laughs> and Rogue One, it's just been like, oh my gosh, this was so cool and this was so cool. Um, and after I saw The First Jedi for the first time, I liked it a lot. Um, I It was still, you know, just so much to, to process and to chew on right off the bat. I don't know if I would say I loved it after the first time, but I definitely liked it a lot. There was a lot to love about it. And uh, maybe not a lot that I was unhappy with, but a lot that I was unsure about. And 
you know, maybe was kind of undecided as far as whether I was happy with it or not. Um, the second time I saw it, I definitely loved it. Like I saw it opening night on Thursday and then I saw it, uh, Friday night. And those are the only two times I've seen it so far. Um, but I definitely want to see it, you know, several more times. Cause, um, you know, I'm sure it's one of those movies that you're just going to be able to get a lot out of, you know, with multiple viewings, um, and just getting new perspectives on things and kind of just taking it all in. But, um, yeah, I mean, the second time I, I liked it even more and I like after the second time I could confidently say like yes i love this movie i love the new direction they went with it um but i can understand why for some people you know it was kind of difficult to get used to or it wasn't everybody's cup of tea and especially for us diehard star wars fans who've spent the last two years you know speculating on what this movie would be obviously it's not well i was gonna say it's not what some of us expected but i don't think this is what anybody expected um and i think that's why you know a lot of people are uh you know, either not liking it or just kind of having kind of a hard time deciding, you know, sort of how to feel about it. Um, so I was like, man, we've never really had that before where the two of us have been on complete opposite sides of the coin as far as opinions on a new Star Wars movie after seeing it for the first time. So I was like, man, this is going to be good. We'll, uh, you know, get to kind of take our corners and throw down on this one instead of being <laughs> on the same side the whole time. But um, I'm sure there'll still be a little bit of that as we go through the conversation on certain aspects of the movie we'll see but yeah no but also i mean at the same time i'm glad that we're kind of back on the same side because that means the movie was good um at least as far as our opinion is concerned um but uh yeah i mean let's just jump into this thing and start breaking it down um and i don't know how i mean we didn't really have an exact plan for how we're going to do this we're just going to spend a long time talking about the last jedi you guys know us we can go for you know, a long time, but, um, you know, let's kind of, uh, break it down by, we'll just kind of start going through the plot. I just checked starwars.com. They don't have like a image gallery for this yet or anything, but, um, I wish you they know. did. Cause there's tons of shots I want to make as like desktop wallpaper, oh, wallpaper I know, Twitter right? background stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one thing everybody can agree on is this movie was just visually stunning. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, the, one of the many things to love about it for me. But uh, yeah, just the, the camera angles, the visual effects, you know, the cinematography, all that kind of stuff was just really great. Um, but yeah, so to start off, um, we did not start with uh, Luke and Ray on Octo, you know, picking right up from uh, the end of The Force Awakens. Um, but instead, we start with the Resistance evacuating their base on Dakar. Um, in the aftermath, of course, of, you know, the Battle of Starkiller Base and everything, but the First Order knows where they are now, so they're, uh, you know, loading up their ships and getting into space, and um, suddenly First Order Star Destroyers come jumping out of hyperspace, and um, you got uh, Poe Dameron trying to hold him off all by himself. He goes up there just to kind of stall and gets in front of this First Order Dreadnought and gets over their comms and taunts General Hux. Um, that's one thing about this movie. I mean, it definitely had a lot more humor than I think a lot of us were expecting, which I think might be one of the things that is rubbing some people the wrong way. Um, but I at least love this scene at the beginning where, um, you know, Poe is just being kind of the cocky hotshot pilot that he is and tells, uh, <laughs> General Hux like, well, when you finally get General Hux on the line, which Hux is on the line the whole time and Poe is basically just trolling him and being like, um, you know, holding for General Hux. Is he there? And Hux is like, oh. I'm here! And Poe's like, well, <laughs> when when Hux finally shows up, tell him General Organa has a message for him about his mother. And, uh, 
you know, he gets all mad and cuts off the thing and whatever. Um, yeah, that was one of the things well, I guess we'll disagree on right away on that. <laughs> that one didn't quite land for me when I saw it the first time, the second time, or even the third time. <laughs> it was like the one bit of humor throughout the movie where it's like, I don't know, it feels like a they took a page out of the Marvel movie for me. Like, I could just see Tony Stark doing something like that to buy sometimes and the, like, the insults he was given. And he actually calls him General Hugs, not Hugs, <laughs> to kind of just irk him a little bit more. Oh, this. right. So, but... I don't know. Yeah, just that was one of the aspects of the humor where I know, like you were saying, that is kind of a one of the aspects of the movie that is divisive. And while I don't think all the humor is bad, there's quite a lot of it that I think is funny and I like. But that's probably the standout example, in my opinion, is the one that just does not work for me. And I'm sure some other fans that just I don't know to kick the movie off like that. Maybe not. Uh, maybe that is something later on where once I see it, like as the years go by, I'll just you know come to accept it kind of you know like the jar jar stuff and that humor level that slapstick stuff and how that feels so out of place in in a star wars movie but you know i've come to terms with it that's how it is and it's not gonna keep me away from loving all the other stuff from episode one that i do and probably gonna be the same for this one humor is not the like end all be all when it comes to star wars movies so, like if there's some bad humor in there it's not going to take away from my overall enjoyment of a film. It's just, you know, it's there, I'll get over it. But mm -hmm. that was one that I felt didn't work for me. Probably the biggest one in the whole movie. But it's strange that it kicked off that way, too. So <laughs> to start on that big of a different tone than we're used to for a Star Wars movie. Yeah, and I can definitely see that. I mean, it, it was certainly one of those things that felt different. Um, but I don't know. I enjoyed it. And it, it did kind of have me questioning a little bit like oh this is does it feel kind of out of place um but you know again it i certainly acknowledge like that it felt different um and i can see why you know you maybe would seem like eh, this doesn't really feel like star wars or it seems kind of out of place like just to kick off the movie like this um but i don't know i mean i thought it was a fun interaction it certainly wasn't my favorite part of the movie but i didn't really have an issue with it either and i got a good laugh out of it so um yeah. but i'll say i definitely got laughs at all the screenings i've been to from the audience so <laughs> yeah like, i might be the only one who wasn't laughing in the theater <laughs> yeah, maybe different strokes for different folks exactly but uh then of course this is all just a precursor to what's a pretty awesome um action sequence to kick yes. off the movie with the space battle over dakar where first it's just poe dameron um and you know you find out he's stalling time to charge up this new afterburner engine thing that he's installed on the back of his x-wing that um you know bb-8 finally gets it charged all the way up and he kicks that thing on and just takes off across the surface of this huge flat like first order dreadnought um and he's just taking out all the cannons by himself they finally get their tie fighters mobilized to try to stop him and he's uh you know just ducking and weaving and taking out the turrets and evading the uh um, you know, the TIE Fighters, and there's kind of a cool sequence where BB-8 gets to have a little, uh, you know, I don't know, a moment of something to do in there where uh, Poe gets hit yeah. with, like, the last turret up, and, you know, his weapon systems are shorted out, and BB-8's got to go, um, you know, down inside the X-Wing and kind How of How cool is it, it just to see the inside of that portion of the X-Wing, like, what some of the droids do down there? I thought that just visually it was cool to see, like, that interior of the ship like that. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, too. Um, and it was neat. It almost felt like a little like mini game in a video game or something. Yeah. Where you have to do like a puzzle to, you know, fix a ship or get a door unlocked or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that was pretty cool. And then, of course, you know, Poe isn't trying to take out the ship by himself. He's just trying to take out all the turrets and then, um, you know, allows the Resistance fleet to come in. Um, and you see they've got, you know, their X-Wings and their A-Wings um, escorting this fleet of big bomber ships. Um, and then, of course, you know, they engage in, you know, a space battle and dogfighting and stuff with all the TIE fighters as these bombers are trying to make their way to blow up this First Order Dreadnought. Um, and that was just a really cool sequence. I mean, because we know how much George Lucas kind of took inspiration from like the old World War II, um, you know, war footage and stuff like that of just the uh, the aerial dogfights that they had and, you know, all the battles back then. Um, and this, I think, really had that feel to it because these bombers yeah. were not, they weren't like Y-Wings or TIE bombers where they're basically just sort of big, heavy starfighters that can like drop heavier bombs than a normal starfighter, but they also can still kind of function as a starfighter too. Um, and, you know, you, if you've played like Battlefront 2 with the bomber class ships, you know what I'm talking about. But these were not like bomber starfighters. These were just like big, heavy bombers that were you know, heavily armored, had like a bubble turret gunner on there, had um, very limited speed and maneuverability, but, you know, heavy armor. And then once you get over the target, they've got like racks and racks of bombs that they can just unload. Um, and so it felt very reminiscent of like kind of taking that concept of like the, the World War II um, dogfights and, you know, fight scenes and stuff and just taking that up a notch. Um, and adding these big heavy bombers into it. Um, and meanwhile, of course, you got the TIE fighters and the X-Wings all zipping around and doing their thing. So that was a really cool way to kick it off. No, I totally agree. I love this opening sequence. I mean, you know how many times we've said, you know, after episode seven, leading up to episode eight, how, you know, we're hoping episode eight would be, you know, a different type of Star Wars film. And that is in a lot of ways, but even just to kick it off, to start the movie, we get a space battle that is not like any other space battle we've seen before, which is, you know, it's always refreshing, which makes Star Wars great. They have a variety of different space battles that we get, whether it's in the beginning or at the end. I mean, I just, you know, compare it to the Death Star battle in A New Hope and the big massive scale space battle we saw in Return of the Jedi, the big battle we saw in Revenge of the Sith, but you're just follow, basically following two ships with Anakin and Obi-Wan making that unique. And this one was unique in itself. And you mentioned the cool stuff was Poe and his X-Wing and just how he flew that ship was just something we never see in Star Wars too, where, you know, he once uh, BB-8 fixes uh, his weapon system, he just makes that like sharp break and turns turns around the ship and takes out the TIE fighters. And even after the battle where he goes into uh, the transport, I love that shot where you just see the X-Wing to slam on his brakes to hurry up and get in there mm -hmm. before they go to hyperspace. That was cool. And just even how the movie began, where after we get the opening crawl, and it zooms out into space like it always does. But I just love how it was shot where you see the top of, you see like one resistance transport, then you just, the shot zooms down and you see a bunch of other transports making its way out of Dakar to it. The camera goes all the way directly into Dakar, the planet, and you're on the surface of it. But just how it began, it was, I just thought it was a really cool and unique way to open the movie with that type of shot. But yeah, the battle itself was really cool. Bringing in those bombers, like you said, a really different way to use it. I mean, they could have easily went ahead and used Y-Wings as the bomber ships that we're all familiar with. But the fact that Ryan Johnson wanted to use something different and have it be on such a bigger scale with using bombs. Like you said, there's just racks and racks of bombs. And a lot of about, I don't know, maybe five or six of those bomber ships. I don't know the exact amount, but there is a ton of them to take out that dreadnought. And even the dreadnought itself, I thought, looked awesome, too. Just seeing how massive it was and Poe just 
flying over the turrets, taking them out was really cool. And seeing the interior of it with the First Order generals, it just had a different feel to it that I really liked. But it was a really great battle sequence once, you know, the TIE fighters got involved and the A-wings and X-wings were all going at it. And I just loved how, too, they didn't do too much, but I did love how the gunners looked in that little bubbles on the, like, the bubble cockpit mm-hmm. with on the bomber ships. And the resistance fighter pilots there, that really had a World War II feel uh, look to it as well, where they had kind of almost like the fighter pilot like mask that they would use during that time with their helmets. And this had a really cool feel. Another thing that looked really different and unique and had a cool feel to it as well. So, yeah, I loved how it played out. And then seeing all the bombers get taken out, I was hoping, you know, it was still a cool visual. Like once a TIE fighter crashes into one bomber is about to drop all of them. And it kind of just set off chain reactions to blowing up all the other ships in its vicinity. I just wish the TIE fighter actually shot it and didn't crash. <laughs> that would have made it more of a first order victory. But yeah, small little thing. But man, just the the sequence after that with uh, Paige, Rose's sister, you know, needing to be the only one left to set off those bombs and just hearing Poe in his cockpit and over the comm, like, drop the payload, Paige. You're like, you're the only one. And just seeing her try to make her way up there. And when it looks like the remote, she was trying to get the remote when she's stuck on the platform there and it looks like it falls right behind her like the probably the first two screenings i had and saw like everyone the theater just like gas and just sensed the tension mm-hmm. like, like oh no <laughs> like she's not gonna get it but then when she reaches out and grabs the detonator it's like a moment of relief you can just feel in the audience too and then she sets it off and then the bombs drop and that's it for the first order dreadnought i mean just a cool action-packed sequence to set the movie off on a exciting note and the best part was that uh, it was exciting and it was different and unique for the movie and a space battle we haven't seen yet in a Star Wars film. So, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a great way to begin the movie. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I think right from the get go, it kind of established that at least for me, it kind of established like this is going to feel like Star Wars. It's going to have the same, you know, cool like characters and action and stuff that we're used to. But you could already tell just from this first scene that Ryan Johnson was kind of putting his own touches on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, of course, the humor at the beginning, like we talked about, but then also even with Paige, who, like, I don't think we even find out her name in the movie itself. Um, Actually, no, I think... Yeah, that's right. No, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Poe does call her out on the comm, but, I mean, she's clearly, like, a minor character, um, and, you know, you're kind of like, who the heck is this girl like we've never heard of her or seen her before but suddenly like you can connect with her in this moment like you know Mm -hmm. she only gets a few minutes of screen time right at the beginning of the movie and then you know goes down sacrificing herself for the resistance but it's like um you know you already like care about that um and can kind of connect to that character and that's something that i don't i feel like we've never really had before in star wars like you always kind of jump in right with establishing the heroes and what they've been up to since the last movie um so to have such a kind of seemingly small and like background character, but to have such a uh, a big and meaningful uh, you know sort of moment like this um, with so much focus, like right at the beginning of the movie, like we've never seen that before, and even just some of the camera angles and um, just some of the visuals there, like when uh, Paige like falls down to the bottom of the ship and she kind of blacks out and then she wakes up and the camera kind of pans yeah. over and there's, you know, a, a shot where you just see sort of half her face as she wakes up. Um, the shot that you were talking about where the the remote falls past her and she grabs it. I mean, all of that was like, man, this doesn't feel like 
the the way that you're used to seeing just a Star Wars movie, you know, kind of shot and the way you're used to it feeling visually, but it's kind of new and cool and exciting. And like, I liked what he was doing with it already. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you see that remote go falling past her, I was like, well, crap, what now? Like, and I'm already trying to picture in my head, like, okay, is it going to like fall onto the Star Destroyer? And like the button is going to get pressed when the remote like hits the Destroyer? And, you know, how is this going to work now? Like, obviously it's too early in the movie for the heroes to lose already, right? Like, um, you know, they, they got to blow up this thing somehow. And then, you know, of course her hand reaches out and catches it at the last moment. And she gets to... Uh, sort of have her heroic moment as she goes down with her ship and blows up the First Order Dreadnought. And um, yeah, that was just a really cool and exciting way to start it. And like you were saying, I mean, definitely felt different from any space battle we've seen before and any um, opening of a Star Wars movie that we've seen before. Um, yeah. And, and also, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'll oh, go. no, you go ahead. I was just going to say just a couple of little things about that opening sequence. I don't know if you knew about this or noticed when you're watching the movie how nobody said I got a bad feeling about this throughout the whole course of the movie. But Brian Johnson did confirm that it was the first line of dialogue or one of the first, not the first, spoken by BB-8. He's the one who said it right before Post starts saying, happy beeps, happy beeps. Oh, and nice. <laughs> happy <laughs> beeps here, buddy. Exactly. We still got it in there and it makes sense in that situation too. So I thought that was even a cool little unique way to get, you know, the Star Wars line that has to be in every saga film or even every film in general. So it was cool to get that. I like that there. line from Poe, by the way. Like, I already found myself using that the other day. I was, like, driving to somewhere and, like, plants had gotten changed and I thought I was going to have more time and ended up having to, like, rush over to this thing that we were going to and I was kind of stressed out about it and I was driving over there and found myself going to myself, happy beeps, buddy, happy beeps. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then also, too, I'm just going to mention, you know, as we got an introduction to Leia in the sequence as well. And she had some great little moments in here, too, just right away. I mean, you know, first talking to Poe and when she realizes that, you know, he's not going to follow orders and now she's getting a little upset with him. But I just my favorite line by Leia in that opening sequence is when she just looks to 3PO and she goes, 3PO, get that nervous expression off your face. It <laughs> <laughs> is shocking to see 3 you know, he's like, like what nervous expression <laughs> something to that effect i thought that was great and then just even after they destroy the dreadnought and the rest of the resistance in the transport are all celebrating like the dreadnought's down like direct hit leia has a you know a moment of relief there but right away she just looks at you know the monitor that's showing all the ships that they lost and just her realizing you know yeah it's a victory but it costs way way too much and more than what she wanted to do was and the plan was just to escape. So I thought Leia had a nice introduction to this opening sequence as well. Yeah, that was definitely a good introduction for Leia too. Um, and also, you know, once they come back from that battle, um, sets up what is going to be, you know, kind of a pivotal, um, one of the main kind of character subplots, I guess, um, throughout the movie, which is um, just sort of evolving Poe and Leia's relationship and her um, trying to get him to sort of see the bigger picture of this struggle that the resistance is in and like not always trying to be the hotshot pilot but to sort of do what's best for the greater good and know when it's best to um, sort of cut your losses and turn back and you know it's not all about um, just trying to take out the first order at whatever cost because obviously at this point 
the First Order has got the Resistance on their heels, like, and you, you definitely see that throughout this movie, like, the Resistance starts out with a small fleet to begin with at the beginning of this movie, and it just dwindles down to practically nothing by the end of the movie, um, and so when Poe comes back and he's, like, all triumphant and like, yeah, we took out the First Order Dreadnought, like, Leia just slaps him, and he's confused, he's like, what, what happened, like, we, we destroyed the Dreadnought, isn't that good, and she's like, yeah, but look how many ships you lost, like, you lost half our fleet, like, you lost a bunch of starfighters, you lost all our bombers, like, what are we supposed to do now, like, if we have to have another space battle with these guys, we got practically nothing left, um, yeah, and I like that line she said when Poe's like, we lost, or there were heroes on that mission, or she goes, dead heroes, no leaders. Like, yeah. you know, really driving home the point of, you know, how he should have really went about it another way and just, you know, escaping while they could with the fleet that they had and not losing so many for, you know, what's a small victory in the end. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, he gets demoted as well. He was, you know, commander and gets demoted to captain. So um, really, you know, Leia kind of showing him some tough love here at the beginning and Poe having to learn a tough lesson um, and kind of a bitter pill to swallow after what he thought was just a uh, triumphant victory that they just won. Yeah, I got to say, Poe had, you know, probably one of my favorite character arcs in the movie. And, you know, this, I think it elevated the character for me a lot because, you know, he was fine on The Force Awakens, but, you know, he really wasn't one of my favorites. But now you could definitely tell, because as J.J. said, how Poe was originally going to die in The Force Awakens and the crash with Finn and the TIE Fighter. But, you know, Oscar Isaac kind of, wanted to stop having parts before he died so we wrote him back into the end which is fine you know but it didn't really play that pivotal of a role even even some stuff in the force awakens that i could have done without but the, that's not, neither here or there now but for this movie it really felt like he had a purpose and this really grew as a character as we see throughout the course of the film was interaction with leia then later holdo and you know being humbled and seeing how there is a much bigger picture than just being the hotshot pilot and blowing stuff up and winning missions and having victory just by destroying the enemy and not only does it play a factor at the end of this movie but i think it's going to play a big factor for his character in episode nine mm -hmm. going forward depending how long you know a gap it is between this for episode eight and episode nine if it's a few years but you know and of course dealing with the sad reality that carrie fisher isn't going to be there to play lay again and lead the resistance and it would just make sense that poe would be the one to be that leader when it comes to you know the military side of things and how to operate uh, the fight against the first order, so I think this is you know a really big movie for Poe and just to have him grow as a character. So I really like what they did with him in this one. Yeah, same here. Um, and even to your comments about you know sort of him in the first in the Force Awakens, um, I mean I liked him a lot in that movie, and I mean he's not like I mean he is one of sort of the main heroes of this this new trilogy, but. Um, I mean, I knew, like, a lot of the focus, of course, is going to be on Rey and Kylo Ren and Finn and everything. And so if Poe is, like, just the cool guy that gets to fly the X-Wing and blow up ships, I'm fine with that. Um, but I thought this whole storyline with him, I mean, first of all, I loved it, too. And it's um, just one example of the way that this movie kind of subverts your expectations. Um and I mean, we did kind of know from some of the interviews and whatnot that we read, like, in the uh, the lead up to the movie that... Poe was going to have more character development in this one and that there was going to be a, a big connection and, and relationship between him and Leia. Um, but like, honestly, for me, they could have had Poe show up just 
to stay in his X-Wing the entire movie, blow up a bunch of TIE fighters, and still, you know, just kind of be the hero, um, and let Rey and Finn and Kylo and Luke and everybody have all the deep character stuff, I would have been fine with that. But I think the lessons that he learned and his, um, you know, his relationship with Leia and her sort of molding him into not just the ace fighter pilot, but the resistance or the leader that the resistance is going to need going forward. Um, yeah, I really appreciated that. And I liked that they took him beyond being just the hotshot pilot and that, you know, there's even more to like about this character now. Yeah, totally. Um, so then of course, you know, after they get back from the battle, Poe, um, you know, well, Finn wakes up from his, uh, you know, his medical pod or whatever that he's in after being injured by Kylo Ren in the last movie. Um, and so Poe finds out and finds Finn just kind of wandering around the ship and he goes to kind of get him leaking back to, <laughs> yeah, he, he goes to kind of get him straightened out cause Finn's kind of out of it and just, you know, wandering around. Yeah. Still in his back to suit and Poe's like, all right, buddy, let's get you taken care of. And he's like, man, you know, I, I bet you must have a million questions. And Finn looks right at him and goes, where's Ray? And we cut to, uh, Luke and Ray on the Island. Now you want to talk about subverting expectations. This oh, yeah. is where we pick up with the end of The Force Awakens. Ray walks up to Luke again, hands him the lightsaber. Luke takes it and flips it over his shoulder and walks away. And yeah. you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Man, I got uh, seeing that for the first time. That was a pretty big issue I had to see Luke flip it like showing no regard for that legendary lightsaber his lightsaber his family's legacy and just him to toss it like that which is you know like you said very surprising to see and this didn't feel right but i gotta say that's one of the things that you know not necessarily that i like seeing now even after the third time i saw it but i'll mention it later once we get to the scene but i kind of have there was something that happens later that we'll get to that i think makes that scene better and it kind of you know from a narrative standpoint makes a little bit more sense to me but seeing it for the first time was like what did luke just do <laughs> with that <laughs> lightsaber like i just thought to myself like i can understand him you know not wanting it but just to flip it over his head like that not even looking i was just thinking to myself where after i saw it the first time can he just you know maybe walk up to ray and just like hand it back to her in an aggressive way like here i don't want this or even just drop it on the floor kind of like how k2so dropped Jin's bag <laughs> in rogue one just like that but just just aggressively throw it behind him like that showing no regard for that legendary lightsaber it really you know took me back a bit but i'll i'll like i said i'll explain later later on in the show once we get to that moment where how i think it actually can turn into a good narrative uh, story point for Luke but uh, yeah right away it was like oh man what did he just do <laughs> yeah and for me I mean I didn't really have an issue with it at first but it was more just I and mean, it was definitely surprising and I think I laughed the first time I saw it but it wasn't like because it was this hilarious comedy moment it was just more kind of like <laughs> what like yeah. what just happened and that's um, kind of what I have a little issue with too it's almost like uh, like they were like Ryan Johnson was playing that up just for a laughing moment to get that reaction from the crowd and and maybe that played a part of it, but at the same time, I know it's mainly just, he even said it, to show how much Luke has wants nothing to do with the Force, the Jedi, or anything, and just, you know, the, the state of mind he is there. But at the same time, when I first saw it, it was like, man, I almost feel like he's just doing it for laughs, but which didn't feel right. Yeah, well, it's crazy because, I mean, obviously, Ryan Johnson wrote this movie, like, while they were shooting The Force Awakens, um, or at least while they were, you know, working on it in post-production or whatever, um, they started production on The Last Jedi pretty much right after 
The Force Awakens came out. And, I mean, it almost feels like he wrote this movie like six months ago. Like he read all the fan theories that we've been speculating about in the past two years and picked like the one thing that everybody wasn't expecting for a lot of different scenarios. I mean, one of the things we've been speculating about, I know we've talked about it a lot just here on our show, um, is thinking about, okay, when this movie picks up and we go, come back to Luke and Ray again, how is that going to resolve? Like, is he going to take the lightsaber? Is he going to, you know, ignite it? Is he going to give it back to her? Is he not going to take it from her? What's the first thing he's going to say? Is he going to be, you know, is he going to know who she is? Is he going to have no idea who she is? Did he know she was coming already? So many different, you know, questions just about this one scene. And the one thing I don't think any of us expected him to do (laughs) was take it, flip it over his shoulder and walk away. Um, so, I mean, again, you know, with that happening pretty early on in the movie, it was, at least for me, I was just like, well, strap yourself in because Ryan Johnson's taking us for a ride here. And I don't think any of us know where this is going. No, we didn't. Like I said, we knew Luke wasn't going to be, you know, willing to train Ray right away and be down with everything that she's going to ask him to do. Cause you know, in interviews that Ryan Johnson, Daisy Ridley, Mark Hamill all said, Luke, you know, is such a state of mind here. But, yeah, to really drive home the point that way that he wants nothing to do with it by flipping it, definitely a shock. But, you know, they did capture it right where even Ray herself was just, like, in total shock of what just happened. <laughs> and it's like, like, Master Skywalker, like, this just runs after him. And then we get the great moment, too, I guess, you know, to make it a little better with we see that's our first introduction to the Porgs on Octo. And just seeing those two porgs, one's jumping on the lightsaber igni- <laughs> igniter button, and then one's looking right through where the blade would come out. <laughs> it was like everyone in the audience in the first screen was like, oh no, like no, like get away from that. <laughs> so it was a fun little moment there. But I got to say, I do like uh, the interaction that came. It was a short one, but with Lay or Ray, you know, trying to get Luke to open the door after he goes back to his hut. And just shuts the door on her. And, you know, she's telling like, the resistance sent me. Your sister, Leia, you know, like, we need you. And he just says, go away. And I like how we got a little insight into Luke's living quarters there in that hut. A little Easter egg. I don't know if you noticed this, Kyle. But uh, the compass that he got in the campaign for uh, Battlefront 2. I definitely that noticed mission, that. It was there. Yeah, like, that was a cool little thing to have, you know, as part of, you know, his tools that he, I, I assumed he used probably to find Octo, at least as a guide or at least part of it to what made him find this, this planet. So I thought that was cool, but yeah, the big part of this introduction to Luke and Ray that I love the most is when you see the door just, you know, get crashed open and flies through Luke's house. And I don't know about you, Kyle, but I thought that was Ray using the force at mm-hmm. first, but then you hear Chewie and you see him burst in the door. And he's, he's not happy to see Luke. He's like angry at Luke. He's, you don't know what he says, but he's almost like, what the heck are you doing <laughs> out here? Like, you got to come with us. Like, what's taking so long? And just seeing or seeing and hearing Mark Hamill say his first, you know, real bit of dialogue, because I think his first line was just go away. But to hear him say, Chewie, it's just like, oh, we're seeing Luke again. And like <laughs> for the first time and it's so many years. And he's saying, you know, familiar characters saying the name. It just felt right hearing him say the words chewy and then later on which we'll get to in this moment with r2 which is even better but mm-hmm. it, it, that moment caught me a little bit by surprise because once 
uh, Ray mentions the Falcon, like, you know, like, we'll tell you everything that happened on the Falcon. He just goes, the Falcon. He goes, wait, where's Han? And I'm like, shouldn't you know about that already? Like, shouldn't you have sensed it through the force? Like, how can you not know? It's such a big thing that happened. Leia felt it. But as we learned later on, yeah. You know, he closed himself off from the force, but which we got not explained it. But at that moment, I was like, oh man, again, just to what we've been saying so far in this movie, going the way we did not expect it to go (laughs) and all this stuff. So, because I would just imagine, even from The Force Awakens, that Luke is looking over that cliff and at the ocean in, you know, his ceremonial Jedi robes because of Han. He felt his loss, like he was somewhat. I don't know, paying tribute or just reflecting on his time with Han, knowing that he's no longer there. And Ray caught him in the middle of that meditation. So the fact that he had no idea that it happened uh, up until that point, that really threw me for a surprise. Yeah. Um, gosh, you got me thinking now, just as we're talking about this. And I'm like, yeah, if Luke had closed himself off to the Force, like, why was he wearing those ceremonial Jedi robes? Um, they go they actually go into that a little bit in the Visual Dictionary book. Where it's how he wears them as even as a ceremonial thing to end the Jedi Order. Like he still kind of, I guess, do it in a proper way to end the order officially hmm. <laughs> type of thing. So that's why he wears them. Interesting. Yeah. See, I mean, I feel like that might be just sort of their way of sort of trying to explain it and kind of bridge that gap because it seems to me like JJ wanted to have Luke in some really cool looking Jedi robes because mm. we're like, oh, this is old Jedi Master Luke who we haven't seen in a long time. And then Ryan Johnson is like, yeah, I'm not going to take him down that path. Um, it does kind of make sense, though, with that story they gave in the visual dictionary because when he goes to later on burn down the books in the tree, he's wearing those you know, ceremonial robes again to kind of, you know, officially oh, put the Jedi order point. to it. I didn't catch that. I mean, I, I remember now, you know, seeing him in that, but yeah, I guess I didn't make that connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, okay, before we get into continuing to talk about Luke and Ray, because there's so much we can dive into there. Um, and I can't wait to kind of dissect more of that, but let's kind of set up all the major character storylines here. We talked about, uh, Poe and Leia. We talked about Ray and Luke. And I also, I like how they kind of connect the dots, like, um, setting up each of the, the storylines at the beginning of this movie where you have Poe and, uh, Poe and Finn and Finn says, where's Ray? And then it cuts to Octo and that's yes. where Ray is. And then when mm-hmm. Chewie comes in, um, and Luke says, where's Han? And you cut to Kylo Ren. Um, because obviously we know Han's not around anymore, but we cut to Han's son and also the guy who's, uh, you know, responsible for Luke having to ask that question of where's Han. Um, great editing. I love that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you see, um, you know, Kylo Ren on board, you know, Snoke's ship going to, to see Snoke, and um, General Hux is there, and Snoke is complimenting him on kind of driving the resistance back, even though they lost the dreadnought. Um, you know, Hux is convinced that you know they'll be able to follow these guys, and they'll have them in you know in due time. Which surprise? I was, I guess, I was kind of surprised that Snoke was like proud of him for that. Um, but we'll find out why in a bit, because apparently they've got some new tech up their sleeves. Um, I did like real quick that brief encounter we got with Snoke and Hux on the hologram where we, <laughs> they, Hux finds out like Snoke wants an update. He's like, oh, excellent. I'll take it to my chambers. And then his face just pops up right in the middle of the bridge. Yeah. And uses the force to slam him down on the floor showing how ha- unhappy he was with what happened on Dakar and the resistance escapes. I thought that was a 
you know, that was one of the more like funny moments that worked for me in the movie with Snow kind of treating Hutt like a little rag doll there and being unhappy. Yeah. And then and, just getting that introduction to Snoke there. And poor Hux was just like a punching bag this whole yeah. movie. <laughs> um, but you know, I think it, it kind of worked because it didn't feel yeah, I agree. too slapsticky. Um, and it didn't feel, I mean, obviously Hux is kind of a young guy who still, you know, takes himself super seriously, but is still kind of trying to, um, kind of trying to prove himself and establish himself a little bit. And so he's not on the level of, you know, a Grand Moff Tarkin who obviously has sort of proved himself and, you know, he and Vader kind of have each other's mutual, like, begrudging respect. Um, you know, you can almost see Kylo and Hux as, like, a a much younger version of that where they would, like, fight as kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and of course, Hux being the one without the force powers, like he might get the upper hand as far as being cunning or witty or whatever. But like if he tried to go toe to toe with Kylo, he would get slammed against the wall, which he does in this movie more than once. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was it's like it, it kind of felt like a disservice to his character a little bit, but he's not a character I particularly cared much about to begin with. And so I was like hey, this kind of works. Like, I'd rather be laughing at him than just be like, oh, it's General Hux, you know, ho-hum. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't mind um, sort of the direction they went with that. And I didn't feel like any of those comedic moments, like, distracted too much from anything else going on. Um, and he did have, like, at least one serious moment that we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Um but anyway, so you get the introduction to, or the reintroduction to uh, Kylo Ren and Snoke right here. Um, Snoke, Snoke in the flesh. Snoke in the flesh. And man, I I have to say, I freaking loved Andy Serkis' performance as Snoke in this movie. Yes. You could totally tell, and I've talked about this before, how with The Force Awakens, he didn't know what he was doing with Snoke yet. Like when he, when they filmed his scenes for that movie, they still hadn't settled on what the visual design for that character was going to be. So Andy Serkis went in just kind of blank slate, like, okay, I'll kind of, you know, you guys give me some direction. I'll just kind of do a powerful, malevolent bad guy shtick. And, uh, you know, it's like he didn't really have a whole lot to, to sort of establish, like knowing the character that he was going to be playing. Um, and Snoke almost felt like a different character in this movie. Like, I mean, it, it was close enough to still be Snoke, but you could tell Andy Serkis had a much better grasp on the character and kind of had more to chew on. And I don't know if it was just Ryan Johnson's direction or if it was just, you know, now knowing what the character looks like visually and then the fact that he's playing him, you know, physically in the flesh this time and he gets to be, you know, in the room interacting with other characters and not just sitting up on his throne as a, you know, ginormous hologram this time. But, um, yeah, I just, I loved his characterization. I loved, you know, just his delivery of some of his lines and his mannerisms and stuff like that. So um, that was, you know, not like my favorite part of the movie just because as we'll, again, talk about in a bit, um and in case we haven't mentioned this, by the way, spoilers, like we're, we're talking about everything from the movie. So, yeah, just in case you hadn't realized by now, like if you haven't if you haven't seen The Last Jedi yet, turn away now. Hope we haven't spoiled anything so far for you know anybody who's like, well, hey, let me see what Kyle and Tim thought without uh, having seen the movie first. But well, we're we going to the first 20 minutes. of it. So. Yeah, no, we, we are going to leave no stone unturned. So if you if you're still listening and you haven't seen the movie yet and you 
don't want to know what happens to Luke or Snoke or Kylo or Rey or anything, you know, just go watch the movie, uh, preferably twice, and then come back and finish hearing our thoughts on it. Yes, um, but... Yeah, we probably should have started with that. I, I just thought it was kind of implied. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, just for, for the brief amount of scenes that Snoke had, um, I mean, it was nothing really, like, earth-shaking. We still, unfortunately, didn't find out really anything about his backstory or anything like that. Um, but just I really enjoyed just sort of his presence on screen in the uh, the time that we did get. No, I 100% agree with you on Snoke. I thought Andy Serkis did a great job with his performance. And I just love the dialogue that Snoke had throughout this movie. And in particular, since we're on this scene where he's talking to Kylo Ren here, just how, you know, much she looked at Kylo to be, you know, the next Vader. He even says as much. I just loved how he mentions, you know, we heard the lines in the trailer, you know, such raw potential like that, what any master would love to see. But to top that off, you have, you know, the Skywalker bloodline part of you. Like, what more can a master want? I just love hearing him put that import, not much importance on Vader and the Skywalker bloodline. And, you know, what? this will go into a little bit later with Snoke's other sequence. But in kind of a strange way, it can, for someone like me, you know, who, you know, really looks upon the Skywalker name and family with such reverence in the overall story of the saga films and how, you know, different things in a different direction things might be going. Snoke kind of echoes those same feelings where, you know, he has such high importance on the Skywalker bloodline, the name and all that. And then later, his expectations for that Skywalker name goes in a different direction and it goes not what he's expecting. Kind of like how me and I'm sure other fans we're thinking about the Skywalker, the Skywalker legacy and the bloodline and all that. So I just, I guess kind of in a meta way, it reflected some fans thoughts on, you know, how much, how high regard they put the Skywalker name in there and Snoke thought the same way with Kylo Ren. And yeah, just hearing that bit of dialogue from him. And then, you know, while giving praise to Kylo about being the heir apparent to Vader, but then, you know, mocking him for having that mask on, and, you know, once he goes, like, how's the wound? And, you know, it's nothing. And, you know, talking about, uh, you know, being beaten by Ray by a girl who never held a lightsaber before. But before he, I think he said that, he tells him, you know, take that ridiculous thing off. Like, knowing that he's not messing around. Like, he's not saying it. And, you know, Snoke hardly says anything in a playful way. But he definitely did not say those words in a playful way. Or, like, giving Kylo any type of admiration or, you know, uh, compliments or anything about how he's progressing in the dark side of becoming more like Vader. I think he thinks him wearing that mask prevents him to really being more like Vader as his final words to Kylo in that scene was, you know, you're just a, a child in a mosque. <laughs> as he said mm. that. So I just love pretty much any, everything that came out of Snoke's mouth in that sequence. And then, you know, really eating at Kylo. That's where we get our first taste of, you know, Kylo maybe, you know, getting fed up with Snoke and, you know, just not necessarily, Kylo himself feeling, oh, no, I'm letting my master down. I got to be better. He just, you know, getting tired of Snoke probably expecting that from him. And once Snoke did a quick blast of force lightning on there just to send Kylo off on his way, you know, down that elevator to where he sadly, I'm sure, <laughs> for you and other fans of breaking that helmet. But that whole sequence with Kylo Ren and Snoke, I just thought was great. I just loved how, you know, Andy Serkis performed as Snoke and just the dialogue that he had. And 
tying it all in with the Skywalker and bloodline and with Vader, I thought was really, really cool. So yeah, I love that sequence. Yeah. And I mean, across the board in this movie, the dialogue and the performances were just on point. Um, but yeah, and particularly in this scene, um, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said where that whole interaction was just so well done. Um, but one other thing I wanted to point out that I love that Snoke brought up, um, cause this is something we had kind of talked about that was like in maybe in the script for the force awakens or in the novel, but wasn't super apparent in the movie itself. Um, but Snoke talks about how, you know, Kylo is, has failed or he's not, you know, super committed to the dark side or whatever. Or I think he maybe says something about, um, you know, the light in you that you can't snuff out or something. I, I need to go see it again. And I, you know, yeah. I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but yeah, actually, because he mentioned Han Solo once Kylo said, you know, I killed him and he goes, right. yet it split you like down the middle. That, <laughs> yeah. That's what I was getting at is he, he talks about how, you know, you, you can't let go of the light side or you can't let go of your past or whatever. And, um, Kylo's like, what are you talking about? Like I killed Han Solo. I proved myself. And he says, yeah, but it split your spirit to the bone and unbalanced you to the point that a girl who was holding a lightsaber for the first time in her life was able to beat you. Um, and I liked that because I hadn't, I don't know that I had really considered that all that much. I mean, maybe I had a little bit, but I mean, a lot of people complained about that in the force awakens and said, Oh, Ray's way too powerful. Cause Kylo had been trained as a Jedi by Luke. And then he turned to the dark side and was trained by Snoke and Ray, this is her first time ever holding a lightsaber. How the heck did she beat this guy? And my two, you know, sort of biggest points to defend against that argument were a, we know that she had trained herself to fight with a staff and was you know, basically making a living on Jakku, scavenging old parts and having to fight off other people that wanted those same parts. And it's established early on in The Force Awakens that, like, she can handle herself with a weapon. Um, and I know a lightsaber is, you know, in in some sense a completely different animal, but, I mean, she's she knows how to defend herself with a melee weapon, at least. Um, and second of all, Kylo gets shot in the side by Chewie with his bowcaster right after he kills Han, the same weapon that we see Chewie shooting stormtroopers with the whole movie that sends them flying back 20 feet. Um, and so I'm like, it's a miracle that Kylo survived that blast, you know, let alone was able to keep fighting with a lightsaber afterwards. But the fact that, you know, you combine those two factors with the fact that, yeah, he had just killed his own father and that maybe he wasn't as sure about it as he thought he would be. Um, and the fact that he's still, you know, maybe sort of struggling with that um, or distracted by it and wondering if he made the right choice and, you know, can't get it out of his head as he's trying to fight Ray um, certainly would add to, you know, him being sort of unbalanced and not on top of his game and, you know, allowing himself to be defeated by her. So um, I don't know. I thought that was just something that sort of helped add additional context to, you know, what some people might have had an issue with in the last movie, while also sort of setting up the plot line going forward for like the relationship between those two characters in this movie. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, just sort of stirring up the uh, the emotion and the conflict within Kylo. And, you know, he gets back on the elevator, goes down and looks down at that helmet that Snoke just made fun of him for and smashes it against the wall. Um, and then says, uh, you know, tells the, the First Order pilots or whatever that he meets at the bottom to go ready his ship. Um, 
And so with that, we'll jump back to the resistance storyline. And we kind of talked about Poe and Leia and then the the other um, sort of resistance duo um, that rounds out sort of, I guess, like the four main sort of character branches in this movie, um, of course, is Finn and Rose. Um, and, you know, Finn is uh, back on the uh, resistance cruiser and he meets this girl, Rose, um, in the kind of the hangar bay or wherever where he's trying to get on an escape pod and leave. Um, and it's not just that he's deserting the first or deserting the resistance, but um, I mean, they're getting chased by, you know, this massive fleet of first order ships and they've got a really small fleet. Um, and uh, Oh, and by know, the way, it's Snoke's personal ship too. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I guess. Oh, that's true. Cause when he tries to leave, it's after the, the resistance has come out of hyperspace and the first order comes out of hyperspace right behind him. And it's, you know, they're all like, what? I thought we lost them. And they realized that the first order has been able to track them through hyperspace somehow. Um, and when Ray left, um, she and Leia each have this sort of tracker so that they can find each other. And so Ray is going to use this little tracker beacon thing to come back to the resistance fleet once she finds Luke. Um, so of course Finn is all concerned about her and he's like, well, I don't want Ray to come back in the middle of this battle where obviously we're outnumbered and outgunned by the first order fleet. Um, and you know, if we're going to get wiped out, like there's no point in me sticking around here and allowing Ray to just come back and, you know, go down along with us. So he's going to jump ship and try to find somewhere safe for Ray to be able to just meet up with him because I mean, it, you know, it might seem kind of selfish, but at least he's looking out for her well-being. Um, meanwhile, he meets, you know, Rose down by the escape pods and she's crying because uh, she just lost her sister in the space battle at the beginning of the movie. Um, and, uh, you know, she's so excited to meet Finn. She's like, oh, wow, you know, I'm just a maintenance worker and I don't, uh, you know, get to meet people all that much. But, you know, you're this big hero and I heard what you did on the Starkiller base and deserting the First Order and everything. And, man, you're so great. And, hey, what are you doing down here by the escape pods? And, you know, of course, she quickly realizes that he's going to desert. And she already said something about, you know, oh, I like she's got this little stun prod thing. And she's like, I stunned three people today just trying to escape on these escape pods. And Finn ends up being the next one. And she shocks him and goes to turn him in. Um, and... Um, now, this is where the, the plot lines start to kind of converge. And so we'll, I don't know, kind of just take this in chunks or whatever. Um, this isn't obviously exactly the way everything plays out in the movie because I'm kind of just winging it from memory here. But because um, this is before, this is all before Haldo takes over. Yeah. But when well, when Finn and Rose and poe kind of conspire to go on their mission that's after haldo takes over yeah so we'll get to that later so while finn is you know incapacitated and rose is you know dragging him back and whatever um meanwhile you know while they're getting attacked by these first order ships um of course after poe and leia had their their big discussion or whatever um he says to Leia, you know per permission to jump into the x-wing and go blow something up and she's like okay yeah yeah fine go um, but Kylo Ren in his TIE silencer, which has got to be at least my favorite TIE fighter in all of Star Wars at this point, because I freaking love that <laughs> thing, um, escorted by a couple other First Order TIE fighters, they go and just tear up the Resistance cruiser. Um, and again, talking about the just the dwindling Resistance 
forces in this movie. Poe is like running to the hangar to jump in his X-Wing. Kylo Ren flies basically into their hangar. I mean, he's flying like along the side of the ship, like shoots missiles into their hangar, blows it up and wipes out like all of their remaining starfighters. Um, like Tally, who's like the, uh, the A-wing commander that we see in the battle at the beginning of the movie, her and like all the other resistance pilots, they're all gone. And like Poe and BB-8 are the only ones who survive because Poe was like the last one to reach the hangar. Um, and then of course they circle back around, they target the bridge and we see that scene from the trailer where, um, you know, Kylo is targeting the bridge and then, you know, he senses Leia on board and they kind of just have a moment where they're almost just kind of staring each other down. Um, and he eases off the trigger and you see he's not going to do it. Um, but then the other TIE fighters fly right beside him. They shoot missiles into the bridge. It blows up and Leia and Admiral Akbar and everybody else on the bridge gets sucked out into space. And I don't know what your reaction was to seeing this the first time, Tim, but I know for me, like our whole theater was just like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it was so, like, we all, of course, know that this sadly is going to be, you know, the last movie that we're going to see Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. But I was like, they wouldn't have just killed her off like that. Um, I mean, that would just sort of be such a shocking and, like, unceremonious way to just dump off the character. But it was like, she just got sucked out into space. Like, how is she going to come back from that? Um and no, then a, yeah, that that was a shocker, I will say. And even though I will say I didn't think she was, you know, going to die at that moment cuz I know there's stuff in the trailer even that they show that she hasn't mm-hmm. got to you know, like her on crate and all that. And but I was like, man, how are they going to get out? Like, I mean, it's when you're seeing it, you don't think about it right away, but even though it's obvious, well, of course she's going to use the force in some way to do it. But seeing her just, you know, get sucked into the vacuum of space like that once the bridge got destroyed it was a shocking moment it's like oh wow like, that's another thing we haven't seen really co- anything like that happen before in a star wars movie so it was really shocking but before uh, if i can just backpedal a little bit to kylo ren in his you know tie silencer man he really <laughs> did a lot by not doing too much if that sounds a little weird because there's a part of me that was hoping you know it'd be a little bit like darth vader in the rebels episode uh in the season two premiere where he's taking out all the different rebel ships and doing damage to uh, the transport in the ships. But mm-hmm. Kylo did damage before they even had a chance <laughs> to get into their ships. That was pretty awesome. I mean, just seeing him not only shoot the exterior of the transport of the resistance ship, but, you know, like you said, just pretty much almost go directly inside into the bridge and take out the, in the hangars, take out all the ships there, like you mentioned, and almost make his way to the bridge and just seeing you know, the damage also from the inside of the ship on what he's doing. So, like, he really messed them up without having to do too much or putting really any effort into it because, yeah, he, he got them before they even had a chance to act. So I thought that was really cool. And like I said, that hangar getting blown up, Poe, you know, just barely surviving and BB-8 losing his head. I was like, oh, man, like, is BB-8 going to be out of commission for a little bit? But no, I just like how his head is easily just goes right back onto the body. Those BB units, man, <laughs> they could really do a lot of stuff that I, I don't think astromech droids can really pull off. So <laughs> I thought that yeah. was a little cool new thing to add to BB-8 and the different BB models. But yeah, so even though it wasn't a very long sequence, I did like seeing Kylo in that TIE silencer and just, you know, doing damage. And of course, that big moment from the trailer with her, with him and Leia 
you know, sensing each other. We knew it was going to be a powerful moment just from the trailer. And like I even said in our trailer review, imagine how awesome it's going to be hearing John Williams score during that moment. And we get to hear Leia's theme as it goes back from her sensing Kylo and Kylo sensing her. And just, you know, that conflict that Snoke spoke about, you know, it's rearing its head right then and there. And we were wondering, what's he going to do? Is he going to open fire? Is he not? And like you said, he ends up not doing it. And I kind of figured, okay, so nothing's going to happen, you know, to lay in this spot. But no, real quickly is TIE fighter wingmen just shoot their missile and that's what destroys the bridge and sends, you know, Leia and sadly the last movie with Admiral Akbar <laughs> as well. Admiral Akbar went out in a way I didn't expect he'd go out either, but you know, it was, you know, still a pretty cool sequence where not quite what I was expecting because I thought it'd be more of a space battle between Kylo and resistance ships, mm-hmm. but it was still cool to see that Kylo was one step ahead of them and just taking out all the ships before they had a chance to. So it was a really cool sequence and, you know, ending on such a powerful, shocking moment with seeing Leia getting pulled out into the vacuum of space once that bridge blew up. So, yeah, I thought that was another cool sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good point there, just with Ryan Johnson yet again playing with your expectations because once the First Order ships show up and pose like, all right, I'm going to go jump in my X-Wing and fight him, and you're thinking like, okay, here comes another space battle, and uh, Kylo just fires those missiles into the hangar. It's like, nope, no space battle. Um or at least, you know, it's kind of cruiser to cruiser, the First Order just kind of barraging the uh, the Resistance command ship there. But, um, yeah, there definitely was no more, you know, dogfighting, no more X-Wings or anything like that. Because um, Kylo just wiped all those things out. And, you know, he's got some pretty powerful missiles on that TIE fighter. Which actually makes sense now, because uh, in Battlefront 2, when you get to play as him as a hero ship, the missiles that his TIE fighter fires... You know, if you can land a hit with those, because I have noticed, I mean, it's kind of easy to evade, like, evade missiles in that game just by, like, flying in circles and doing a couple loops. Uh, You know, (laughs) as as long as you don't just keep flying straight when you've got missiles locked on you. Um, But if if you're able to hit somebody with the missiles on that TIE Fighter, they do a ton of damage. Like, it's pretty much a one-hit kill unless you're, like, in the Millennium Falcon or something. Yeah. but yeah, so he he just wipes them all out and then, um, you know, the resistance is left to retreat. And they kind of, it sets up this interesting thing where they, you know, they're like, all right, full speed ahead, you know, deflector shields to the rear. And they're able to sort of keep it at a range where the First Order can't keep up to them, but they can keep in range and keep barraging them. And um, sets up, you know, at least kind of this sequence for the middle of the movie where it's almost kind of this slow chase sequence while Finn and Rose go and do their thing. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, um, Tim, I'm interested to hear, you know, your thoughts on sort of the resolution of this when once uh, Kylo and the TIE Fighters get called back to the First Order ships, then we see Leia floating in space and, you know, she kind of wakes up and you see her hand twitch a little bit as she's starting to freeze over out in the vacuum of space. And, uh, you know, of course, we hear the music and, you know, Leia's theme swells up again. And we realize that, you know, she's not just like having a, telepath- a telepathic connection with people like we're actually seeing her full on use the force for the first time as she, you know, sort of comes to and uses the force to like pull herself back into the ship Um and, you know, that's how she escapes that situation of, you know, being trapped out in space. Um, I don't know. How did you, how'd you feel about that part? 
Well, it was definitely a surprising moment. And like I said, you knew the force was going to play a factor in her surviving this. But the way it happened, I got to say, I really liked it. And I will be honest, though, it did look a little strange to seeing, you know, Leia flying <laughs> through space back into the ship with the force. But at the end of the day, I thought it was a really cool moment just to see Leia finally use the force and how, you know, even though as far as we know, didn't have very much, if not any training with the force, but yet since she has that Skywalker bloodline, you know, we know it's there and it could be used in a powerful way. And it's just almost like that, a reactionary human instinct thing where, you know, your life's in danger and you're in trouble and you got to do whatever you can to survive. But, you know, in Leia's case, when you're strong with the force, that's going to kick in instinctively as well. So I like how that played in where it was pretty much a life or death moment for her that that's when, you know, the force really, you know, kicked in with her to use and then just pull her back into safety. So, yeah, like I said, it might have looked a little strange to see Leia flying through space like that. But I think it was just a cool display of finally seeing Leia use the force in a way we never have seen her do before. But at the same time, we knew it was always possible and it was always there for her to do at some point. So, you know, I'm obviously they didn't, you know, plan it where, you know, we got to make sure we use Leia uses the force here because, you know, sadly that she passed away is not going to be a nine. I think it's just one of those, obviously it was just one of those things that worked out that, you know, we thankfully got to see uh, Carrie Fisher play Leia and have a scene where she gets to use the force in the Star Wars movie, you know, and sadly ended up being her final one. But I am, you know, thankful that we did get it in this movie. You know, since it is her last one, we got to see her use the force, which, you know, I thought was a, a nice moment for the character. So at at the end of the day, I really liked that segment. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it too. And again, it was one of those things that definitely felt different. Um, we've never seen anybody like out in space in Star Wars. Um, although I guess we, you know, we've seen that kind of stuff in in Clone Wars and Rebels, like people out in space in like space live action on asteroids <laughs> and stuff like that. But we've never seen anything like that in the live action films before. Um, and to just see her like floating out there kind of freezing over and then to see her flying through space. I mean, it almost had a little bit of like a Guardians of the Galaxy feel to it. Yeah. So I was like, eh, I, I'm not sure how well this really fits in with what we sort of know as Star Wars. But at the same time, like you said, it was a great moment for the character. Um, of course, it's the last time we're going to get to see Carrie Fisher as Leia. And so I was like, you know what? I'm fine with it. It's cool that we finally get to see her use force powers. And, you know, that was a really nice touch. And, you know, I, I just like you said, I mean, we've never seen her train as a Jedi or anything. So I wasn't expecting her to, like, bust out a lightsaber. Um, but just to see that, like, in the most dire moment, like, she does have that power that she can fall back on. Um to save her life when she really needs it um and i actually i kind of have a theory about that too because i don't know if you noticed this but to me that scene when she's floating in space and you see sort of a close-up on her face as she kind of wakes up she looked a little cg-ish to me there um and i don't know if it was just because she's like again you know sort of freezing in space and if it was maybe just the effects on her and whatnot um but i kind of have a theory that this scene may have been added after she passed away. Um, mm. And I mean, obviously they, this whole scenario of like her being on the bridge and the connection with Kylo and the TIE fighters blowing it up and everything like they filmed all of that before Carrie Fisher passed. So um, like this was originally supposed to play out in some fashion, but I think originally maybe 
Leia was just going to somehow manage to hold on to something and like be the only one in the bridge to not get sucked out into space or like Poe was going to save her or something like that. Um, and then maybe they decided like, well, hey, like, because we've also heard rumors that episode nine was supposed to be even more of a focus on Leia. And they talked about how sort of each of the original trilogy heroes was going to kind of get their moment to shine in one of these new movies. And like episode seven was Han's movie. Episode eight is Luke's and nine was kind of going to be Leia's movie. Um, and maybe that was the movie where we were finally going to see, you know, her use force powers for the first time. And then since obviously now we won't get to have that happen, they were like, okay, let's try to find some way we can add a moment in here where we get to show that. And so they um, they were like, well, you know, instead of having her just survive and like stay on the bridge, let's have her blasted out into space. And then she used, comes to and uses the force and flies back in. Um, again, pure speculation on my part. I haven't, you know, heard Ryan Johnson say that that's what they did or anything like that. But I could maybe see that playing out that way um, to have that almost kind of be a little, you know, tribute to her. Um, to just, you know, again, acknowledge the fact that this character has always kind of had those force powers and we've never really fully fleshed that out. But, um, you know, as sort of one last hurrah for Leia, let's, uh, you know, get to see those fully on display for once. Mm, that's interesting because I never really got that impression when I saw it the three times, actually. I kind of get what you mean where you notice a little bit of CG on her face there. I just kind of chalk that up to, you know, like you were saying, it's in space and it's kind of, you know, our body's freezing over. But, you know, it would be, uh, it, if that was the case, I think it was, you know, a nice way to give her that moment in the movie to have her force powers on display if that was the case. But I don't know, I, I do think it was intentionally, you know, originally part of the script and they shot it that way. Maybe, you know, like you said, the CG stuff was just, you know, touching up a few things and making it look right for being in space. But um, regardless, I think it's a fitting moment for the character. And like I said, uh, just nice to finally see that in a Star Wars movie of, you know, just how strong in the Force Leia is. And we always know she felt things. She felt, you know, Han's death, obviously. She felt Luke in Empire Strikes Back when he called for help. So we always knew it was there, but to finally see her act on it was just really cool. And, you know, just makes you think if, you know, she could do that just instinctively and without hardly any training just you know what kind of a jedi she could have been if she mm -hmm. you know followed the path of luke but yeah but again it's still just i think an overall nice moment to have in you know part of the skywalker saga of films yeah definitely and i mean i could be totally wrong there that was just kind of something that crossed my mind mm -hmm. watching it but you know going back to when i said it felt like ryan johnson wrote this movie like six months ago um you know obviously they were planning on having Carrie Fisher still be part of this franchise, like for episode nine and beyond. But it just so happens that the way that, you know, he wrote her character for episode eight, it ends up being a really nice fitting tribute to, uh, to Carrie Fisher and to the character of Leia, like whether they added stuff after the fact or not, um, you know, it just ended up, um, you know, having some really nice moments for her. Um, so yeah, that was great. Um, you know, she gets back to the ship, uh, Poe, you know, kind of helps her inside and then she ends up, you know, sort of being in a medically induced coma for a while. Um, that's where Finn picks up the beacon because I think she just dropped it once they put her on that. Oh, that's right. right there. Yeah. So he gets the beacon from Leia. Um, 
Oh, so so it's after that that he goes and meets Rose? Yeah. Okay, I guess she came in a little bit sooner, but that would make perfect sense because then he gets the beacon and that's when he wants to leave to uh, to go, you know, save Ray. So I got a little bit ahead of myself there. Um, but once... But once I was going to say, since uh, you got, we talked about Rose and Finn a little beforehand since this leads right into there, I just, you know, I guess I'll speak to that real quick, that whole introduction between the two characters. I thought it was great. You know, the way they met, I just, I don't know, part of Finn's character, I just like it where, you know, he's playing up what he really isn't. We saw a little bit of that in The Force Awakens when he's telling Rays with the resistance mm-hmm. and now here trying to fool Rose and thinking that he's not being a deserter. And then, you know, first he says, you know, I'm not a hero. But then when she says, no, yes, you are. He's all like, oh, like, like my name's Finn, like may the force be with you trying to end the conversation and looking all confident <laughs> that she's not going away. She's just getting closer, you know, like ruining his plan and just trying his best to have her not notice <laughs> that he's trying to go onto the skateboard. So yeah, I did that. Did think that was a nice introduction for both characters there. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Rose definitely immediately comes off as kind of a likable character who's mm-hmm. both sort of emotionally vulnerable, but also, you know, kind of spunky and, uh, you know, got a little fire in her. So, um, yeah, that made for some fun interactions between those two characters. Um, and so, of course, once she knocks him out and she's like, I'm going to go turn you in for deserting. And um, poor Finn keeps getting zapped in every movie. BBA Force Awakens and now by Rose. <laughs> I've had a pretty messed up day. So if you could just knock it off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but then, of course, as uh, she's taking him to go bring him in that's when um he kind of explains to her that like no i gotta get out of here so that you know the first order is tracking us and i gotta get away so that uh you know i can uh you know my friend's waiting on me and you know i don't want her to come back into this trap or whatever and rose is like wait they're tracking us through hyperspace and the two of them kind of figure out that like oh they've got this tech and it must be on the you know on a computer in their lead ship and because rose is an engineer and finn uh no is familiar with first order ships they're like hey we could get in there and shut this thing down (laughs) yeah he's like you know she's like who would uh, who would know where to find that room on a starter shirt he's like uh the guy that used to mop it yeah Um, and so i don't know why just a little side tangent here we know he was trained as a stormtrooper like for some reason i know it's not the case i could just i picture him being you know part of the sanitation team mopping the floor in a stormtrooper outfit <laughs> how ridiculous <laughs> that would look but, but uh, regardless i just thought that was a funny image in my head when he says i'm mopping it like in a stormtrooper outfit how crazy would that look but, yeah well we do know that he used to be on sanitation detail so um yeah i just can't imagine they have the stormtroopers wear their armor when they're in sanitation <laughs> yeah i wouldn't think so um maybe that was before he you know back when he was still a cadet like before he got promoted to full-time stormtrooper i would assume but um yeah so they you know kind of figure out like oh hey maybe there's a way we can shut this thing down and they go and tell poe their plan um but of course before that like once leia's injured um they bring in admiral haldo uh to step up and take leia's place and kind of lead the resistance in the interim um, and immediately she and Poe get off on the wrong foot. Um, she, you know, of course, has heard all about this hotshot pilot who just lost a bunch of their other pilots um, in the space battle over Dakar. And uh, she's like, you know, that's the last thing we need right now. Um, and Poe's like, OK, well, the first order's right on our tail. What are we going to do about this? What's your plan? And she's like, 
calm down. I have a plan. You don't need to know about it. Um, you know, I don't really like you. I don't really trust you. Like, wait for my orders and uh, back to your station. That's all. And kind of comes off as a bit unlikable at first. And so, you know, I wasn't really sure what to make of her. Like, is she you know, an ally who's just, you know, doesn't see eye to eye with Poe? Is she going to end up being some sort of like first order informant or something? Because um, also, of course, the fact that everybody's like, whoa, wait, they can track us through hyperspace. I was like, well, is somebody wearing a beacon or something? Like, is there a mole within the resistance? And so I thought that might have been the deal with her at first. Um, So, well, but so before we get back to uh, to Finn and Rose, what did you think of uh, the Haldo character? Yeah, overall, I thought, you know, she was a nice addition to the movie as far as one of the new characters go. And, you know, I we knew beforehand it was hinted that her and Poe weren't going to get along the different ideals they had when it came to leading the resistance, her being having some views differently than Poe's and how they would clash. And, you know, we got that right away in their first meeting. Like you said, they did not get off on the wrong foot. And, you know, one of her first things she says to him was, uh, Captain Wright didn't wasn't Leia's final act in charge was to demote you and he's all like I don't care what you call me just tell me you have a plan type of thing so you knew it was off get you knew it was off to a rocky start but you know as we later on see more of them and just the subplot that plays out between both characters I thought worked really well and I got to say reading that uh, Princess Leia novel that came back or that came out back on Force Friday too. It kind of helped add a little bit more to Holdo's character for me, especially in her interactions with Leia. You really felt that, you know, they were friends that went way back, you know, to when they were teenagers. And having that little bit of knowledge and some of the stuff they went through together in that book added to, you know, they didn't have a lot. But the brief scenes they did have together towards the end of the film, I thought, you know, really played into what I knew going into it from that book, which helped, you know, add some more of the substance to her character. That line that sticks out to me when... You know, she was going to volunteer. I know I'm jumping way ahead, but just speaking to Holo as a character about when she goes, you know, says she's going to stay on the ship to while everyone else goes on the transport. And Leia just says, you know, no, I've like I've lost enough already. And Holo says, you know, you, know, you can take another because you taught me uh, how to, you know, take loss. And that's one of those things that harken back to that Leia novel where their friendship first began. And now you're seeing it all the way up to here when it's at the end. So overall, I liked the character. It was a great little, you know, conflict for Poe to have. It had near right at the same time, you start to think you're on Poe's side for, you know, the majority of the movie when he has conflict with her. But then you realize, no, she actually had her own plan, which was, you know, probably the better way to go. But it didn't make for, you know, a nice, you know, somewhat of an antagonist for Poe <laughs> throughout the course of the film, even though they're on the same side. So like, little bit of internal war going on between uh, certain members of the resistance so i did like how it all played out when it was said and done so yeah i thought she was a good addition to the the movie as the new characters go mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree i think um and you know we'll talk about kind of the resolution of the storyline a little bit later but um yeah i the way that she was introduced and then the way that uh you know where her character ends up in the end um I thought it was again kind of unexpected um and uh just a nice kind of new twist you know to have kind of sort of an antagonist character within the resistance who ends up still having the resistance's uh best intentions and in, uh in mind yeah um and the fact that you know she and Poe both were were doing 
what they felt was best. And, you know, neither of them was entirely wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, they just didn't quite see eye to eye, but they were both, you know, trying to do the right thing in the long run. Um, so yeah, I thought that set up a really interesting dynamic there. Um, but then of course, Finn and Rose go to Poe and tell them, you know, about this thing with the, uh, the hyperspace tracking and the first order and all that. And, uh, so of course they devise a plan to, um, you know, figure out like, okay, we got to sneak on board the first order ship and, uh, you know, crack this code or whatever. And so they're like, well, who can get us on board? So they call Maz Kanata, who's like the oldest, oh, you know, old alien <laughs> grandma who knows everybody. Um, and I got to say, I don't know about you, but the first thing I thought of when seeing this scene, I was like, I want Maz Kanata as a playable hero in Battlefront now. Because <laughs> the, I mean, she's only in one quick little scene and you see her as a hologram and she's obviously in the middle of some battle and she's like, you know, oh, it's a trade dispute or something like you don't want to know about it. But... She's wielding a blaster. She's ducking behind cover. She's shooting people in. And then at the end of the scene, she blasts off with a jetpack. I'm like, man, I want to play as Maz Kanata with a blaster and a jetpack in Battlefront. Like, yes, please. Well, I will say it would make a whole lot more sense for that to be in Battlefront than it was in this movie. And I got to say, I think this is probably my least favorite scene out of the whole movie. I did not like it at all. I'm sorry. I know it was kind of played up for laughs, but to me it just sent the waste of Maz's character. Um, yeah, because it just felt like, you know, I'm trying to get the laughs, you know, the little old alien creature who you don't expect to do much, have much, very much action, but we're going to give her a blaster. She's going to be flipping around on the jetpack. You know, that's going to get a good laugh from the audience. And it was kind of a mixed bag, I think, even in the audience standpoint. They got some laughs, but not a lot like certain other, you know, humorous moments of the film did. It just... To me, it was a waste of the character who, you know, shows how wise she is and how strong the connection she has with the Force. And the fact that her one scene in the movie has nothing to do about the Force or with Rey or Luke or anything that she you know, played a big part in The Force Awakens, I thought was, you know, just a waste of the character. Almost like, oh, we got to get her in some way. Let's, you know, just have her point the way to Canto Bite for Finn and Rose and just have it be a funny moment while we're at it. And yeah, just some of the things she said, it just didn't work. When she, you know, they're talking about the master code breaker and like said, he's good at, it's like she says, oh, he's good at a lot of things type of thing. <laughs> then Finn and Rose give her that weird look. And so all that stuff, I don't know. It just, to me, it just wasn't the right use of the character for this movie. I would rather her not be in it at all. If this is all we've got with it. But yeah, not my favorite moment of the film, sadly, and it came at Maz's expense. So hopefully, I don't know if she's going to be in episode nine, but hopefully it'll be a more significant role than what she got here in The Last Jedi. Yeah, well, I I agree and disagree with you on that. I don't think it was a disservice to the character or like a waste of the character um, because, yes, she's old and wise and has, a you know, some sort of connection to the Force, like as we see in The Force Awakens. But she's also been running a pirate hideout cantina for a thousand years, and so it's not like she's Yoda. Like, she clearly has, you know, a little bit more of a taste for, you know, adventure and bending the rules and whatnot. So I thought it was really True. actually kind of cool to see her, you know, running around with a blaster. I'm like, um, she's kind of one of those characters, also kind of like Yoda for me. I know a lot of people want a Yoda spinoff movie when he's, like, young or something. I'm like... 
I kind of like those characters that are just, you know, they're old, they've been around for forever, they can do a lot of different things, and you don't really need to know, like, where they came from or their whole backstory, like, they can just, you know, surprise you with some new stuff every once in a while, um, and especially for Maz, I mean, she can kind of just be like a jack-of-all-trades kind of character. She, you know who she reminded me of a lot in this part was, uh, like, Edna from The Incredibles. Um, uh. <laughs> where, you know, just kind of the one that's, like, doesn't, you know, isn't always right in the thick of it, but just, like, knows everybody that's in the thick of it kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I thought it was fun. But at the same time, it did also feel kind of random. Um, yes. Like uh. <laughs> it, it, what it felt like to me was that they signed Lupita Nyong'o on for three movies to play Maz, mm, yeah. and then they weren't sure how to use her in this movie. And so when they came up with the idea for you know this master code breaker, they're like, oh well, let's have Maz be the one that tells them about the master code breaker, and we'll just have her in a quick little scene for two minutes. Um, so I thought the scene was fun, but not entirely necessary. Um, so I could kind of take it or leave it, but I enjoyed it. I, I definitely didn't feel like it was um, a waste of time or anything like that, but it did feel like, oh, okay, well, uh, that just happened, I guess. Yeah, I'm definitely in the leave it camp. <laughs> I was, yeah, I'd be totally fine with it. That was one of the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray or whatnot. I, like, I could totally see like myself saying, you know what, I could see why they cut that scene from the movie, but he didn't, so uh, I'm going to have to learn to live with it. Yeah, well, I mean, they had to find out about Canto Bite somehow. Um, and so with that, uh, Finn and Rose take off to uh, go head to this casino planet. You know um, what? I, I'm just going to jump in here with a crazy idea. You know how Ryan Johnson said, you know, we couldn't find a way to fit Lando into the story? Well, I think he could have fit perfectly as the one to tell him to go to Canto Bight and he would know about the master code breaker. Like even if he didn't have a big role, I instead of getting that sequence with Maz to play out for last, I think it would have been cool to have a nice little appearance by Lando in, you know, setting him on the course to Canto Bight. Because it Canto Bight seems like a place Lando would probably would have visited some time ago or whatnot. So I could totally have him being in the infant knowing that information on where to go to find someone like the master code breaker. But Yeah, I can see I can see that except Finn already knows Maz, and I think to have, you know, Finn and Poe, like, suddenly go to Lando for help on this, that would open up a whole new can of worms of, like, well, how do they know Lando? And then, you know, once you see him, now we want to know what Lando's been up to this whole time, and why wasn't he there for Han and, you know, Episode 7 and all this kind of stuff, so... Um, I mean, they, yeah, cer I, they certainly could have used that, but I feel like if anything, it would have been maybe better to just have Lando, like have a cameo on Canto bite, like be, mm -hmm. you know, at one of the tables or maybe have him be the, the original master code breaker that they were supposed to go there to find in the first place. Um, that would have been yeah. kind of cool. I would just figure, you know, as much time as Poe spent with Leia and building up the resistance, he would know about Lando, maybe met him like a handful of times or once or twice or just know about him just for he could be the character to go i know just the person who would know you know where to find someone who could break into a first order ship but that's how i would use to explain it but it's not in the movie so i shouldn't dwell about it too much about what could have been it's just you know i just really don't like that moss scene <laughs> yeah but again i think like i said more what it comes down to is probably just that it was in lupita's contract um and you're probably right i didn't really think about that but that makes total sense which I don't know why you would 
sign her on for three movies to begin with. I mean, not that I didn't like the character in The Force Awakens, because I did, but it she felt like like her place was in that movie. Mm, you know, yeah. like like I feel like after The Force Awakens, Maz is going to stay there and rebuild her castle or maybe move on to somewhere else. But like unless she's going to, you know, join the resistance full time or something like that, um, it's like she she just doesn't feel like she has, you know, a big need to like be part of the story moving forward. Um, as it was kind of proved with this scene, but I don't know. We'll see, uh, if she returns for episode nine and if so, you know, if they're able to sort of make better use of that character. Um, but yeah, so, so that starts the whole Canto bite sequence. Um, but before we get to that, let's jump back to our friends, Luke and Ray on, uh on octo um because there's a whole lot more that's been going on there uh in the meantime that we haven't really you know gotten into but i think it's safe to say just i mean all the stuff on octo was probably or at least the stuff dealing with like luke ray and kylo was all my favorite stuff in the movie at least for the first half like i just kept waiting for it to cut back to octo and it's like okay let's see more stuff with luke and ray and that's something I got to say got better for me on the subsequent viewings after my first one, where, cause like I said, I just kept thinking to myself, man, I just want to get back to Octo with Luke and Ray and stuff with Kylo Ren, where whatever we're dealing with the resistance stuff, but it kind of, it did flow better. Not necessarily. I felt the pacing was bad. I didn't think it was in the first viewing. It just that feeling of what your, the story I was invested in was mainly just Luke and Ray and the resistance stuff. I kind of, grew more of appreciation for it and how, you know, as a subplot and flowing with the Luke and Ray scenes throughout the course of the movie, I thought worked better on the second and third time. But, mm-hmm. you know, the first time, like you were, yeah, just like you, let's get to Luke and Ray on Octo because that's all the stuff we've been dying to see in the lead up to this movie. But once we got it, we know what happened and the place it took in the movie. Once you see it again and all the scenes that play out in context of the course of the overall film, I think it works better and i think it is evenly paced and well edited together where you're not away too long from acto but when you get back to it it's it's good to be back there and with those characters again that you know we have and i probably assume most fans have the most investment in so yeah that was one of the things that did get better on the second and third viewings yeah definitely and i kind of felt the same way too like even just seeing it for the second time um i feel like the first time like the stuff in the middle maybe felt like it dragged a little bit to me um, like with the resistance stuff and whatnot. Um, and it's, it wasn't even so much that I felt like that while I was watching the movie, but then afterwards as I was kind of analyzing it and, you know, just sort of reflecting on it and then reading other people's reviews and opinions and stuff. And that seemed to be one criticism that I saw a lot was that um, the middle of the movie kind of dragged and that the whole scene with, you know, the the resistance chasing the First Order and just kind of, shooting at them with their lasers and, you know, not catching up to them, not falling behind. It was just kind of this long, slow, drawn out thing. And I was kind of like, oh yeah, I guess that was kind of slow. Like that wasn't the best part of it. And then when I went and saw it again, I was like, no, that really wasn't that bad though. Like that doesn't take up that much of the movie. Exactly. Um, Yeah. That said though, 
the it, it's not like everything was bad except for the stuff on Octo, but still, like every time it cut back to Octo, I was like, oh yes, here we go, more yep. Force Jedi stuff. Exactly. Um, what new stuff we're gonna learn about the Force now? <laughs> exactly. Um, so of course, when when Ray first gets there, she kind of goes on this scene where you know she's chasing Luke all over the island. Um, well, before just, we get to that part, real quick, the moment that happens before is we get Ray and Chewie sitting down telling Luke everything that happened and but even though we don't get that conversation i wish we did part of me thinks there's you know more to that scene that maybe got cut where maybe chewie and ray are telling luke what happened to han and we just see his reaction once that happens because if you notice how he's positioned and how he's kind of sitting down he just looks like he just heard terrible news and he's like he can't believe what he heard and he's like exhausted from it he just he's like almost in a state of shock so part of me thinks maybe more of that sequence was cut but still, it got it drove home the point of you know what Luke found out about Kylo Ren and losing Han. You could still see it on his face in that scene, which I thought was cool. And even his dialogue in that sequence where he goes like, "What did you expect, or what do you want me to do? Grab my laser sword and take down the whole First Order?" I specifically like that he said laser sword, drawing back to mm-hmm. how Anakin called it in the prequels. Knowing the state of mind that Luke is in at this point of his life and wanting to end the Jedi and have nothing to do with it. He's calling it, you know, just what it is. It is a laser sword, but, you know, the correct Jedi term would be lightsaber. But having wanting nothing to do with the Jedi anymore, he's just calling it, you know, the standard, probably what a lot of people in the galaxy just call it laser swords who aren't familiar with the Jedi. So I mm-hmm. thought that was a nice little touch, you know, throw back to the prequels and also showing the state of mind that Luke's in. So even though I didn't get quite what I was hoping for as far as Luke hearing the news that Han was killed by Kylo Ren, it's the point still got across when you saw the expression on his face. So I still like that little sequence with the three of them of Ray, Chewie and Luke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So was that when, when Ray is like chasing Luke around the Island and stuff, that was after the part with Chewie where they tell him about what happened Mm -hmm. to Han and all that. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And it's weird because you really see how Luke has kind of like this Island is his home now and he's, you Mm -hmm. know, spear fishing and, and uh drinking milk out of this weird <laughs> like sea cow creature um, i've heard some people have problems with that but i didn't mind at all i thought like you said it was just cool seeing you know the everyday life of luke on this planet with not much going on and having to do what he has to do to survive with food and all that i thought it was really cool yeah um and you know luke fine or ray finally kind of tracks him down and is telling him about you know again just kind of giving him giving him her almost like a pre-rehearsed routine about you know leia sent me and the resistance needs your help and you know we need the jedi to come back and help restore balance and blah 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 um and luke's just kind of like you know who are you why are you here um, and even in some of those scenes, I did like some of the humor where he's, uh, yeah. he asks Ray, like, where are you from? And she says, nowhere. He's like, everybody's from somewhere. She says, I'm from Jakku. And he goes, okay, that is pretty much nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what do you want Ray from nowhere? Um, and, uh, you know, she's talking about wanting to become a Jedi and he's like, no, you know, I gave up on that. And, um, you know, like you said, like, what did you think was going to happen? Like you were going to come and get me to come back with you. And I was going to go running out of here with a laser sword and fight down the whole first order by myself. Like, no, the time of the Jedi is over. Um, and, you know, really just seeing this sort of 
obviously broken spirit of, um, you know, this heroic champion that we used to know. Um, and obviously, I mean, I think that's one thing that is sort of rubbed people the wrong way about this, but, um, I don't know. How did you feel about this sort of characterization of Luke towards the beginning where you see, um, you know, obviously him, uh, sort of shut down to all this Jedi stuff. Yeah. I was all on board with this direction. They were taking Luke at this moment in the film. Like I said, I love the early look into, you know, a daily life of Luke on Octo. I love the, you know, I touched on a little bit with, or you did using the spear fishing, just seeing him use that long spear to go from cliff to cliff and raise all like, look out, like be careful. And just like gives us that look like this is nothing. Like <laughs> I've done this plenty of times. Then we see him catch that fish and he's lugging this big old giant fish on its back while it's raining back to his hut. I just love that aspect. And then we get to that moment where you talked about where Ray's still following him. And then she hears the voices like call out to her. And I still haven't really made out what those voices are. Like if it's any characters, is it's anyone specific, just the force calling out with no specific voice in mind, but it's drawing her to that tree. And then we get that great shot that we saw in the trailer with all the fog of her going into the tree and, you know, her seeing the Jedi books on there. And it really, you know, got this is the first aspect of finding out who Ray's parents are and her history was right here where she said, you know, I've been here before or I've seen this place. And then, you know, that's where Luke, that kind of draws Luke's attention and he's curious and he says all the stuff that you mentioned but <laughs> another part of that humor I really like was when Ray was asking her you know or was asking him to teach her he's all she's all I've seen your daily routine you are not busy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that moment but you know but Luke being so reluctant I was just I was buying into it but at the same time I was like man real I'm really curious what's making Luke feel this way about the Jedi and the forest and of course, that's the big question going into this movie, and we just couldn't wait to find out. So, at this moment in the film, when we got a few scenes with Luke and Ray here, I was just, I was all in. I was buying into it. I was mainly just more curious than anything, though. Like, what's going to make Luke feel this way and become, you know, so reclusive? And as he said, Ray in the sequence, I will never train another generation of Jedi again. Why? Why is that? I mean, we have a little bit of an idea, but we know there's more to it. And we're going to get that answer later on. But in this moment here in the first interaction with Ray and Luke, I just loved it. And like you said, anything, I pretty much love all the Octo stuff now. Uh, now that I've seen it three times, it's just really, really well done. Once you accept the story and direction they took Luke, it's just a lot of great moments here, especially early on when you just don't know quite yet whether their relationship's going to go, if it's going to be a master-student relationship, and then they're just kind of feeling each other out. And just wondering what caused Luke to be this way. So, yeah, I just love those whole early sequences with Ray trying to get Luke to teach her and just her following him on his daily routine. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, I thought that was uh, – I mean, I loved it. And, uh, like, I, I loved all the Octo stuff. But even just from seeing, you know, Luke and his daily routine up to starting to get the first hints of, you know, why he's so reluctant to train Ray – um, was just great stuff. And Mark Hamill just knocked it out of the park with his performance on this one. Yes, um, he did. Even though it wasn't, you know, the version of Luke that a lot of fans were wanting to see. And obviously, you know, I think we know pretty well by now, like it's not the version of Luke that Mark Hamill was looking forward to playing going into this movie. Um, 
but I think he did a fantastic job with it. Um, but one thing that I really love about this movie, and you know, we'll talk about sort of continuing on with uh, with this storyline here. I mean, obviously, we've already talked about some of the new stuff, um, the stuff that is you know unexpected and subverts your expectations. Um, but at the same time, there's so many moments that just feel like Star Wars and so many moments that, um, are, you know, nice nostalgic throwbacks and whatnot. Um, and obviously one of my favorite moments of the entire movie, it's when, um, it's, you know, at nighttime and Luke kind of sneaks back onto the Falcon and, uh, you know, he's not going anywhere, but just kind of revisiting the ship that he had so many adventures on and he goes into the cockpit and just all the lights come on again. Um, and then he goes into the cargo hold and there's R2 sitting there. Um, and, you know, you get the nice touching moment where Luke gets the reunion with his old friend. And, um, you know, of course, he's having a similar conversation with R2 that he had with Chewie about, you know, no, I can't come back and I'm not going to train Ray and all this kind of stuff. And no, you know, nobody can change my mind on this. And I totally did not see this coming but r2 just turns around and projects the old hologram of princess leia's okay. message saying that help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope and luke looks at him and goes that was a cheap move yeah um, <laughs> and uh man i'm just i got a big old grin on my face right now just thinking about that it was just such a cool nostalgic moment that i was not expecting at all and just like how could that not just kind of tug on your heartstrings as a star wars fan um just seeing a reunion between luke and r2 and um you know calling luke back into action with the same way the same message that r2 had to uh you know bring obi-wan back into action um you know that droid and his hologram of leia just have a, a knack for uh you know, getting Jedi, drawing Jedi out of retirement, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that moment was perfect. Like you said, the first of probably many were touched on your heartstrings a little bit as longtime Star Wars fans. And yeah, just seeing him on the cockpit of the Falcon, we saw that in that uh, TV spot they had a few months ago and just how awesome that was and how it gave you chills. But yeah, it got even better once Luke was, you know, in the main part of the Falcon, we see R2 there. Just, I know I said how it was great to hearing him, just hearing Mark Hamill say the words Chewie again as Luke Skywalker, but I think he was even more so a great, you know, nostalgia feeling that you said, a great fanboy moment, just hearing Luke say R2. Like, it just sounded like Luke in The Empire Strikes Back when he says the name R2 on Dagobah to me. It just had that feel to it. It was just so, so special. And just seeing them interact with each other again which is so great it just it almost felt like those you know there are two characters or you see two friends reunited and it's almost like you know, they haven't missed a beat it's like they've you know been together for forever without you know being separated for a long period of time it felt like it felt like that between luke and r2 it just you know the chemistry was there even though it's just a droid and a robot you just felt it the two friends reunited again and they didn't skip a, skip a beat. It was just so, so special. And I even love, we don't know what he said, but Luke's dialogue saying, Hey, this is a sacred island. Watch the language. <laughs> yeah. I, I assume that, it was probably something along the lines of, you know, 
what are you doing all alone out here on this effing island? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sacred island, buddy. Watch the language. Yeah, and then, like you said, it turned on a little more of a downer note with Luke saying, oh, like my friend, I, I, I wish I could make you understand, but I'm not coming back. Nothing can make me come back. And after Archie's like, oh, really? <laughs> that he just shows the hologram message of Leia that we saw in A New Hope. It was just so, so good. And oh, man, I just loved it. And just, like I said, the history between those two is what makes that scene so special. And that was uh, listening or watching a video of Kevin Smith doing his like review of The Last Jedi. And this scene in particular where like, it was probably his favorite moment from the movie. And he just brought out, he just made such great points as why it's so special because this is where Star Wars began with these two characters, Luke, you know, and Uncle Owen buying R2, but just Luke and R2 specifically, that bond they have with, without R2 and Luke coming together, we wouldn't have Star Wars and, you know, R2 showing the message and all that. Everything happens in, in the first Star Wars movie because of R2 and Luke and to see him have this moment here again was just so, so special. And yeah, unfortunately, R2 really wasn't in it a whole lot. He just has like maybe one other like or two other quick shots by the time we get to the end of it. But if this is all we're going to get of him in the movie, it they definitely made it count. This is really one of the more special moments that we had in the film seeing R2 and Luke together again. It, it was just so, so good and well done. So yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree. One of the more special sequences in this movie was so, so good. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in a movie filled with favorite moments. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, this has got to be at least in my top five favorite moment moments of the movie, which is saying something. Cause this is like the, the quality of the material. This should be like a top, like one or two favorites. Um, for you know if it were in any other movie but it's just we'll we'll get to some of the other stuff that i you know was just blown away by um but this was definitely a highlight for sure yeah i just love how you know this is what makes luke you know decide to show ray a little bit of the force even though he goes i'm going to show you so you know you know why it has to end but Mm -hmm. you know i don't know if you fully believe that that's probably what he's telling himself, but I just think, you know, after seeing that message from R2 and kind of, you know, kicking him back into gear a little bit, I think there was a part of him where, you know, he probably should, you know, pass on some of his teachings or at least try to. But it was kind of have a wait and see approach and to see where it goes with Ray. But I just liked how it was R2 kind of, you know, kicked him in the right direction there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then but I and, guess I was going to say, I guess we should mention too how Luke was able to get on the Falcon without nobody noticing him. Cause Chewie's had his hands full <laughs> with some. That's porgs. true. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the porgs in this movie? You know what? I liked them. I thought they were fine. I didn't really have too big of a concern with them, you know, being like the next Jar Jar, the next Ewoks mm-hmm. or whatnot. I thought they served their purpose fine. They got tons of laughs for every time I've seen the movie, like everyone, especially this moment with Chewie, once they see, the pork's face is especially that last one giving that sad look and like everyone's <laughs> going, Oh and then just making Chewie feel so uncomfortable, like I gotta eat this, but I don't want to. At least I don't want anyone watching me. So I liked them. I thought they were fine. I did say or the one thing I will say about them is that sometimes they just I don't know, if it was like a mixture of animatronics and CG, they just didn't look quite realistic all the time for me. Not in every shot, mm. but just in a few certain ones where you can kind of tell maybe like a 
it was an animatronic or mixed with little CG that didn't have it quite look quite as realistic as I think other things in the movie looked. But other than that, I thought they were fine. They served the purpose as being a little comedy relief and, you know, getting, you know, probably some of the younger fans just and other audience members just really taking to porgs and their cuteness and all that. So <laughs> they served their purpose well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would agree. I mean, I liked them just fine. Um, you know, they're cute. They're funny. My biggest kind of fear going into it like i just thought they might be kind of overused mm. um i not that they would be used poorly necessarily and again you know some people were like oh they're you know dumb and too cutesy you know they're watch they're going to be the next jar jar or whatever like i was never worried about that but i was like i didn't want the last jedi to feel like this dark intense serious movie littered with cutesy little porgs all over the place yeah. um and they definitely, I, I felt like they were used well. You know, they, uh, you know, they had their moments of cuteness and of comic relief, um, you know, that were sort of well-placed. But it's not like, the, the movie didn't feel like there were just porgs everywhere. Um, yeah, it would have felt weird if, like, Luke's giving Ray a really important lesson in one of the scenes. And then, like, a porg comes in and interrupts something just for a, a comedic moment that just felt out of place. It didn't have any of that. It just really felt how it should where they're just wildlife spread or spread across the island they, they do pop up in several scenes but just because you know this is their home and this is like their natural habitat so of course you're going to see them all over the island so mm-hmm. yeah they made good use of them i thought yeah definitely um and then of course we should mention that meanwhile while luke is on the falcon and uh you know r2 is convincing him to train ray uh ray is having some very interesting stuff of her own going on um setting up another sort of recurring plot line in this movie where she and kylo start having this telepathic communication with each other um and it first starts just by accident where um and i forget how it starts exactly but they kind of just end up almost sort of intruding on one another and kylo's like wait like how are you here right now like can you see my surroundings i can't see yours and like how are you doing this like this can't be you because the effort alone would kill you um but somebody yeah, it actually that... started where you know the morning after luke tells ray yeah i'll sh- show you i'll teach you three lessons that you just see her in her hut you know just waking up and kylo getting you know his face repaired by the droids and that's when they just notice each other then she just brings out the blaster <laughs> and fires oh, that's right I just remember thinking, like, because you knew there was a, a link there and they were seeing each other. But it was like, oh, man, can, like, did he feel that pain? Did he actually shoot? Did she actually shoot him and he felt it? <laughs> but it didn't go that way. But it's setting up for, it's made you think, man, what's going on here? Like, what's going to happen because of this new force ability that these two are experiencing right now? Yeah. And, yeah, it was definitely like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on here? Is this the force trying to bring them together? Is this... um you know, Snoke doing some kind of manipulation or, uh, you know, as one of them, you know, inadvertently learning a new force power or something. But it was it was definitely interesting because it was not just or it, I mean, that was the other question, too. Like, is this a vision or are they like consciously doing this? But the more it went on, the more it seemed like, no, this isn't just them like sharing visions or something like they're sort of, you know, communicating or like entering each other's consciousness in a way. Um to the point where by the end of it, they're actually able to like touch each other and sort of connect minds almost. But um, it was a very interesting sort of connection between the two of them in this movie um, that had you thinking, 
really that anything would be possible by the end of it, that they could end up as enemies, they could end up as allies, you know, Rey could turn to the dark side, Kylo could turn to the light side, um, they could both end up sort of teaming up and, and taking their own sort of neutral path. Um, because you could see that Kylo was very, you know, adamantly sort of against Luke and the Jedi and everything, but also that his allegiance to Snoke was sort of wavering a bit and that he was kind of starting to chafe under this guy's command and um, maybe wasn't going to keep putting up with uh, with Snoke forever. So, um, you know, it was setting up just some very interesting questions going forward for the rest of the movie. Um and of course, we'll see where all that led to. Um, but in the meantime, um, you know, then like you said, Ray wakes up that morning and goes off to train with Luke for the first time. And um, man, just that first uh, training scene where, you know, he's teaching her about what the Force is um, was also <laughs> one of the coolest moments in the movie and also one of the funniest. Yeah. Um, yeah, because... Uh, you know, he, he takes her up to, uh, you know, this sort of meditation place, like on top of a mountain. And he asks her, you know, what do you know about the Force? And she says, you know, it's a power that the Jedi have that uh, lets, you, lets you, you know, lift objects and control people's minds. And he's like, every word you just said was wrong. Yeah. You know, the Force <laughs> is not a power that the Jedi have um, that lets us just do things and control things. Um you know, it's and I love how it's basically like what Obi-Wan tells him in A New Hope that the force is an energy field that surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. But it was it was him conveying that same message in a much more elaborate and yeah. visual way. Um, and he has Ray sit down and meditate and he tells her, you know, reach out. And of course, Ray sits down cross legged and closes her eyes just like she like he tells her. And then she reaches out with her hand and you see Luke do such a hard eye roll. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, like I got back into training Jedi for this. Like I have to deal with this crap. Like you thought I meant stick your hand out. Um, and he's got a little, yeah. you know, a, a branch or a thick blade of grass or something. And so he starts tickling her hand with it. And he's, she's like, oh, I feel something. And he's like, oh, you feel that? That's the force. Oh, it's so strong. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited. And he smacks her with it. And he's like, <laughs> and that's when she realizes, oh, you meant uh, not literally reach out. And he says, reach out with your feelings. And um, but then, of course, she reaches out and starts, you know, he's like, what do you see? And it's, you know, life and death and light and darkness and you know, and the force being this balance that exists between all of it and, you know, an energy that's in tune with all things. And Luke says, you know, that's it. That's the force. Um, and it was so cool because, I mean, it's, it's a good question that she poses. I mean, we, of course, as Star Wars fans, have a, a good concept of, like, what is the Force, but it's still sort of this intangible thing, right? And so yeah. for him to not just sit her down and explain, like, okay, the Force is this, this, and this, it's like, no, you have to feel it. And especially for a Jedi to be able to use the Force, it's not like, oh, I know I'm a Jedi, I have midi-chlorians inside me, and I can Force push people. It's like, no, you have to reach out and meditate and just feel this energy around you and connect with it to even know what the force is 
Um, and I love that so much. I feel like that really brought, I mean, this movie as a whole, but especially this scene really restored some of the, uh, that mystical element to it. Um, mm. not that I particularly have a problem with like how the prequels handled it with midi-chlorians and all that. Um, I mean, that's probably not the way I would have gone about it, but I certainly don't have as much of an issue with it as some fans do. Um, and I think like midi-chlorians to me, that was never an explanation of like, what is the force? Exactly. I, that's, yeah. yeah, that's what determines who can and can't use the force or connect with it or, you know, whatever you want to say, but yeah, just how um, living things are able to talk with the force as Qui-Gon says you know how they're able to use it it's like it's yeah. not the force it's how living things use it yeah the, the more midi-chlorines you have the higher your force sensitivity um but the force itself is not made up of midi-chlorines but I still love that this brought back that mystical element of it that it wasn't again he he didn't really explain it and he certainly didn't try to break it down on a scientific level it's just, you know, we sort of see visually these things that Ray is describing that she's feeling and mm-hmm. sensing. And Luke says, that's the force. And we're able to kind of grasp that, you know, almost sort of feel that ourselves a little bit in a sense. Yeah. Um, so I that was also, you know, just one of my favorite scenes there. Um, just you know getting an instruction by jedi master luke skywalker of you know what is the force 101 totally agree i love this scene as well and you know we've heard many jedi masters explain the force throughout the movies qui-gon obi-wan yoda and now we're seeing luke do it but in such a cool new way that i think my favorite explanation of the force yet in any star wars movie it was Mm -hmm. so well done and just to think that it is Luke the one giving this lesson I mean this is the stuff we thought of how cool the possibilities were of a sequel trilogy of seeing Luke now in this mentor role and this is the scene right here this is Luke the teacher Luke the Jedi master explaining to a new student what the force is and I don't think it disappointed at all like you said I love how it started off as a little bit of you know a more humorous uh, situation with Ray reaching out and Luke pretending, you know, yes, he does feel and she whacks her with that bit of grass. You know, it was a humorous moment, but yet still a lesson that Luke was teaching her. And it was, it served both effects well, but it was just so well done how it was explained by Luke. But even before that, I just love how uh, Daisy Ridley as Ray, just as the student asking the question, but what is it? Just saying like such an innocent, curious way that any student who's learning about the Force would want to know. It was just you know, so well done on her part. It was just a few little sentences, but I thought you know, she delivered in a great way that any one of us would feel once we're learning about the Force. And then Luke goes into explaining it. And like you said, I liked how, and what makes it part of my favorite explanation of the Force is we're seeing what Rey is feeling. We get those little clips of when she says, you know, I sense life and we get a shot of the like a mother porg hugging the little porgs in a nest and then she says you know death and decay we go underground with the skeleton of a creature and just how death feeds into life and that made me think back to the Yoda arc in Clone Wars which I watched uh, as part of my preparation for episode 8 because you know we're going to be doing a lot with the force I wanted to make sure I watch as much stuff that deal with the force in Star Wars as I could so I watched Mortis and the Yoda arc beforehand but when Ray said that about uh, life uh, in, or death feeding into life again, it made me thought about 
uh, the lesson the priestess in the Yoda art taught Yoda of how, you know, death, like life becomes death and then death feeds into life again, the cosmic force into the living force and how, you know, they fit into, feed into each other and create the force. And I was kind of hoping maybe Luke would have said, you know, the for, the living force and the cosmic force. But even though he didn't, I, I think the same point was being driven there and how life and death feeds into each other and creates the force and the balance, as Ray says. And you're right, well, Luke, when she finally gets in and Luke says, yes, that's the lesson. But then I loved what he said after that. And, you know, leads to part into why I bought into him being, you know, done with the Jedi and how he says, you know, the force is not just limited to the Jedi. Can't you see that the vanity and that type of reasoning of how you limit the force just to the Jedi? It's not just for them. It's for every living being. So I just love that Luke's driving home the point of, you know, how flawed sometimes the Jedi were in Mm -hmm. viewing that and probably others in the galaxy viewing that. They were the only ones, you know, who could were able to use the force or could were allowed to use the force in some type of way. So all those points being driven home in this explanation of the force and Ray feeling it and just yeah, just really I just love how it drove home the point that with Luke's teaching, but yet you're feeling it as Ray is feeling it too. It's almost like we the audience is getting taught that lesson and you're feeling what Ray's feeling in the force. So it's just really well done. And then it goes into that part what's <laughs> I, I also loved about it of how Ray digging too deeper into the darkness when she says, you know, she sees that hole, that cave with looks like these vines coming out of it. It's all dark and black. And as Luke says, you know, where there's light, there's darkness. That feeds, That's the balance of it. But yet she kept digging deeper and deeper into it until, you know, she finally took too much out of her. And Luke was just shocked by like, you knew it was darkness, but it had answered you were looking for, and you went right into it. Like, you didn't even hesitate. And that's what sets him off to thinking about Ben Solo and Kylo Ren, and he says that line from the trailer, how, you know, I've only seen this raw strength uh, once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. But yet he actually mentions Ben Solo by name in the movie and instead of not hearing that in the trailer, which was kind of neat. But, mm. yeah, this scene was just perfect on so many levels definitely another one of the highlights of the film and like i said just something we've been dying to see from the sequel trilogy luke being the jedi master passing on some knowledge to a new student and i just got to say props to mark hamill and daisy really for such a well-performed sequence that you know really just as someone who eats up everything about the force and just craves new knowledge about it it was didn't necessarily get new knowledge from it in this sequence but it was just cool to see another way of having it explained and by Luke Skywalker, nonetheless. So, yeah, I absolutely love this scene. It was so well done. Yeah, I mean, just the way it was explained, it felt like new knowledge. Um, yeah. Because, that's, again, that's it's, it's like we know what the Force is, but just having it explained that way and sort of putting yourself in Ray's shoes, like to have this be your first lesson, like your first official lesson as to what this power is that you've discovered within yourself. Um and and just having Luke teach you, like, you know, reach out and feel like this is the force. It was just so cool. Um, but then, of course, it all ends with, um, you know, Luke kind of, um, you know, scolding her for, you know, going straight down that hole to the dark side. And um, her saying, well, you know, I, I felt the force all around this island and I didn't feel you at all. 
Um, and that's when she yeah. realizes that he's closed himself off to the force, which again was, you know, kind of a tough pill to swallow for, for those of us who grew up, you know, as fans of Luke Skywalker. Like I knew obviously that he wasn't going to be, um, you know, the big Jedi hero right off the bat coming into this movie. And I knew that he was going to, you know, obviously he's already closed himself off um, to the rest of the galaxy by hiding on this island. But the, to think that he would go so far as to uh, not just sort of give up and and say that the Jedi have to end, but that he doesn't even want to use the Force anymore um, was, I don't know, was, was shocking. Um, yep. And I... I kind of wasn't quite sure how to feel about that the first time, but um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think it definitely serves its purpose in the overall scheme of things. I mean, you see just how far he's not how far he's fallen necessarily, not that he's fallen to the dark side or anything, but just realizing that whatever has happened to lead him to this point is so traumatic that he's willing to, uh, you know, give up like to that extent. No. Yeah, I agree. And that's where, like I said earlier, how he didn't know about Han dying. That's where we got the answer when mm-hmm. he said, Ray found out, oh, you closed yourself off from the forest. And like, oh, okay, that explains it. But why would he do that? <laughs> you know, again, he just, as the scenes in Octo played out from when we first got there up until now, you just, you know, get more questions that you want answers for. Like you get a little bit revealed, but then you keep, have that why. Like, why is Luke doing that? Why, you know, did he close himself off? from the force and all that. So it was definitely adding more to the questions that of course we would get revealed later on, but you know, just adding more to the mystery and why Luke is on Octo and he's, you know, closing himself off. And what if I look back on it, I think it was the moment where they were in the tree and they were talking about the Jedi text and all that. And I think that's where Luke first said, I came or like, why do you think I've come to, you know, like the most like unfindable planet in the galaxy? And he said, I came here to die. That was another thing that took me, you know, for a loop as far as not expecting that to come from Luke Skywalker. And one of the things I had a little issue with on the first viewing, like, really, like, Luke would, you know, give up that much on not just the galaxy, but on itself, on himself just to die here. Because if you remember all the speculations that we've had after The Force Awakens about why Luke went to Octo, it, I don't think none of us said oh, we think he just went there to die. Mm-hmm. We always thought, oh, he went there to find new knowledge, how to confront Snoke or to go about things in a different way with the Force to defeat the First Order and all that because we know it didn't work uh, with Kylo Ren. But yeah, to get that revelation of he came here to die, it was shocking, but at the same time, very sad that Luke felt that way and to, for the circumstances that led him to Octo and for him to have that feeling where he can't help the galaxy anymore and or actually he would help the galaxy just by you know cutting off from the forest ending the jedi and thus officially ending it with his death as he was hoping for once he went there so all that was just you know some revelations we weren't expecting and was part of the you know <laughs> processing i had to do after i saw it and how i felt about luke being that type of character now so yeah definitely getting a lot of bombs dropped here about you know probably my if not my favorite top two favorite star Wars characters and just characters in general, you know, learning this new stuff about him. So yeah, it was definitely, like I said, that first experience is so much to take in. It makes it even more hard to do so when it's one of your favorite characters. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, interestingly enough, like my, my theory on that whole thing about him going to the Island to die is like, 
obviously I don't think that that was his intent when he first started trying to find that place. Because, I mean, like you said, he had that compass that we see him get in, like, the campaign for Battlefront 2. Um, and, you know, we know he, like, left behind pieces of a map and whatever. Like, I'm guessing that Octo is a place that Luke's been trying to find for a long time. And maybe around the time that Ben Solo turned against him was, you know, he had finally gotten the last piece of the puzzle or whatever or finally figured out where this place was and you know in sort of a sad twist of irony it was like he had originally wanted to go there to find a bunch of jedi artifacts or teachings or you know hope to learn more about the force um and then you know everything came crashing down around him and he was like well you know what i've got this map anyways um and, you know, so it's going to be really hard for anybody to follow me here because it's taken me so long and, you know, all these years of searching just to be able to find this place. Might as well go there and seclude myself from the rest of the galaxy. And obviously it's not like he's trying to commit suicide or anything. Like, he's not like I went to this island to, you know, to face, de face death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not like there's some dark side monster there that's going to kill him. But just basically, you know, cut himself off from the rest of the galaxy, live out his the rest of his days in peace and, you know, just die there without having to, uh, you know, face uh, the, you know, sort of face his past demons or whatever um, and without having to, you know, worry about getting back in the fight and, and uh, dealing anymore with the Sith and the Jedi and the Force and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I do think, too, because I know, this is probably a lot of what plays into the divisiveness of like, how could Luke do that and just turn his back on the galaxy? But I do honestly think he's doing this because he feels this is what's best for the galaxy. Him being mm -hmm. away from that and just closing off the Jedi and the Force, knowing how much more trouble it caused than good from his point of view when looking back on things, that that was the best way for the galaxy to go about. And like you said, since he cut himself off from the Force, and we don't know, I guess, the exact time period as far as like, you know, when he closed himself off in the force, like how big of a threat did he really know the first order was like, he just, I just get the sense. He really did not know like how big of a problem the first order and was, and even the dark side rising was at that point. And he probably figured, you know, it's just best if the galaxy would be better off. if I'm not involved with the Jedi and whatnot. And you know, if the force wills it, like, I don't think he not believes in the force the trust in it. It's just the ideas of the Jedi I think is what he's really has the problem with. And then, you know, it, it will find another way. It just, you know, it can't be him and the Jedi because it would just bring, you know, even more darkness to it. So I just get mm -hmm. the feeling that, you know, it's not that he's turning his back on the galaxy. It's just that this is what he thinks is best for it. Yeah. Well, and like you said, he has that, that line where he says to think that if the Jedi die, the light dies is, yeah. is foolish, you know, is, is prideful. Um, and so, yeah, he maybe thinks that just like, yeah, he's not that instrumental in the overall scheme of things that the Force will find another way to get by. Um, but also, I think he probably feels not just that the galaxy is better off without him, but probably the people closest to him. Mm -hmm. um, and we find out more of this later through some of the flashbacks and whatnot. Um, but that he basically feels personally responsible for, you know, for failing Ben Solo and for kind of creating Kylo Ren. Um, and, you know, feels so guilty that like Leia entrusted him with her son to train him 
um, to be, you know, a Jedi Knight and that he failed, like, and now, you know, the whole galaxy's in danger because of it, but not just the galaxy, but the fact that, you know, he created this kid and he, and obviously Luke didn't know this at the time when he went into hiding, but that he would, you know, go on to kill Han and, you know, almost kill Leia. It's like, um, he's like, rather than do anything to try to fix this and risk just messing it up further and, you know, putting my friends in further danger and risk, you know, letting them down again, I'm just going to get as far away from all of this as possible. No, oh, yeah. And I don't know. Do you want to jump into that sequence with the flashback and his conversation with Ray or do you want to come back to it? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, why not? We'll, we'll just stick with the, uh, the Octo stuff and then we'll get back to Canto bite. Um, I might try to speed this up a little bit cause I'm like, we're not even halfway through the movie yet. At this point we'll be going like five hours. Um, <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm sure would be fine for us, except, you know, some of us got to work early in the morning tomorrow. But, um, no, like, uh, yeah, so I forget at what point it is. Is it on the second lesson when he starts talking about that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so so Luke tells Ray he's going to give her three lessons in the Force and the ways of the Jedi and, you know, why they have to end. And so the one we just talked about was the first lesson where he, uh, you know, is teaching her just sort of about the nature of the Force and what it is. The second lesson... Um, he's basically teaching her about the the history of the Jedi um, and about the failures of the Jedi Order in the past. And he tells them, tells her, you know, at the height of their power, uh, the Jedi Order, you know, allowed Darth Sidious to rise up and destroy the Jedi and create the Empire. And you know, basically, you know, when they thought they were the most powerful, he rose up right under their nose and took everything away from them. Um, I just and, love how we mentioned Darth Sidious by Darth Sidious, not like Emperor Palpatine or whatnot. Just, you know, yeah. hearing that name Darth Sidious be said by Luke, so cool. I love that. Yeah, that was a pretty nice touch. Because, um, yeah, I thought about that afterwards. I was like, Luke never really knew him as Darth Sidious. But obviously, in you know his research and whatnot after the fact, um, you know, I'm sure if nothing else, like the spirit of Obi-Wan or Yoda or Anakin yeah. could have told him that. Um, but yeah, he's, he's basically just teaching Ray about, you know, sort of the, the folly and the hubris of the Jedi. Um, and then they get into, you know, his own backstory about, you know, what happened with him creating, um, you know, trying to rebuild the Jedi order. Um, and he says that, uh, you know, with Ben Solo, like, um, you know, Leia entrusted him to, to train her son. And so he took Ben and uh, like a dozen other students and created a Jedi training temple. And, um, you know, he, and he says too, that like he, he tried really hard not to repeat the mistakes of the past. He didn't want to be sort of a legend and whatever, but you know, people looked up to him and he was the last Jedi Knight and he felt like he had to uh, sort of continue on that legacy. And so he maybe in the end got a little bit full of himself and was like, okay, well, you know, I thought I could do this now. I thought I could, you know, start my own academy and, you know, train a new generation of Jedi. And, um, but then he talks about, you know, noticing the dark tendencies in Kylo. And, um, so he says he went to go confront him and realized, you know, he sort of saw into his mind and saw the darkness and that Snoke had already turned him way farther than he thought. And, you know, just went to go confront him about it. And Kylo, you know, turned against him and, um, you know, just sort of brought the whole thing crashing down. Um, and at that point, you know, early in the movie, you think, oh, okay, you know, that's what happened. He, he you know, went to confront Kylo and, uh, you know, he, he got angry or whatever. And that's when he turned on Luke. 
Um, and, you know, we get this scene like playing out three different times and each time kind of adding more to the story. Um, because then in another one of their sort of connections where Ray and Kylo are communicating, um, Ray says like, oh, I, I know all about you. And, um, you know, Kylo's like, did, uh, did Luke tell you what happened? Did he tell you, you know, why I turned on him? And she's like, oh yeah, I know everything I need to know. And he's like, yeah, well, I bet you he didn't tell you the real story. Like he came to confront me and, you know, I woke up one night and he was standing over me with his lightsaber about to murder me. Um, and, you know, you see this flashback scene play out again where Luke is standing over Kylo with his lightsaber ignited and just look, you know, with his eyes full of, you know, just this wild rage. Um, and he, uh, you know, goes to strike him down. And um, I think in that moment, that's when, you know, they, they go to touch each other and, uh, you know, then Luke comes in and just sort of disrupts the whole thing. And um, I think that's actually after Ray's sort of cave vision. Yeah, right? exactly. yeah. Mm. We'll and and we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, but Ray actually then, you know, gets angry and goes after Luke, and they have a uh, not a lightsaber duel, but a, a stick fight, I guess, because Ray's got Still her cool staff. And, <laughs> yeah, and Luke, you know, grabs a, you know, just breaks a pole off the top of one of his buildings or something, and they're actually having a you know, a, a fight in the rain. Um, and Ray like demands the truth out of him. He's like, is it true? Did you try to kill him? Did you create Kylo Ren? And Luke finally, you know, sort of confesses and tells her the whole truth, which is that, um, you know, he, like he said the first time, you know, he sensed the darkness in him. He went to confront him about it, um, reached into his mind while Kylo was sleeping, or I should say Ben, because he was still Ben Solo at this point, and just realized that the darkness inside him was way bigger and stronger than Luke could have imagined. And Snoke basically already had his claws in this kid, and Luke hadn't realized it yet. Um, and he just realized, like, oh, man, he's too far gone already, and he's going to cause the death and destruction of everything that I, you know, everyone that I love and everything that I've worked so hard to build because he's already fallen to the dark side. And Luke just has this brief moment of instinct where he ignites his lightsaber and feels like, I can just end this all right now. And the, the feeling, you know, passes in an instant, and he's left there just sort of ashamed of himself for even thinking that, you know, that was his first reaction. But then Ben wakes up and sees Luke standing there over him with his lightsaber. And, um, you know, I just, it was so just sort of deep the way that, you know, Luke says, like, and I was left with shame and consequences, as you see that Kylo actually, or Ben, you know, then reaches for his lightsaber and he's the one that attacks Luke. Um, and Luke kind of defends himself, but it's, you know, it was just sort of out of retaliation and still, you know, a feeling of, of self-defense. Um, and then that's when he, uh, you know, he brings the hut crashing down around Luke and Luke says, you know, he took a handful of my students with him and slaughtered the rest, you know, burned down the training temple. <laughs> yeah, which was very interesting because I, I'm sure you probably thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, well, now we know who the Knights of Ren are. Yep. Um, which I don't think that had even crossed my mind before, mostly because when, Me we, either, saw, yeah. when we saw that flashback in The Force Awakens, um, 
you know, they're all wearing the armor and stuff, but obviously Kylo is the only one that's got a lightsaber. So I assume the other guys were just, you know, mercenaries or bounty hunters or some other kind of warriors trained in like martial arts or something, but not in the force necessarily. Um, but these were all like fellow Jedi students that, uh, you know, that Ben Solo convinced turned to the dark side with him. Um, at least we're assuming so. I think it'd be a real waste if they don't, if JJ doesn't deliver on that front. Just none of the Knights of Ren, but then that little line of dialogue by what Luke said. It makes too much sense not for them not to be the Knights of Ren now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I really hope they come back around to that. And I hope we see them in episode nine because it's like, yeah, where where are those guys and what have they been up to this whole time? Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so obviously we get, you know, some really rich backstory here. And I mean, I thought we kind of, I mean, didn't have all the answers, obviously, but I felt like I was able to kind of plug that gap well enough myself um, just after The Force Awakens. Like we knew that Luke had been trying to train a new, I mean, like what Han says to, to Ray and Finn, that Luke was training a new generation of Jedi and one boy turned against him and destroyed it all. Um, and of course, we assumed that was Kylo Ren and we knew that Snoke, you know, played a role in that and, you know, in seducing him to the dark side and whatnot. Um, but now you really kind of see the reason that Luke feels so responsible and so guilty about this and the reason that he's chosen to cut himself off from the rest of the galaxy and even from the Force is not just because he failed in training a new generation of Jedi and it's not just because he was betrayed and because Kylo Ren turned against him, but it's because in one moment of weakness, he basically created kylo ren i mean even though the dark side was even though you know ben solo was already you know sort of on that path to the to the dark side and even though snoke had already been manipulating and influencing him um the fact that luke you know lost control for one brief moment um and that ben you know witnessed that and that was what caused him to to snap and really kind of set off on that path for good and to turn against Luke and his Jedi and everything. Um, and so suddenly it's like, oh, well, we thought we had answers before, but these are, you know, this is like what, like it makes even more sense now. Um, and again, this was something that I never would have imagined coming into this movie, but it was like, man, that was so deep and added like so many more layers to to the characters and the, the whole backstory of all of this and it's like oh man that's you know like not something that you would think luke would do but i mean at least for me you know maybe this is something that people are having an issue with but you know for him to just have a brief moment of instinct where he wants to you know strike him down to preserve everything else that he loves and that he's been working so hard for like can you really blame him for that i think one thing that this movie really did so well um you know and obviously you know some people might have an issue with the way luke is portrayed or whatnot but i think it shows that you know he's not a god he's not a a you know, he's he's sort of a legend to the rest of the galaxy, but he's still a man who can make mistakes just like the rest of us. Um, and I think that makes perfect sense. Like he's he might be a Jedi master, but he's not inhuman. Um, and I think, you know, they just played that all out so perfectly. Boy, wow. <laughs> this sequence, this is one of the ones where before like i didn't know about the first two i don't know how to feel about this we're getting 
new knowledge here. We're getting the backstory that we wanted. But I don't know how I feel about it. But now I love it. I think it's, you know, it's like this is one of those instances where I said it's a story that's being told so well, even regardless of, you know, how I feel about the direction they took Luke. But now after seeing it three times, I'm pretty much okay with it for a lot of the reasons you just said there. And but I'll kind of give my first initial reaction <laughs> after I saw about Kylo Ren saying Luke was the one who was going to murder him and he was acting out in self-defense. I was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, one of the big reveals we're getting in this movie and they're taking Luke down, you know, a darker path that I wasn't expecting. And what didn't sit right with me about it right away because it just made me think, you know, after everything Luke went through with Vader as him being the only one who could see the goodness in Vader, the conflict, and he can bring them back to the light. How can he not? How can he just think Kylo Ren or Ben Solo was beyond saving already? Even when he's still, you know, his apprentice and he's training him, why would he feel that he has to kill him right away? And yeah, you can kind of see that, you know, he wants to prevent another Vader. And we just got through, a, you know, so much tragedy and darkness with Vader and the Empire. He wants to snuff it out before it even gets started. But at the same time, it just to me, it felt so out of character for Luke to even feel that way. But then. Once we got Luke's side of the story, and I did like, too, how you said we got three different perspectives on it. And the testimony to Mark Hamill's portrayal and I guess Ryan Johnson's direction, too, how Luke was different in all three of those. You know, when Mark or Luke Skywalker was telling the story, we saw he was just, you know, afraid and just sensing the darkness in Ben Solo there. And then when Kylo was telling the story, we saw the rage in Luke's eyes and like, yeah, no way I'm letting you live like I'm going to kill you. And then when Luke's story, this is where I'm uh, probably on the second viewing where, you know, it's strange because I heard it the first time in understanding Luke's point. But I guess I was still you know, trying to deal with the shock that <laughs> this is the direction they're taking Luke. But once I saw it the second time and I heard Luke tell his version of what actually happened and him saying, you know, just for like the quickest instinct, I felt that way. And I ignited my lightsaber. But, you know, that moment fleeted away so quickly and I felt nothing but shame and then consequences. Those words, shame and consequence, that stood out to me more on the second time where, yeah, you could see how heavily that affected Luke. That one little bit of weakness caused, you know, the, pretty much the the creation of Kylo Ren. I mean, snow planted the seeds and there was already darkness in there, but this is what set Ben Solo off. And I think it works well for both characters in the story that the sequel trilogy is taking them now with Ben Solo feeling, you know, <laughs> the hatred that he does for, you know, his family now and going into the dark side. I mean, just imagine waking up to seeing your uncle with a green lightsaber <laughs> pointing right at you. Of course, that's going to kind of set you off the deep end if you already have those dark tendencies already. But just for Luke as a character and where the story's taking him in this movie, it felt more natural once we heard Luke's side of things and just the shame and regret that he has for it and just how, you know, that one quick instance, you know, set off the darkness again. And I just liked his dialogue after he was telling that story to Ray. It was like, it was Luke Skywalker, a legend. And just how, like you said, it doesn't elevate him to like a perfect status. He can make mistakes too. And he made a big one in that one moment there. It was almost like, you know, he went away a little bit from what made him redeem Darth Vader and not to not to fight, you know, with this lightsaber, 
and just kind of leaning more towards towards those old Jedi tendencies. Maybe he was thinking that way because he was studying more of the Jedi philosophy, trying to build it back, and he fell into the trap that you know cost the Jedi the order. And that one quick instance was all it took to you know set things you know back in motion for you know Kylo Ren to the fall of the dark side, the dark side to grow in power. That was all it took. That one moment of you know as Luke said, it was describing it to Ray. You know him being a Skywalker that you know strong royal blood bloodline so to speak he has his nephew right there of course i can train him no problem i'm a skywalker he has my blood it should be no problem but you know that pride that hubris was the cause of his downfall and i liked how too when ray tried to you know make him see you know like it was you who brought darth vader back from the light you saw the conflict and then luke you know said yeah and i became a legend a legend who made a big mistake later so i just loved how that all tied into Luke and the path that he took and Kylo Ren, the dark side path that he took with that. It just made so much sense. And like I said, it didn't click with me the first time just because I think I was just so in shock <laughs> of seeing Luke like that. And how could he even for a second think of doing that and igniting his lightsaber? But once I saw it again and you know was able to take it all in, knowing to, what to expect it and maybe catch certain lines of dialogue that worked a lot better for me and understanding that you know, it did feel like a natural course for Luke to take in that moment, but yet quickly feeling remorse. But then, you know, just feeling the need to recluse himself because of that, knowing that, you know, all the problems that I guess comes with the Skywalker name, it just, that was another problem that I have. It's like the legacy of the Skywalker name is just how it's being recognized for, you know, more failure than good now. That's still something that's not 100% sitting with me quite well. We'll see how everything wraps up in episode 9. But even in this movie, I think it gets more, it ends more on a positive note than maybe when I first initial thought. But just in this moment and circumstances with what's going on and being revealed, I was a little disappointed to see, you know, that, you know, if the Skywalker line ends with Ben Solo and he doesn't get redeemed, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to end on the greatest of notes. But we'll come back to that later. But just in this whole instance with Luke telling the story, yeah, it was a shocker, but, you know, seeing it again two more times, it was something that, you know, it felt natural for the character, and I'm pretty much okay now, but regard okay with it now. But even if I wasn't, it was still something that was done really well with Luke telling the story, the dialogue, and how he felt explaining to Ray about how he felt about his family bloodline, the Jedi, and all that. It just worked really, really well. So, yeah, just more great stuff with Luke and Ray here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Luke, Ray, and Kylo, because I feel like... Yeah, um, one thing, yeah. I think one one thing this really did for me was it made Kylo Ren into a more sympathetic character, um, mm. because I mean, even though he he even admits to Ray, like Ray calls him a monster, and he's like, "Yeah, I am a monster," but you understand now, like why he is the way he is, and it's not almost in a way not entirely his fault. I mean, he's made his own choices, but um, you know, one thing that I I thought of, um, you know, just watching the versions of the story of, um, you know, when he turned on Luke, like the seeing it play out those three different ways. Um, you know, I thought of um, what Obi-Wan tells Luke in the original trilogy about, you know, the truth being, you know, depending on your own point of view. And I feel like, you know, obviously the like uh the last version of the story that we get from luke you know i think we're meant to believe is like how it actually happened i'm like from his perspective 
the the version that Kylo tells is not entirely wrong. Like, if you woke up in the middle of the night with somebody standing over you with a lightsaber, you wouldn't be entirely wrong to assume, you know, your first instinct to be to protect yourself thinking that they're trying to kill you. Um, especially when, you know, you know that, you know, you've maybe dabbled in some stuff that you shouldn't have and that this person maybe wants to try to stop you from that. So, um, you know, I can't blame him for jumping to that reaction of thinking that Luke was trying to kill him. And, you know, in his eyes, he probably did see that Luke was trying to murder him. Um, you know, so like when he tells that to Ray, I don't think he's lying to try to sort of manipulate her. Like that's the story from his point of view. Um, and I think it makes him, you know, not redeemed or anything, um, especially when you find out, you know, Luke's real side of the story where it's like he wasn't actually going to kill him, but, you know, he just had a brief moment of weakness. But it definitely, um, you know, again, made Kylo Ren a little bit more relatable and sympathetic as a character. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that whole thing was just, I thought, executed so well. And I think with a lot of stuff in this movie that people might have an issue with it's like it might not be the story that we wanted or expected but i don't think you can deny that the story itself is told really well yep um, that's what i had to come to realize <laughs> yeah i mean at least that's my take on it i know there are still some people out there who just think it's absolute garbage for one reason or another but i'm like even if it's not the story you wanted or you know the story you were expecting i think if you can get past that and at least appreciate sort of the way that the characters are developed and you know just the way the story progresses i think it's it's done really well and just a really well told and executed story no oh, yeah i agree it really really is i mean like i said probably couldn't see it just of the initial shock of seeing it the first time but i really got to appreciate it, the story ryan johnson was trying to tell here and again like you said we can't expect the stories of these characters like Luke, who we hold in such high regard to be, you know, perfect all the time. They're going to have dark moments and just moments in their lives where it's just things aren't going right. And in Luke's case, it went really bad. Even though with just one quick little instance, it had dire, dire consequences. And, you know, I just, I totally buy in now to why Luke would do what he do and go to Octo and see why he thinks the Jedi have to end. I mean, he fell into relying on his Skywalker legacy and Jedi teachings, which again proved not to be the right course. I, like I said before, I think he, that moment he had in Jedi where he throws the lightsaber away and rejects to fight Palpatine to save his father. He lost sight a little bit of that once he was, you know, confronted with Ben Solo there and that cost him dearly. So, you know, mm. you can't be perfect all the time. Like you said, in that one moment of weakness there with his family member, it just, you know, it ended up being, just the wrong time to feel that way and just like i said had big consequences for him and again makes sense to why he would go to octo and feel the way he does about it right then yeah but also on the flip side like yeah he threw his lightsaber away and and you know defied the emperor and you know refused to fight and refused to kill his father and redeemed him to the light side instead of killing him but moments before that he was just about ready to kill him yeah. You know, when, when Luke was hiding what? and said he didn't want to fight anymore and Vader threatens Leia, Luke comes out saber swinging and hacks his arm off and, you know, is just about ready to kill him and has to take a moment to gather himself and sort of recompose himself and say, no, you know what? 
you know, when it comes down to it, when it really counts, I'm going to make the right choice. So obviously, That's a great point, Kyle. I'm glad you mentioned that. That actually makes me feel even better about the whole situation, even though I'm becoming more around to it. Because, yeah, it makes sense that Luke has that in him already to feel that way, to you know, act on instinct, like he said he did in that moment with Kylo Ren, and he did go back to feeling like, no, this is wrong, but it was just a little too late. So. I'm glad you brought that out and, you know, kind of thinking, well, how come I didn't realize that before? But <laughs> it's a great point that it makes sense for Luke as a character even more so. Yeah. And I mean, even when uh, you go back to Empire, when Yoda says there's much anger in him like his father, um, you know, Luke isn't perfect. Like he and, and he is Anakin Skywalker's son. Like, um, you know, he might let his emotions get the better of him every now and then. And even though he obviously does a much better job of controlling it than Anakin did. Um, and at the end of the day, like I said, you know, he wasn't going to kill Kylo Ren. Like he would have made the right choice. But it, I, I think it's perfectly within his character for him to have those fleeting moments of, you know, maybe showing a bit of emotional weakness. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was all played out, you know, really well. And I thought that was a really strong part of the story. Yeah. And real quick, before we move on, just got to mention, too, even though, you know, I'm a blue lightsaber kind of guy, it was still pretty cool to see that green lightsaber ignited. Oh, it's, <laughs> so, well, I'm a green lightsaber guy, so I loved seeing that again, even if it was just in the flashbacks. Yeah, it was still cool to see that classic Return of the Jedi lightsaber again. So, yeah, couldn't talk about that moment without bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um so then to to cap that all off, um, you know, once Ray finally gets the truth out of Luke, she's now determined um, through, you know, these sessions where she's been, you know, communicating with Kylo and especially when they touched at the or, you know, in, in the last one and kind of had this moment of almost being able to sort of see a vision of each other's future. Um, she's now convinced that she can bring him back to the light side. And so she takes off, um, you know, after her fight with Luke. And uh, that's when he says, this is not going to go the way you think. And she's like, no, watch me. I can bring him back. Um, and so she leaves Luke on the island and takes off in the Falcon. Um, Before, I do like, though, that she gave Luke one more chance to be the one to come back with her. Like she says, okay, it's not going to go. She doesn't say it, oh, but Oh, that's fine. true. Yeah. You know, it's not going to go the way I think. Okay. Here's the lightsaber. I love how she just hands it back to him, just like she did at the end of The Force Awakens, beginning of this movie. Come on, take it. Come with me. Let's go. And Luke is like, no, I can't. He doesn't say anything, but the look on his face is just like, and then she just goes, well, then Ben's our only hope. And that's what she leaves on that note. And I just loved how she gave him that one more opportunity to join her. You know, just the fact that he, she was there to bring him back. And even though he didn't want to, and things were going south after that fight. And then she just gave him that one more opportunity. So I love that she did that. Yeah, no, that was definitely cool. I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of forgot about that. But um, yeah, it, you know, just circling back around to the beginning of the movie and to the end of the last movie um, where, you know, he's like, no, you, this isn't going to go the way you think. Ben's too far gone. And she's like, okay, well, we need a hero. We need a Jedi. Like, you want to do it? And no okay well then i'm gonna go redeem ben solo um and then she takes off leaves luke there and i think it goes right from that into my favorite scene of the movie um which is luke is now by himself on octo he goes to uh 
you know, the, the tree cave thing that Ray had gone into that had all the, the ancient Jedi texts in there. Um, and he goes up with this torch and he's going to burn the whole thing down. Um, and as he's walking up to it, you see none other than the force ghost of Yoda just kind of watching him. And Luke senses him and he turns around and, you know, just that recognition and hearing him say Master Yoda again was just really cool. Um, mm. And he's like, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to end it all. I'm going to burn it all down. Um, and then he stops and he second guesses himself. And, you know, I, I think he was kind of just doing this out of anger or out of, you know, giving up. Um Maybe he doesn't believe in Ray at this point. Maybe he thinks she's going to fail. He thinks she's going to die or turn to the dark side or something. Um, and, you know, he's just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm burning it all down. And then kind of stops himself and goes, eh, no, maybe this isn't the best idea. And Yoda goes ahead and, you know, uses the force as a force ghost to, like, manipulate the weather, calls down a bolt of lightning that strikes the tree and burns the whole thing down. And Luke is suddenly like, wait, no, what are you doing? Like, those are the sacred Jedi texts. And, um, you know, and, and he and Yoda just sit down and have this conversation where even though Luke is now supposed to be the old wise Jedi master, you realize that he still has a lot to learn mm. um, and seeing Yoda still be able to impart wisdom to him and teach him lessons. And he's saying that, um, you know, I passed on my teaching to you, you passed your teaching on to Ray and like, she already has everything that she needs in, you know, inside her, like the the jedi order is more than just a bunch of dusty old textbooks and i love that line he has where he says you know read them have you page turners they were not <laughs> yep. um, and uh i actually think though he might be talking literally that ray has everything she needs from those books because she has the books <laughs> well yeah and we see that at the end of the movie there's a, a brief shot on the millennium falcon where you see that she actually took a few of those with her um which i'm definitely glad she did <laughs> yeah and and we'll see how that plays out in the next movie if you know if that was just sort of an easter egg for this movie to know that you know those texts still exist or if that's actually going to play a big role in episode nine with uh you know her learning more about the force from those texts or anything like that but um i mean i i think still you know, whether the books got burned or not, or whether or not Yoda knows that Ray actually has them. Um, still, it, it, you know, either way, it was just a great teaching moment about sort of letting go of the past and um, sort of broadening your horizons, I guess, like not being so stuck in the old way and realizing that, you know, the Jedi is, it's the Jedi and the Force. It's not textbooks about the Force, you know, like to uh you know just sort of moving forward and learning from the past and learning from your strengths and in you know the wisdom of the masters who came before you but also about learning from failures yes. um and yoda you know sort of teaching luke an important lesson about you know don't just like hide out here on your island and try to pretend nothing ever went wrong or try to hide your failure from the rest of the galaxy and hide it from ray like you know, it's important that you pass that on too so that she can learn from that and not repeat those same mistakes. And he talks about how, you know, how powerful of a teacher failure is um, because, you know, you can learn some of the, the strongest and toughest lessons from that. 
Um, and to hear, you know, of course, Frank Oz voicing Yoda again, to see Yoda back as a puppet and to uh, just hear Yoda's theme playing through that whole scene as Luke and Yoda just sit there and watch the tree burn mm -hmm. and talk about the force and, you know, life lessons and master and student relationships. Um, it was just so, so great. It, it was one of those unexpected things where I think we had heard rumors that like there, that Yoda might've appeared as a force ghost in this movie. And I think we'd also heard rumors too, that Anakin might appear as a force ghost. Yeah, and that so, was my hope, I know. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because this it didn't really fully hit me until my second time through because I think the first time I watched it, I was kind of watching it with my own expectations of thinking like, oh, is Anakin going to show up too or maybe Obi-Wan or something or is it just Yoda? Yeah, um, I thought the same thing. <laughs> and so seeing it for the second time and just appreciating the interaction between Luke and Yoda, I was like, you know what? I love this so much right now. And I loved it the first time around too, but... I mean, I was, this is one of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars and definitely my favorite scene in the movie, um, which is saying something because there's so many other awesome moments in this movie, um, you know, some of which we've already talked about and some of which we still have yet to get to. But, um, yeah, I this was just, you know, this this is what Star Wars is all about for me. I loved it so much. Yeah, it was a nice surprise, even though we were kind of hoping we'd have a Forest Ghost moment in the movie. Like I said, I was kind of hoping to be all three of them, but I'll take one with Yoda and Luke again. It was great. And a small little thing, I loved how Yoda just called Luke young Skywalker, even though mm. we're seeing Luke as, you know, the older Jedi now. The fact that Yoda still refers to him as young Skywalker was just so, so cool. And then, you know, still imparting wisdom and <laughs> being like the old Yoda we knew from Empire. And just at first, I had trouble hearing what he was saying too because the audience was clapping and you know laughing a little bit. Once Yoda calls down the lightning, which in itself is awesome to know that Force Ghost is still able to affect the physical plane <laughs> and mm. use the Force that way. But when he was giggling and laughing, the theater erupted in laughter. Was kind of took a little bit for it to die down to hear his dialogue after. But again, hearing it the second time, he was able to appreciate again the lesson that he was imparting on Luke there. It was. So good, and the one that really struck me was saying how failure the greatest lesson that could be um, when you're teaching, and that really drove the home drove home the point to Luke. And again, he even had to call back some of his old lessons, saying it's like still looking up the horizon, mm -hmm. you know, not his mind here now <laughs> where it belongs, and then just bopping him on the head with the cane. It was just like this classic Yoda stuff we're seeing again, but again, Luke's older now, so yeah, it was a great moment. I did think the puppet looked a little off to me in the first few shots, especially when he was kind of giggling and laughing after call down the lightning. I just think a little bit too, which I think made it look a little strange to me, was that the him being a spirit wasn't highlighted too much. Like the tinted blue on him wasn't was kind of toned down. Didn't look like how it did in Return of the Jedi. So maybe that why it looked a little different and a little off to me. But at the same time, it was still great to see Yoda and hearing him interact with Luke was such a highlight of the movie. So yeah, I'm just glad that's one of the hopes that we had going into it paid or ended up happening where we got to see a force ghost moment with Luke uh, and Yoda. So yeah, it was great. And I just hope more force ghosts to come in episode nine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Hopefully this is sure. just the start. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, 
the puppet did look a little bit different. Like, it didn't look like Yoda straight out of The Empire Strikes Back, but it was pretty darn close. And it was a mm. whole heck of a lot better than the one that they used for The Phantom Menace the first time around. So <laughs> That is going to be worse without puppet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be replacing this with uh, CGI Yoda on the Blu-ray anytime soon. Um, and just, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, when we had been speculating about that, um, I mean... We, you know, we had a feeling that we might see a Force Ghost Yoda, but just the idea of him coming back as a puppet again, like, hadn't even crossed my mind. And I ended up loving that so much because it felt like, you know, we're right back in Empire Strikes Back. Um, yeah, that was just, just just such a perfect, nice nostalgic touch. Yeah, and how perfect is it, too? Because this is the last we see of Luke in the movie for a while till we get mm-hmm. to the end. But how perfect it is that it's Yoda again imparting wisdom on Luke that, you know, really kicks him back into the gear you know we r2 gave him that little nudge and yoda i think makes him come full circle on it which you know gets him involved later on in the final battle but i'm just glad you know it was yoda and that bit of wisdom that got luke back to where he needed to get to it was kind of like a mixture of help from a little bit of everybody r2 uh ray and then finally yoda being the one to really get him back to becoming you know who he was before everything that happened with ben solo so it was just a great capper to and you know this part of the story with Luke in the movie until he comes back later on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So moving on from all the Octo stuff, cause we pretty much got all that in one shot. Um, so much great stuff though. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, let's go back to the resistance with uh, Finn and Rose. So they, they leave the resistance fleet. Um, after talking to Maz, they go to Canto bite. Um, the casino planet where they're trying to find this master code breaker who Maz says can help them, you know, break and break into uh, the first order star destroyer um, and be able to shut this tracker down. Um, So they go to, you know, Canto bite this big casino city. um, And of course, you know, Finn is just taken totally, you know, by surprise by all the just sort of the extravagance of it. And he loves it. Um, and Rose kind of hates it and he, you know, he's like, man, this place is so great. Like, why don't you like it? And she kind of opens his eyes to the fact that, you know, you got all these rich people, you know, playing their casino games and stuff. Um, but basically the reason they're so rich, like she tells him all these people make their money from selling weapons to the first order and profiting off of war and kind of crushing, uh, the common folk under their foot, basically, um, and so it ends up kind of being a, you know, a bit of a story there where they get to, um, you know, they meet some of like the sort of help the the downtrodden locals out a bit. Um, you know, you got those kids that are taking care of the uh, the fothiers, which are like the the race horses, um, and those kids kind of help them escape and. Uh, you know, set the horses loose and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what did you think of, uh, of the whole Canto bite sequence? Cause that seems to be another thing that's, you know, kind of divisive among people. Ah, Canto bite. <laughs> There's things I like about it. Things I really didn't like about it. Um, visually, I think it looked, it looked kind of cool. It's a different, you know, scenario we haven't seen in a star Wars movie before. We've been wanting different and this is something different that we got the casino in star Wars universe. Overall, I like the look of it. I just think some of the games, like the the tables they were playing on and the slot machines, maybe look a little too real world. Maybe some could have been like holograms to that effect. 
or instead of just really being like these gambling tables and with the sticks and all that, the dice, but uh, some of that felt a little awkward and maybe a little too real world for it to be in the Star Wars universe, but I don't know. Just some of it looked good, some of it didn't. And some of the moments in there really took me out of it, I gotta say. Some of the comedy in there with that little alien creature looked like a leprechaun being drunk and putting the coins <laughs> into BB-8. And then even BB-8 using that, like his arsenal full of coins, using it as a gun and shooting out the police guards of Con- Cantobite and then, you know, blowing it off like he's blowing off a gun steam. Like, uh, like it was almost like they're trying to recapture the thumbs up moment, which was awesome, but it didn't quite land for me and have the same effect. That was another one of the humor moments that I could have done without, but... And then that moment, too, where they actually find the code breaker and they say and play, see, see him playing a game on the table, that really took me out of thinking I was in Star Wars. Almost like, oh, I'm in a James Bond movie or something like that. <laughs> Even the music it plays when they see him, it really swells up into this theme that did not feel like Star Wars at all. And then hearing the code breaker talk where after Finn and Rose get stunned for the parking violation, that was another thing, that alien who sounded like Goofy. Like, yep, that's them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, like that, that, you know, no big deal. I could take it or leave it. But then hearing the Codebreaker talk, like I said, with the music, and he goes, like, I forget his exact dialogue. This goes, like, not now, lovey. I'm on a roll. It's like, uh, (laughs) that just did not feel like something out of Star Wars at all. Just felt like a laugh and trying to, too big of a nod to stuff we're familiar with in those type of movies where someone's playing a game in a casino. So, I didn't like that stuff with Canto Bite, but the stuff I did like was like you were saying the story behind it, you know, profiting off of war and how, you know, as Rose even said uh, before Finn and her land there is like it's filled with some of the worst people in the galaxy. But then you just see, you know, like the contrast of what she's talking about, where like everyone's, you know, proper rich, they're like very sophisticated, they don't look like they're scumbags. And we like when she said that, it kind of harkened back to Moss Eisley thinking about the scum and villainy there. Mm-hmm. But it's a different type of, you know, like bad people in there profiting at the expense of others and because of war. And I absolutely love the Fathiers. That was the highlight of Canto Bite to me. Seeing them, you know, on that race sequence, or not the race sequence, but their escape sequence and the chase running through the casino and throughout the streets of Canto Bite, I thought was great. As an animal lover myself, the, the message it was sending, with, you know, you got to see those, the Fathiers get abused, but then seeing them being rescued. Uh, by Finn and Rose once you know they show themselves to be with the resistance for those uh, stable uh, the stable boy and he helps them escape so uh, yeah maybe it's a little on the nose about you know you know helping the animals and whatnot but I I eat that stuff up it's, it makes you feel good so I like that part of it and then them escaping off it so first half of Canto Bite some of the jokes they played there not a big fan of but once they see meet the Fathiers and they have that chase sequence I love that part so that was another different thing for Star Wars that. I thought was uh, worked well, but at the same time being something we haven't seen before. So Canto Bite is a mixed bag for me. <laughs> yeah, and I could say it's a mixed bag for me too. I mean, I I don't think I had as much of an issue with it as some people did. Um, I feel like a lot of the stuff you're talking about, like the comedy moments that didn't work for you were more for me just kind of like, eh, I could kind of take it or leave it. Like I didn't have a problem with the you know, the little leprechaun alien dude, like, sticking the coins in BB-8, but I also didn't find it hilarious or anything. Mm. Um, I did think it was kind of cool when BB-8, like, shot those coins back out later and then did the little blowing off his gun thing. That was kind of (laughs) cute. And, I mean, I, you know, 
cute droids I can take, you know, more of any day. Um, BB-8 doing all his little tricks and stuff. But, um, yeah, and, the, you know, as far as the uh, the visuals I loved, um, and when you're talking about, you know, them rescuing the Fothiers and stuff, there's a shot of Finn and Rose on one of the Fothiers, like, riding across the beach with, like, yeah. twin moons in the background behind them. And I was just like, man, if that's not screenshot material for like mm -hmm. a computer background yeah. or something. Um, man, it was just, you know, gorgeous shot right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as far as the, the overall feel of like the casino itself, I mean, I kind of feel what you're talking about. Like it didn't feel like what we're used to from star Wars, but it also felt like a new location in star Wars. Um, I was like, this totally could be a place that exists, right? Like, yeah. You know, I, I had no issue with that. Um, as far as it, you know, sort of feeling different or out of place or whatever, like, there were times when this movie felt like, it almost felt like a Star Wars story rather than, like, one of the episode movies just because it was kind of so different in, like, look and tone and feel and stuff to what we're used to. But I kind of liked that. Um, and this was definitely like the, the whole Canto bite sequence was one of the things that really stood out to me. Like kind of the first time I was like, Hey, I'm not really sure if I like just how different this feels. And then the second time around, I was like, you know what? I do like this because this is what I wanted from this trilogy. Um, you know, back when we were, you know, looking forward to this, like before the force awakens even came out, I was like, okay, what are these new star Wars movies going to look and feel like? And then the force awakens came out and I'm like, Oh, well, I guess it's going to look and feel just like the original trilogy. <laughs> and it's then like, you almost get whiplash with the last Jedi because now it's so different that at first I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure if I like this. And then I was like, no, actually I think I do like it because this is what I was looking forward to in the first place. And then I just kind of, I don't know, lost that with the force awakens. Um, but no, I really like that. They, that they took chances and did some different stuff and that, uh, yeah, you know, it kind of looked and felt different. Um, and there wasn't anything not... on Canto bite that I, that I really hated. I mean, I can see, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about, but for me, it was just, it was all part of like this new experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, we'll see, like once I've watched it a bunch on Blu-ray and stuff, sort of if that starts to feel like a normal part of the Star Wars universe, because right now it's just like it's a new looking thing in a new Star Wars movie and it just feels so different from everything else. But I think with time, it'll be like that's just another Star Wars planet that we're used to. Yeah, and I guess it's not really so much Canto Bite itself. It's some of the things that happen in Canto Bite mm -hmm. <laughs> that I could do without. But like as a planet uh, or technically the planets uh, cannot cantonica i think was the name but the city is cantobite but like oh, it looked right. good and it was neat to see it different but yeah just some of the stuff that happened inside that casino i could do without yeah i will i will agree with you the whole you know sort of piece of that story you know hinging on like oh they find the code breaker but then they can't get his help because they get arrested for a parking violation that was a little odd yeah um, <laughs> But, you know, I don't know. It wasn't terrible. Um, yeah. Leads this is something to, you got to take when you see it. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And leads to them being in prison and meeting Benicio Del Toro's character, who I now see why they say, like, oh, on set we called him DJ. It's like they never actually said his name in the movie. Um, but we do it, know what it means, though. I don't know if you heard about that. Was, even in the visual guide, too, he has on the cap that he wears, 
what it says on there, uh, don't join. And so everyone refers to him just as DJ because oh. that's his motto, don't join. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But, yeah. well, except now it kind of doesn't because now it's like you're calling him don't join. That's not a name. <laughs> um, but I thought he was a really interesting character. Um, it, it was sort of reminiscent of Lando as one of those characters with, like, shades of gray, except whereas Lando is kind of morally complicated but ends up being a bad guy or a good guy in the end um this dj character is totally right in the middle like out for himself and it's not just because he's you know selfish and he's like a bounty hunter or anything but it's also because you know he just sort of sees this gray area where he's like resistance first order like they've both got issues and i just don't really care to get involved with either of them um, and I like how he even points out to Finn, like they steal a ship to, to get away at the end. Um, and, uh, you know, he's going through the log of whoever owned the ship and he's like, oh yeah, this person made their fortune by selling, you know, all these weapons to the first order. And you're seeing holograms of TIE fighters and walkers and stuff. And he's like, oh, and to the resistance and you see an X-wing, um, and, you know, kind of just making the point that like, you know, when people are profiting from war and stuff, like the good guys and bad guys aren't always clear like both sides have to kind of do unpleasant things and there's you know maybe good guys and bad guys on both sides and that he's like you know what i just say live free and don't get involved Mm -hmm. um so it was like an interesting new perspective because obviously again with lando he was like kind of a good guy because he was han's friend but then he just kind of got morally compromised and then wanted to kind of make up for it in the end and this was a guy who's like look i ain't even taking sides and i'm not gonna pretend to take sides like i'll work with you for the money and then later on you know they get captured by the first order and he's like well now we got captured so i'm gonna make a deal with these guys and just take care of number one yeah dj he's probably my least favorite of the new characters introduced in this movie like you said i kind of like what they were trying to do with him and you know, how his view on the galaxy and, you know, as he calls it, you know, it's a machine. It's like best not to get involved in one side or the other. But some of the things was a little over the top with him, like like the stuttering that he did. It was almost like we're seeing a live action Porky Pig and <laughs> <laughs> certain things that he would say. So, yeah, he had his moments, though. Uh, I did like, like you said, that moment where they're on the ship and, you know, he's ex- showing Finn. Yeah, this, you know, we're... Uh, the citizens of Canto Bight, if I can get that out, are make are profiting off of the good guys or the bad guys and the good guys, and you know just you know driving home the point to Finn, where like you know just best not get involved, and like as I said, I think he even said in that moment, don't join, if I remember correctly. So some of this, like I like the direction they went with them, but some of the stuff was a little over the top. Like I know they're trying to be funny with them, but I don't know. Every time he talked, I wasn't laughing. The only thing that made me laugh was when he was they're about to enter Snoke's. Uh, ship and he's enter all the codes and he's explaining what he's doing he's all blip bobbity bloop and we're in <laughs> something like that but that was the only part that got a chuckle out of me but it, it was kind of nice of how they were showing that he wasn't until the very end not all bad where he asked for rose's uh, necklace in order to kind of like a down payment for his help but he really just needed it because he knew the metal that it was to be the best way to break into the room as like a circuit breaker and then once he's done, he hands it back to Rose, you know, showing that he's not fully a bad guy. He kind of has a heart. But then when it's all said and done and the chips are down for him, he's going to look out for himself and nobody else. And 
I've heard a lot of backlash too about how Finn and Rose's mission pretty much was pointless because it didn't amount to anything because they failed their mission. But at first I kind of, yeah, that's kind of true. But then thinking about it, it did serve, you know, maybe two purposes. One is that, you know, not all missions go according to plan. And it was kind of nice to see, you know, a different take where it fails and they don't complete their mission. But at the same time, it served the purpose that without them finding DJ and DJ selling them out, the first order would have no idea that the resistance were making their escapes on those transports. They would just keep following the main flagship and would have no idea they were on crate. And we wouldn't get the battle of crate if it wasn't for DJ selling them out and mm-hmm. the whole sequence that plays out bringing Luke Skywalker back. So at the end of the day, it wasn't the purpose maybe that we were expecting and having them fulfill their mission, their mission. It did, you know, serve as a purpose to the events that unfolded on the battle of crate. So it wasn't a total waste, <laughs> but DJ as a character, kind of a mixed bag for me, and probably, like I said, the least, my least favorite of the three main new characters that were introduced in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would maybe say he was my least favorite by default, just because I liked, I liked Rose and uh, Admiral Haldo a lot too. But no, I liked him. Um, and I mean, some of the stuff you were talking about with the comedy, you know, not quite landing or whatever. I mean, I didn't see it as comedy quite so much like I, I don't remember all of his lines or whatever but to me he didn't seem like he was trying to come off as a comic relief character or something he just felt kind of more uh quirky um and almost you know like almost kind of more serious than than he appeared on the surface because you know he had the you know just sort of so many quirks in the way he talked and all that kind of stuff but um it didn't really feel like to me they were trying to play it for laughs too much it was more just kind of like just kind of keeping you on your toes. Like this guy seems kind of lighthearted, but like, what is he really up to? Um, that was just kind of how I read into it. Um, but no, I mean, I, I liked that character. He was probably one of my favorite parts of the, the whole Canto bite storyline as a whole. Cause you know, overall it was like, I mean, I liked it, but it wasn't definitely wasn't my favorite part of the whole movie. Um, and yeah, as far as it seeming sort of pointless overall, um, I mean, you make a good point. Like, yeah, the sort of the conclusion of their mission was pointless in the grand scheme of things for them, but it obviously was pivotal to the events of, you know, the story and the movie and whatnot. Um, and again, I like that, you know, it kind of took an unexpected route there mm-hmm. um, that, you know, missions don't always go according to plan. And sometimes you fail, exactly. sometimes you get betrayed. It was a little weird that... Um, the whole mission sort of the, the failure of their mission hinged on the one little B, evil BB-8 droid um, <laughs> spying on them. But um, yeah, but yeah no, I, I did. I did like how uh, BB-8 like they didn't have anything to disguise them with, so Finn just took like a trash bin, dumped it on them, and pretended to be a larger mouse droid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was hilarious when BB-8 was rolling around the inside of the Star Destroyer, like making the mouse droid noises. Yeah, uh, I love that. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was funny. Yeah, that was into a star cool. trooper. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is a good point to segue back to the other Resistance storyline and talk about what's been going on with uh, Poe and with Admiral Haldo and everybody on the Resistance ships as they're still getting chased by the First Order, um, while uh, Rose and Finn are off on their mission. Um, and so, you know, you see this growing distrust between Poe and Admiral Haldo, and he's just getting really impatient sitting around waiting for her to sort of come up with a plan and he keeps barging into uh 
you know, her, her barging onto the bridge and demanding like, hey, what's going on here? We're running out of fuel. We need a plan. Um, and she's like, relax, I've got a plan. You don't need to know about it. And eventually Poe ends up staging a coup against her, basically. And um, or he figures out that, you know, the, the uh, well, the resistance had like three ships to begin with. Eventually their other two support ships like run out of fuel and get destroyed, but they evacuated everybody on shuttles. And then Poe realizes that now that all those shuttles are on board their main flagship, um, they're diverting fuel to, you know, just fuel up all these transports and they're going to basically just evacuate and abandon ship. And he's like, no, we can't just do that. Like, you're going to leave us just kind of dead floating in space. Like, this is your plan is just to abandon ship on these tiny little shuttles that have like no shields, no weapons, nothing. Um and so he's got uh, kind of a small band of resistance fighters that, uh, you know, kind of share a similar mindset that he does. And they arrest Admiral Haldo um, while he's, uh, you know, while she's trying to get everybody loaded onto these transports and pose like, no, this is not what we're doing. Um, and he tells her about uh, Rose and Finn's plan um, to go and try to, you know, get the slicer to get on board and, you know, disable their tracker. And she's like, no, we're still going ahead with my plan. And he's like, well, I was afraid you'd say that. And they, uh, you know, put her under arrest. Um, and, you know, before we kind of get to just talking about the sort of how this all plays out, um, in the end here, I will say this is one gripe that I had with the movie, um, was, not just the storyline in general, and like I said, it uh, it was one thing that I maybe wasn't crazy about the first time around, and then the second time realized, like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Like, it doesn't, it's not super long and drawn out or anything. Um, the thing I didn't really love was, like, I just kind of hate when it's, it, it seems like this contrived plot device when there's always got to be some kind of countdown timer in a movie to try to, like, add some kind of added pressure to it. And Poe keeps contacting Finn and being like, hurry up, we've only got, you know, six hours of fuel left or whatever. It's like, we get that they're in a dire situation and you can tell us that they're running out of fuel without it having to be like, oh, we've got exactly six hours of fuel left. Like, I don't know how he knew that, but, you know, it feels like just kind of a cheap way to try to add more tension to the situation. Um, and that was one thing I, I didn't like about The Force Awakens, too, when they have, like, the battle at Starkiller Base at the end, and C-3PO keeps chiming in, he's like, their weapon will be ready to fire in ten minutes! I'm like, yeah. how the <laughs> heck do you know that from halfway across the galaxy? Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't, I mean, maybe for, you know, the general audience member, it might add some tension to the situation, but I'm like, you've got X-Wings fighting TIE fighters over a planet that's about to shoot a giant laser beam across the universe at another planet and blow it up you don't need to tell me how many seconds are left until it's going to happen. Like we can see it draining the sun. We get that the situation is dire and that they don't have a lot of time. Like you don't need to put an exact number on it. That always just bugs me a little bit. Yeah. Oh, uh, that really didn't bother me. I probably wouldn't even think about that unless you said something right now. But <laughs> so I, I know what you mean. It's something that probably doesn't have to be said, but at the same time it's like, yeah, whatever, I'll just take it. But <laughs> Uh, I do got to say, though, I did like that whole, you know, mutiny sequence with Poe turning on Holdo and like, uh, you know, it's probably the most Star Wars movie that had uh, the most use of stuns <laughs> on mm -hmm. their blasters. I mean, you know, Holdo shot uh, the the alien that was on Finn's side and then we get or Poe's side and then we see Poe get stunned by Leia <laughs> with a blaster, which that was a surprise. I got to say, I thought, you know, just more resistant troops breaking in the door when Poe was getting them you know, realizing that 
standing rows are cutting it really close, but then, you know, the door breaks down and there's Leia still, you know, in her like recovery gown and she just casually pulls out the blaster <laughs> and shoots Poe with the stun grave mm-hmm. without hesitation. It was also funny it was 3PO like, kind of in the middle there, caught in between Poe's plan and not really wanting to be a part of it. And Poe's like, 3PO, where do you think you're going? <laughs> like, this is, you know, not part of my protocol. And then the door starts, you know, seeing the uh, flames crack through where it's getting broken down. And all that's not part of my protocol either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I did like the, again, the whole thing with Holdo and Poe that we talked about earlier where, you know, we can sense, you know, the tension early on and then it really came to a head at that moment but at the same time since uh holdo really didn't tell poe her plan and what was going on and i you can kind of understand what poe's coming from and you could see you know they all have the right intentions it's not like one of them's you know doing something wrong against the resistance and putting him in a bad situation it's just you know they both have different ways of going about and ideas that they have to get out of this dire situation that they're in so you knew where poe was coming from and you can understand why holdo you know, the way she was doing things and not wanting to reveal it to Poe because of, you know, his past uh, actions that he did that put the resistance and many fighters in the resistance in danger. So you could both see that they're going about it in different ways, but to have the resistance uh, best interest of what, what the, by their actions they were trying to do. So I'm just glad that when it clashed, it felt real and that you can understand where both sides were coming from. So that was one of, like I said before, with Poe's arc that he had, throughout the movie this is where it kind of came to a head and then the lesson he learned later once you know he gets comes to on the transport and Leia tells him everything that's going on so yeah I like the whole mutiny sequence with Poe and Holdo it came it was a I think the right culmination of everything they were setting up from early on when they first met mm-hmm. yeah I, I thought that was all done really well um, and I liked the way it was resolved here um, where like you were saying I mean just sort of the the dynamic between Poe and Hollow's characters where they're two people with different viewpoints, both trying to do what's best for the resistance. Um, and the first time I saw the movie, I was like, it felt like maybe a bit of a plot hole for me as far as like, well, that whole thing could have been avoided if Holdo had just told Poe her plan from the beginning and he wouldn't have tried to, you know, go to this extreme of like staging a mutiny against her. Um, but then watching it for the second time, I was like, well, no, it makes sense though. Like, she's not just being coy for the sake of trying to, you know, fool the audience or whatever. Cause I mean, clearly we as the audience kind of only see like Poe and Finn's side of this um, for most of it. And so, you know, we kind of feel like we're supposed to be on their side um, and you're not really sure what Haldo's up to and if you can trust her or not. But, um, you know, it became pretty apparent. It's like, well, the simple answer is like, she doesn't really like Poe to begin with. And, uh, you know, doesn't maybe not completely trust him at least to uh to tell him this plan that involves a lot of patience and sacrifice and uh you know sort of foresight and thinking about the bigger picture and not you know immediate action which obviously is Poe's kind of mindset um so you could see why she would maybe be hesitant to share that with him um and then you know so meanwhile you know like you were talking about uh, Poe's on the bridge he's communicating with Finn and Rose and here's their plan fail. Um, and then it's like, Oh crap. Well, what's he going to do now? And you know, the, uh, the door is getting broken down. Um, and of course who steps through and you know, none other than Leia. And the whole time you kind of feel like at least Poe thinks that Leia would have been on his side in all this. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And of course doesn't realize that Leia and Haldo were actually good friends and that Leia totally would have supported Haldo's plan had she been there the whole time. 
Um, and yeah, to just see Leia burst onto the bridge, and it was like, that was kind of a nice surprise, because obviously we were expecting Holdo and her people, and it's like, oh no, it's Leia, you know, she's an ally to Poe, right? Like, so it's good, he's out of trouble, and then she stuns him, and it's like, oh, no, I guess she's not too happy with him either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a really great dynamic between those characters, between, uh, you know, Poe and Leia, who obviously had a very sort of mother-son type relationship in this movie, um, and then also, you know, like I said, just the, the tension and the clashing between, um, Poe and, uh, Admiral Holdo there. Um, and then when Poe wakes up and Leia fills him in on the whole plan and you realize that, oh, you know, Holdo wasn't a traitor or a spy or, uh, you know, somebody who was like really mean and had it out, you know, to get Poe, like she actually did have a, a good plan the whole time. And, you know, whether you not, you agree with her decision to withhold that information from Poe, like, you know, maybe she could have shared that with him. Um, but it, you know, her plan made total sense. Um, and this is where you find out sort of the lead up to the battle of crate is going. Um, and they say that, you know, the first order is just tracking their big ships. And so they've been loading up these small transports and they're going to escape and basically, you know, let the flagship go down. Um, and they just happen to be passing by the planet of crate, which Leia knew was, uh, like an old, uh, rebel base from back in the day. And so they're going to take the transports down to the planet and hide out there. And they figure the First Order is not going to track their little transports escaping the ship. And uh, they're like, you know, just wait till the First Order passes by and they'll never know we're here. And then we'll be able to get a signal out to our allies. And so, I mean, apparently, even though the resistance has kind of dwindled down to uh, just this one last capital ship here, you know, Leia talks about having allies scattered throughout the Outer Rim. And so they're going to try to get down to this base and get a signal out to you know, get some help and try to rally their allies. Um, and so you realize like, oh, this is a really good plan. And Poe's plan, you know, wasn't necessarily bad either, but it was, you know, him and Holdo yeah. not trusting each other and each coming up with a, you know, pretty, uh, you know, reasonable plan to try to do something to help the resistance out of this situation. And it just so happens that Poe's plan fails and Holdo's plan works. Yeah, um, barely though, because yeah, <laughs> I was once... I was gonna say mostly works because then thanks to DJ getting yep. captured and you know sort of betraying them to the first order, they're able to use some information that he gives them to uh, scan the resistance ships and then you know get a more complete scan and they see those transports going down and so they're like oh start shooting at those things so the resistance probably loses about half of their you know thirty transport ships that were going down to the surface too. Um, and again, just really adding to that feeling of like, man, the resistance is really in dire straits this entire movie. Yep. And you see their forces just continue to dwindle further and further down. Um, but all of this leads to a very exciting sort of second act climax of the movie. Um, because while all this is going on, you also have uh, Ray, who has decided to leave Octo on her own. Um, with Chewie and the Falcon, and she's going to go after Kylo Ren. So Chewie drops the Falcon out of hyperspace right over the First Order Star Destroyer, drops off Rey in an escape pod, and then takes off. And Rey gets captured and brought aboard the First Order Star Destroyer. And, uh, you know, of course, we have three, you know, really exciting scenes all kind of converging together here. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of come back to talking about... Um, Finn and Rose and all the resistance stuff, but let's talk about the Snoke throne room scene. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, man, what a roller coaster ride this was. So, um, of course, 
you know, Rey gets brought on board the First Order ship. Kylo Ren is there to meet her. Uh, he, you know, escorts her to, you know, be brought before Snoke. Um, and man, just the the look and feel of his throne room with the guards and everything. I mean, obviously, it was very reminiscent of Palpatine, but had a it's its own kind of different feel to it as well i mean it was all red you know we've talked about before how cool these praetorian guards look and how uh you know they look like palpatine's red robe guards but these guys are armored and you know look like they'd be kind of dangerous to mess with in a fight um and he's got this interesting little kind of telescope looking glass thing and it's just like i don't know it, it had its own kind of spin to it that made it feel like you know, it's definitely an Emperor's Throne Room type sequence, but um, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like it, you know, ripped it out straight out of the original trilogy. Um, and I kind of no, like what they did with it here, but. I totally agree. It was just the right amount of, you know, callbacks to Return of the Jedi and the Emperor's Throne Room, like you said, but at the same time, just being totally its own thing. That's the part of, you know, the Star Wars that I like where it does callbacks where, you know, it goes to that old point where George Lucas says these movies rhymed with each other. And this was mm-hmm. like that, even though, of course, it's the second uh, movie of the trilogy, not the third. But it was had that callback, but it felt totally brand new. And just even the I like the conversation that Ray and Kylo had on the elevator leaving up there, you know, the, Ray giving that one last try, like, you don't have to do this. Like, come with me. I'll help you. And then he's like kind of doing the same with her like i i know who your parents are like when the time's right i know you'll stand with me and all that and then just yeah like again how i talked about snoke's dialogue at the beginning of the movie with kylo this stuff he said here was just more <laughs> great evil words coming out of his mouth i mean the way he talks to ray and what i liked about it too is how you know snoke's coming to the realization that he didn't have to be worried about luke at all i mean mm-hmm. once he tells you know i like how first he started out that he prepared kylo for this saying you know once you start to grow in power with the dark side expect someone from the light to rise up and challenge you as well but then he just says i assumed wrongly that it would be skywalker and, you know that's about the perfect way to say it because this even us as fans we would think and going back to the whole thing of this movie going in directions we weren't expecting of course we would think luke luke would be the one to you know combat the dark side again whether it's not him specifically but you know through the new generation of jedi or whatnot which was why snoke was so afraid of luke you know still being out there but then when he sees ray it's like kind of a shock to him and i just like how it kind of reflects you know like I, I think i said this earlier too where snoke is you know kind of a version of of fans and what they, we were kind of thinking going into it on certain aspects regarding Luke and the light side of the force and all that. So I just like how snow was Snoke was kind of caught off guard by that. And then just, you know, uh, the temptation that, you know, he doesn't really tempt Ray about, you know, joining him. He just, you know, wants to know where Luke's at and to get that information out of her. But, you know, that not, yeah, I guess temptation is the wrong word because, he was just, you know, confident in Kylo that he would still be the one, you know, fulfill his destiny as the dark side apprentice that he always wanted once he got rid of Rey, once he found out where Luke is, but how wrong he was <laughs> to mm-hmm. find out later on in the sequence. But I just, the whole confrontation with Rey where he's using the Force on her, we did get a sense of how strong I think Snoke is with the Force without seeing too much of him. I mean, just the way he would 
swing Ray around the entire room. Oh, and yeah, definitely. Casually, he took the lightsaber back from her when she tried grabbing it again. And he just like she tries grabbing it, it goes to her, but then it just swings around and it hits her in the head and just goes <laughs> yeah. back to Snoke like without even any effort. So we, I think we definitely got a sense of his power that we got. But the big moment where you know he brings Ray to Kylo, and for, well, first off, you know he's taking the information from Ray. That quick shot we got in the trailer where he has her, you know, floating over and she's screaming out and. We knew he was doing something bad to her, but once we saw the movie, we found out we he got everything he needed from her in that moment where Luke is. And I liked also, too, where once he did get that information from Ray, he was all, uh, I didn't have to worry about Luke at all. Like, <laughs> he, just, he wants the Jedi to end just like I do. Well, I'll fulfill his wish, you know, right here and now. After I kill you, I'll find Skywalker and get rid of him. And then, you know, I'll fulfill his uh, goal, what he's trying to accomplish with ending the Jedi. So... Like mm-hmm. the revelations that Snoke got in the scene were about pretty interesting to see play out as well, but then the big moment, of course, he brings Ray to Kylo. This is, you know, probably in his mind, Kylo Ren's ultimate loyalty test for him here to, you know, to snuff out the one of the last few, you know, potential Jedi right here, and then they'll go after Luke. But man, I just really, really loved how the sequence played out with the death of Snoke and. I speculated on it before where there could be a possibility that Snoke might not survive this movie just because of how Brian Johnson and Andy Serkis were kind of downplaying him a lot of how we wouldn't, you know, learn his history or his role isn't so, you know, important to this movie overall. So once I had heard them talk about that, I remember saying that I think might have been our last episode where I wouldn't be shocked if he gets taken out in this movie. And long and behold, he did get taken out here, but it was done so, so well Mm -hmm. because I just love how he's looking into the force seeing you know what he seeing kylo do what he did but not you know killing who he thought he was or who he was hoping he would kill because the force you know we know it doesn't show visions clearly when you're looking at it it shows you glimpses and you can you know make out certain things but like the complete full clear picture of what's going on that's not always the case so I just love how Snoke is saying exactly what Kylo's doing. He takes the lightsaber, he ignites it, and then he strikes down his greatest enemy. And then you're just seeing the Skywalker lightsaber slowly turn towards Snoke, and you see the little hand gesture of Kylo's move his fingers, and then the lightsaber ignites as soon as Snoke says he strikes down his greatest enemy, and then boom, <laughs> he gets taken out and chopped in half. And it was just played out really well. And again. A testament to Andy Serkis's performance there. I just loved how he was, you know, really looking into the force and being excited about what he was seeing in that vision and what his apprentice was going to do. But, you know, just being lost in it too much and not, you know, really looking at it closely, I guess. Like I said, it's not a clear picture. And then this was just blind to what was actually happening. So I just loved how, you know, Snoke was, you know, just caught off guard. But seeing what he saw like it wasn't like he was seeing anything that he wasn't saying but it was just you know mm-hmm. ended up being his downfall so i just thought that played out so perfectly and then it culminates with the lightsaber after we see snoke get chopped in half going back to kylo but then ray just sticks her hands up and takes the saber and talk about a crowd cheering moment and every time i've seen it so far it just gets a big cheer and you hear the force theme play it just uh, gives me chills every time i see it and just even thinking about it it's a great moment because it Climaxes with Ray and Kylo with their lightsabers ignited. The Praetorian guards are ready for action since you know they couldn't protect their master, so they gotta at least try to kill the ones who 
killed their master in Snoke. And mm. it's different for a Star Wars movie to have a little slow motion effect. We don't see it too often. Now that I'm thinking about it, have we ever seen like a slow motion shot like that? But I don't not, think we ever have. But again, I mean, this one did a lot of little touches differently like that. I mm-hmm. mean, we had never, there were a few different just camera angles that we'd never seen before. Like I mentioned with that close up on Paige's face, like at the beginning, um, you get the slow-mo scene here, you got the flashbacks, um, you know, for, for describing like Luke and Ben's history. Um, but I mean, I thought it was, it was definitely a cool touch um, for the way that this scene played out. Um, and Me too, yeah. I was yeah, going to say like, the way it was used, like if it hasn't been used before, I think this is the perfect time to do a slow motion shot like that because it was just awesome how they were moving slowly to face the guards and then, boom, it gets into normal speed and they're taking on the Praetorian guards with their lightsabers and it was a thing of beauty. <laughs> but like, I like how it teased you for what's to come. It cut off to the next scene pretty quickly after that, but it was just enough to get you, you know, all pumped up and cheering that Ray and Kylo Ren were teaming up, taking out these guards. But you know we're going to get back to that. And for at least when I saw it the first time, I was like, oh, man, I hope there's a lot more of this coming. And thankfully, there oh, was. Yeah. but it was just a great setup. This, that whole sequence from once they entered Snoke's throne room, the conversation Snoke had with Rey up until his death and then igniting their lightsabers and taking on the Praetorian guards. Definitely my favorite sequence of the movie. It was just so, so well done. And it's just uh, I just love how we're seeing when you think back to The Force Awakens, Rey versus Kylo Ren. And what would be the next action piece for the sequel with them? Of course, they want to do something different where it's not just another lightsaber fight between the two of them. So I just love how it's different enough where it's both of them teaming up, taking on, you know, a common enemy in this one sequence. And it was just really, really well done. So, yeah, I loved it. Definitely the highlight of the movie for me. just for a lot of reasons, not just the action sequence, but some of the story elements that play out in it as well, which we'll talk about a little bit later once the fight is finished, but it's overall so, so well done. Yeah. And I think the, um, I mean, the whole thing with Kylo's betrayal of Snoke is like, there's obviously definitely a theme in this movie of like these wise masters and their hubris um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of their own shortcomings. And, you know, Luke talks about how he failed because everybody saw him as, you know, Luke Skywalker, Jedi master, a legend, um, and with Snoke, I mean, you hear him boasting and, you know, beating his own drum here as he's saying, uh, you know, you, well, you see him flinging Ray around the room. You see him using the force to like torture and interrogate her and everything. Um, and then when, um, you know, when finally like she uses the force to grab Kylo Ren's lightsaber and even that brief shot was really cool seeing her with yeah. uh you know that red lightsaber which I think they had used in some of the teasers and stuff and you know had people thinking like oh is Rey going to the dark side but no she was just using whatever weapon was available there because she had already tried and failed to get her lightsaber back from Snoke that um, was one of those instances where you know you think they're showing a little too much I and mean, we were talking about that before once that commercial came out, I was like, oh, man, why'd they show that? It'd kind of be cool to see that happen in the movie. But there was just so much more that played out mm-hmm. in that sequence and afterwards that that was kind of like the least big thing that happened in that whole sequence. So it ended up being not too big of a big spoiler or reveal or whatnot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, same with even in the the main trailer when we saw 
uh, Ray confronting Snoke. And I was like, oh, man, I'm shocked that, like, they even showed Mm -hmm. that in the trailer because I had no idea that was going to happen in this movie. And it happens, like, halfway through. Um, I mean, I guess we're probably a little more than halfway at this point because, you know, a lot of these kind of subplots and stuff are kind of coming to a head. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you, you know, you're seeing how powerful Snoke is with the Force, um, and, you know, when Ray takes Kylo's lightsaber and he basically just, you know, flings her across the room and Kylo's lightsaber goes flying and he picks it up. And, uh, yeah, like you were saying, he just he forces Ray down in front of Kylo and he's like, you know, do it, my apprentice, finish her, you know, claim your destiny, whatever, or, you know, complete your training. Again, definitely those echoes of Palpatine saying, you know, strike him or strike her down and your training and your journey toward the dark side will be complete and all that kind of thing. Um, And you can, I don't remember if Ray actually says anything or if you can just kind of see it on her face and she's thinking it, but she's like, Ben, no, don't do this. Like you're stronger than this. And Snoke just, I think she does actually say that if I remember right. Yeah. And Snoke laughs at her and he's like, I can't be betrayed. Like I'm all powerful. I can see his every intention and the way that, you know, you see Kylo Ren doing what Snoke is describing with his own lightsaber and then with his hand behind his back, he's using the force to also manipulate Ray's saber, which is sitting on the arm of, of Snoke's chair. Um, and you know, just the way that in just that brief moment, Snoke let his, you know, his pride and his, you know, just being so sure of himself, he let that get the better of him. And Kylo was like, I see a way I can exploit this. Um, and basically just doing the same thing with two different lightsabers as Snoke says, you know, he turns the lightsaber in his hand, he points it to strike true and he ignites it and kills his true enemy. And we see like a close up of Snoke's face as he's doing that. And we hear the lightsaber ignite and just kind of see that blue glow come up from like the bottom of the frame. And you're like, Oh, he just (laughs) got, you know, something he was not expecting there. Um, and the way that, yeah, you see the lightsaber still sitting on the arm of the chair, just going all the way through him, and Kylo calls it back, and it just cuts Snoke in half. It was, like, definitely one of the biggest jaw-dropping moments of the movie. Um, and uh, But now this begs the question, though, Kyle. Did Are you happy with Snoke being taken out in this movie and what it means for episode 9? Because I know there's been a lot of mixed... <laughs> that's one of the things there's been a lot of mixed reactions about were how... Uh, we didn't learn anything about Snoke and, you know, why could he be taken out in this movie and not the third or whatnot? So I'm curious to where you're falling out once <laughs> you saw that happen. I wasn't uh, I wasn't disappointed seeing it happen in the movie. I was surprised and I love what it does for Kylo's character. And I yes. was just reading an interview uh, about this earlier with Ryan Johnson where he's talking about that scene and says that it's not like he originally planned from the get go to you know kill off snoke in this movie but it was really an evolution of kylo's character he was really focused on kylo and ray and their journeys through this movie and he was talking about by the end wanting kylo to be in a place where he can stand on his own as a you know sort of an established villain and 
you know, sort of be taking control of things for himself and not still kind of be on this shaky foundation of like, is he on the dark side? Is he on the light side? Is he going to betray his master? All this kind of stuff. And so Ryan Johnson was looking at where he wanted Kylo to be by the end of the film and then said, um, you know, well, do we still want to try to have him do that, but then still have this like overlord figure still higher up above him? And he was basically like, no, let's have Kylo just be like the top boss bad guy by the end of this thing. And that means Snoke's got to go. Um, and so I felt like, I mean, obviously Kylo Ren is a more important character to the overall story of this trilogy than Snoke is. And so, you know, I, I guess when it first happened, I wasn't like, oh man, we're never going to get to learn about Snoke now. I was more just thinking about the implications for Kylo and for the story as a whole. But, um, I mean, thinking about it afterwards, I am like, part of me is maybe a little disappointed that we didn't get to learn more about Snoke. And I'm still hoping that that information comes through books and comics and all that kind of stuff. I'm um, sure it will. Yeah. I mean, one I'll of my, shocked if it's not. <laughs> yeah, one of my biggest issues with this trilogy as a whole so far is I still feel like we're lacking a lot of context as far as the basis for this conflict in the first place. Like where did the first order even come from? What was Snoke's goal in all this? And, um, you know, I, I mentioned some of this earlier, but like, I don't know. I feel like in order to sort of take them seriously as like a legitimate threat, it's like, yeah, we know they had Starkiller base and they could blow up some planets. But um, I mean, when we started out with a new hope, like we knew that the empire was the power in the galaxy, like they were the government basically. And at this point, the, the first order still kind of feels like some upstart, like terrorists um, slash, you know, probably remnants of the empire to some degree because they have stormtroopers and tie fighters and all that. But um, I mean, you probably know more than I do because you've read more of the books and stuff, but at least as far as I'm aware, it still doesn't really seem like they've fully gone into like bridging that entire gap because I know a lot of the stuff has still been kind of set more closely to like the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, yeah, exactly. And sort of how the Empire ended and how the New Republic came into power. And so we still don't really know how we got from the Empire sort of fading away to coming back as the First Order and the Resistance splitting off from the Republic and sort of how this whole thing started. So I still really, I mean, I want to know sort of where Snoke came from and why he's so powerful with the Force and everything. But more than that, I want to know what his intentions were for the First Order and sort of how this whole conflict started. Um, so those are the answers that I'm really more still looking for. Um, and then as far as the answer of, you know, who is Snoke um, and, you know, all these fan theories about, you know, him being Darth Plagueis or Ray's real father or Jar Jar Binks or, you know, whatever have you. Um, I mean, Don't I was a stormtrooper who bumped his head in a new hope. Causing yeah, that scar. yeah, right. <laughs> Um, or he's, you know, Mace Windu all these years later, or, you know, whatever. There's a million crazy theories out there. Um, but I guess, I mean, I, so I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get more information about that. But then at the same time, the fact that Ryan Johnson felt it was necessary to kill him off to enhance, you know, to, to sort of further Kylo Ren's character in this movie. I was like, oh, well, I guess all those answers aren't that important now. And so, like... I'm still a little disappointed that we didn't get some of that, but at the same time, like I'm not super disappointed because obviously that information isn't as important to the overall story as I thought it would be. Um, that said, you know, I got to talk about the Plagueis theory a little bit. 
<laughs> and there were two subtle hints that I was like, this this could be nothing, or it could be, you know, the slightest shred of evidence that points to that theory more than any of the others. One, I think I know what one of them is. I'm curious about the second. One is that while Snoke is, like, torturing Rey with the Force, you hear the Emperor's theme. Yes, that's the one. Right? And then, and I mean, it could be John Williams just reusing old music, or it could be a an indicator that Snoke has some kind of connection to Palpatine. Um, and the other thing, and again, this is real subtle, but, you know, kind of jumping ahead here to the conversation that Kylo and Rey have after the fight, and Ky- uh, Kylo is trying to convince Rey to join him, and he says, like, forget the Sith, forget the Jedi, like, leave everything behind. And they keep saying in interviews and stuff that Snoke is not a Sith. But I'm like, yeah. so why would Kylo specifically call out the Sith there, like, when if they haven't been playing a role in this the whole time anyways? So hmm. maybe he knows something about Snoke that we don't know. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that line of dialogue where he mentions the Sith, maybe referring to that. I always just thought, you know, he knew his history and like, you know how the Sith played a big role in, you know, ruling the galaxy with Palpatine and Vader. But I don't know. That's interesting. I could, you know, buy into that a little bit where, you know, maybe he knew Snoke's previous life or <laughs> whatnot when he was Darth Plagueis. I don't know. But yeah, that was yeah. just something that jumped out at me. As soon as I heard him mention the Sith, I went, oh, wait, is he saying Snoke was a Sith? <laughs> yeah. So even though he's dead, these theories aren't going anywhere. <laughs> mm, nope. But I will say I thought killing Snoke off in this movie was genius because, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that going into it, but how it played out, it just seems like such a great story and character growth for Kylo to step in as the new supreme leader of the First Order and be the man in charge of, you know, the dominant force in the galaxy. And what I like about it is not only we're going to see how Kylo acts in that role, but he's achieved something that, you know, he hoped to achieve through that Vader couldn't get done. I mean, he said that in The Force Awakens, talking to the helmet, I'll finish what you started. And now he's mm. one step closer to that Vader. You know, you know, he wanted to overthrow Palpatine so many times. And probably as soon as Padme died and he fully embraced the dark side and became Darth Vader. I mean, probably all he thought about was finding a worthy apprentice to take down Palpatine all those years and then how close he probably thought he felt once he found out Luke was his son and then offered Luke to join him to overthrow the Emperor. It never mm-hmm. happened, but of course, totally different circumstances with how Kylo got it done, but he has it now. He has all the power, something that Vader never could do. Now Kylo has it, and I just cannot wait to see how that unfolds in Episode Nine and seeing him in charge. And I'm already, you know, <laughs> I probably shouldn't be doing this, knowing how many theories we had for The Last Jedi, they didn't end up coming to fruition, but I just can't help it. It's just what we do as fans. You know, with Kylo being in charge, and, you know, there's no First Order base, Starkiller base that's been destroyed and all that. Like, how cool would it be if he decides to make Mustafar the base of operations for the First Order? Oh, yes, please. And he makes Vader's castle, you know, like his... (sighs) royal palace and we get scenes there like that would be amazing (laughs) oh my gosh that would be incredible and you know what that would basically just feed even more into what i was about to say anyways where you're talking about um you know him sort of finishing what vader started i more and more like the more i watch kylo ren first of all the more i love the character 
And Kylo, like, might just be my favorite character in this movie. Although, I love Luke, too. I mean, I know a lot of people had issues with his characterization and stuff. But just seeing Luke Skywalker on screen again at all and, you know, sort of getting to delve deeper into his character. Like, I just loved all of that stuff. But Kylo is just such a fascinating villain to me. Um, Firstly, because of just how conflicted he is. Um, And, you know, that's something we've never really seen before. Um, somebody who's so entrenched in the dark side, but who also struggles with it so much and is still, you know, shows those brief glimpses of, you know, maybe possibly being redeemed and of a little bit of light still being in them. Mm -hmm. Um, But also just the more I watch him, the more I feel like this is what Anakin would have been as Darth Vader without the suit. Like we're we're sort of yeah. seeing like the full potential of like a dark side Anakin Skywalker here, um, maybe not quite to the same extent. Like I don't know in a like in a head to head duel of like Anakin in his prime versus Kylo Ren. I'm sure Anakin would win that fight because he's had a whole lot more Jedi training um, and is probably more skilled with a lightsaber and everything. But at the same time, when Luke sees how powerful Rey is. He says, I've seen, you know, I've only seen this raw strength once before in Ben Solo. Um, And so you get the feeling, and of course him being part of the Skywalker bloodline and everything too. Like this guy is really powerful with the force. Um, You know, maybe slightly more emotionally unstable and tends to just lash out with his rage and stuff. Although, I mean, Anakin could have been like that too. Um, But I feel like Anakin probably would have had a little bit more finesse as a fighter. Um, but that said, I mean, still just in terms of the, the potential and the dark power and everything that he has. Um, and then of course, you know, realizing that ambition of finally getting to overthrow his master and take power for himself. Um, I mean, you're so right about like Anakin wanting to do that to Palpatine. He even says that to Padme before she dies. He says, I'm more powerful than the chancellor. I can overthrow him and together, you know, you and I can rule the galaxy. Um, that's basically what Kylo says to Rey here, except it's like, look, I already overthrew the emperor. Now let's rule, (laughs) let's rule the galaxy together. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, I thought, you know, it's a shame that it kind of had to come at the expense of like a disservice to Snoke's character, but I thought it was definitely, uh, you know, interesting, uh, leap forward for Kylo's character and, um, I guess part of me kind of has some reservations as far as him now being like the supreme leader of the first order. I'm like, okay, what political expertise does this guy have at all? Like, sure, you can get angry and intimidate people and sort of, you know, make people do your bidding, but, you know, I'm worried that he's going to kind of be terrible as like a leader for the galaxy. Um, and I kind of think I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, he's going to do things so, you know, out there that it just, you know, going to have no merit or anything or a reason to. Well, that would be a good strategy for the galaxy. It's probably just going to be wanted to conquer as much as he can. And I think that's actually going to cause uh, so more speculation for episode nine <laughs> coming for me. But I think that's going to cause, you know, general hux because, you know, he's already reluctant to mm-hmm. be serving under Kylo Ren now that he's in charge. I think that's going to cause Hux maybe to, I don't know, not maybe join the resistance, but betray Kylo in like a big moment in episode nine. That would I end up helping the resistance and taking down the first order, probably because of the reasons you were saying right there, how he's not going to be a good ruler or leader and just doing things out of anger, and which is probably going to cause a big rift within the first order, I would imagine, especially with Hux. So mm-hmm. that's probably a direction I can see there 
two characters and their relationship heading towards in episode nine. But I totally agree. I just think that's what makes it so exciting seeing someone who's probably really unfit to be a, a leader be in charge of the most powerful army in the galaxy at this point. Yeah, um, but one thing that would be interesting to see too. I mean, if it, if there's a a time gap of like two or three years in between uh, I really episode hope so. <laughs> eight and episode nine, like maybe we'll see Kylo as a little bit more mature and you know a bit more of a seasoned leader like maybe he'll set in settle into this supreme leader role and actually figure out what he's doing or maybe the opening crawl of episode nine is going to be like kylo ren is in charge and the galaxy is screwed um (laughs) so you know who knows we'll see uh what direction jj abrams decides to go with that and uh how well kylo does with this whole ruling thing um, but anyway, I mean, back to sort of the the immediate issue in this movie with the uh, the Snoke confrontation and everything. Um, I mean, obviously, it was an unexpe- it was an unexpected twist for me to see him take Snoke out like that. And I will say, I guess the one last thing I was going to say about Snoke is that you know, regarding being disappointed that we didn't learn his history or whatnot, I personally don't think that was any fault. So you know, the filmmakers, whether it's JJ or Ryan Johnson, when creating the character. I think that's something fans put more into it than they actually intended, and it became a bigger thing than they ever had planned for him. So I think that the cause of disappointment is more on the fans' end when it comes to not you know, getting backstory for Snoke and all that or learning his history, who he was and all that, and seeing him you know, confront Luke in episode 9 or whatnot, which is something we've talked about. But um I will give so I'm going to give them a pass on that. But when we get to Ray and her parents stuff, that's where I think it's the opposite. But so on <laughs> Snoke, I don't think it was something where the filmmakers really build up to be something, you know, like some big secret reveal or whatnot. I think fans made a big deal out of it more than they intended. So I, which plays into why I think, you know, killing him off in this movie probably is ended up going to be the right move just to see Kylo's growth as a character because of that. So like I said before, I thought it was genius and I'm just totally on board. Uh, that they did this in episode eight and got rid of Snoke. Mm, yeah, and I was definitely surprised by it. I didn't sort of predict it going into it like you did. But, um, I mean, once they entered that throne room, I kind of had a feeling that maybe that's the direction they were going with it because it had the feeling of a big sort of climactic confrontation. Yeah. Like, not everybody's walking out of this alive, and it's halfway through the movie. They're not going to kill off Kylo or Rey at least not at this point and probably not in this movie at all. So like what's going on here is Snoke going to get taken out. Um, and sure enough, that's what happened. But I thought it was done in, you know, a really excellent fashion. Um, now talking about Ray's parents before we get to, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the fight scene and all that kind of stuff, but we did skip over something kind of important with the Octo stuff. Um, and that's the cave scene uh, with yeah. Ray's vision where she thinks she's going to find out who her parents are. Um, and of course, you know, there's this cave down on the island. There's this hole filled with vines and stuff. And obviously it's kind of supposed to be reminiscent of like the cave on Dagobah that Luke, uh, that Yoda tells Luke not to go into. Um, and when Ray first finds out about this place, Luke tells her like, oh yeah, that's, you know, the dark side is down there and it offered something that you needed, uh, you know, and you think you're going to find out you know, about your parents and stuff. Um, and so at one point she just decides, okay, I'm going to go down here. Um, and she ends up, you know, getting sucked down this hole. She falls down in the water and ends up in this cave. Um, and we end up with this really trippy sort of dreamlike sequence where 
you know, Ray finds this almost mirror-like thing. It's like this big uh, wall of, like, crystal or glass or something. And uh, she touches it, and you think... It's like she almost ends up on the other side of it. It's like she sees her reflection, and she touches it and ends up sort of on the other side of the glass. And then there's just, like, infinite rays going on forever, they're all, you know, doing the same thing. Like you see her like raise her hand and kind of turn it and look at it and they're all doing the same thing. And then she like snaps and the snap goes like all the way down the line. Um, and then you hear her describing it as if she's talking to somebody about this after the fact. And uh, she starts, you know, just walking further into the cave and um, she's talking about how like I should have felt trapped and helpless, but I knew that this didn't go on forever. And I knew that I was eventually going to get to find what I was looking for and uh, you see her get to the end of it and it's like another wall and it's all foggy and she walks up to it and you see like a, a shadowy figure on the other side walking towards her and you think oh this is it this is the moment we're going to find out who her parents are and she <laughs> touches it again and the fog starts starts to clear and it's just Ray and then you see that she's sitting there talking to Kylo Ren in another one of their sort of force connections. And that's who she's been describing this to. Um, and she says, you know, I've never felt so lost and alone at, you know, in my whole life. Um, and that's when they kind of share this moment where even though they're on opposite sides, they kind of realize what each other are going through. And Kylo says like, Hey, you know, you're not alone and Ray's like, you're not either. And that's when they touch hands and kind of get that glimpse of each other's future. And then Luke busts in and can apparently see both of them. Yep. Um, and he uses the force to just blow apart the hut that Ray is in. Um, and I think it's right after that, that's when she confronts him about, you know, did you kill Ben or did you yeah. create Kylo Ren? And that's when they have their fight. And that's right before Ray leaves. Um, so we talked about all that, but we had just kind of skipped over that cave sequence. So Tim, how'd you feel about that part? Yeah. So that whole sequence of the cave, probably out of all the scenes of the movie, that's the one where my heart was beating the fastest <laughs> because when it was playing out, I was going, Oh boy, here we go. This is where we're going to find out who's Ray's parents are. Two years of speculation is all leading up to this moment right here. So, yeah, it was exciting and uh, almost a little stressful, <laughs> I got to say. But once we got to that moment where she's looking through that reflective reflective glass mirror, and because it starts off with actually two people coming towards her, and then it shifts into one, and it starts becoming, you know, fogging up, and then but it starts getting clear as so we make out a face in there. And for a second... I thought there was a quick shot where maybe it could have been Leia, but maybe that was just me and my hopeful <laughs> thinking that she would end up being a Solo or a Skywalker playing in there. But it just ended up being the face of Rey. And when I saw that, I just took it to mean that, oh, so maybe she is, you know, a, a birth from the Force. Like the Force decided that it needed uh, someone new to, you know, bring balance with the light side of things. And she was the creation of that because I took that meaning of, her that reflection just being of her was that she has no parents it's just her and of course we learned that's not the case later on but that's what i took the meaning to be um but just overall that whole sequence with the cave i really liked it it was something different as far as forest vision goes you know it just wasn't doing the same thing with luke in the cave in dagobah or anything that we saw on clone wars with mortis or the yoda arc it was something unique for this movie the star wars movie and i really liked that 
it was just a cool effect seeing all those rays lined up um, almost endlessly. And I just love the atmosphere it created with it where, you know, the music is really you know, like ominous and the sound where you hear Ray snapping her finger that goes on for a while. I just thought it just adds to the, you know, suspense of that whole sequence. And even when I'm listening to the Last Jedi soundtrack and I listen to that track called The Cave, I always expect to hear the sound of Ray snapping <laughs> once I'm hearing that mm. piece of music because it just fits so perfect with that whole overall sequence. So I really enjoyed it even though the answer wasn't quite delivered in that moment. so But still, I also liked how it played in directly into that scene of her talking with Kylo that you mentioned and how, you know, as she's talking about her experience in that cave, I thought for sure she was telling to Luke, but once we got the reveal, she was actually talking about it to Kylo. It was like, oh, wow, that was kind of a big surprise. But, you know, it made sense. And, you know, just establishing how close they were getting with their, uh, connection to the force and talking to each other I just liked how all those conversations they've had throughout the film led to this big moment where they actually touched hands and they were able to you know see into each other and their potential future which I thought was great and even Ray started crying when she touched you know Ben's hand because she probably noticed or knew right there she found a kindred spirit which she hasn't yet found on Octo which she was hoping with Luke and she saw that in Ben Solo and seeing how there is still light in him and she thinks she can turn him. So I just thought it was a beautifully played scene until Luke kind of ruined the moment <laughs> once he saw <laughs> them in there. Uh, but just overall, that whole sequence in the cave and then leading up to that moment with uh, Kylo Ren and Rey, I thought was really, really cool. And I guess we should mention, too, because I don't think we talked about this when we're in mentioning Snoke's throne room, of how he's the one who set up that connection between Kylo and Rey to be able to talk to each other through the forest. And I don't know, part of me still doesn't like it that he was the one that instituted that. I would just would have preferred it if, you know, the Force recognized of how strong they both were and saw that they had a connection, that they were able to do that and talk to each other through it. But the fact that Snoke only orchestrated, he didn't control it or anything. He just, you know, kind of, I guess, dialed the number, so to speak, <laughs> to get them on the same line. But they took, a, took care of the rest once they you know, were able to talk to each other and maintain that connection, even after Snoke was dead, because uh, we see one more time where they were seeing each other uh, right towards the end of the film. So even though I would prefer it if Snoke wasn't involved, it's still, you know, a cool process and new ability of the Force that we're seeing in this movie that I thought worked really well. So, yeah, overall, I really like that sequence and where it led and set off the chain of events that led to the moments in Snoke's throne room. Yeah, and I mean, as far as that last stuff you were talking about with Snoke, I actually liked that he was the one to connect them because you find out all along like this thing that's, you know, seemed like this pivotal new element to the movie was all sort of a trap laid by him. Um, he says, like, you know, I knew that, you know, by doing this, like Ray would kind of maybe, you know, lead us to Skywalker. Um and I knew that, you know, he's like, I knew that this would kind of reveal more of like the conflict um, within Kylo Ren and that, uh, you know, he'd kind of open up to you and I knew you'd be too foolish to not take the bait. Um, and, uh, you know, basically just, again, him wanting everything to kind of lead to that moment with Kylo bringing her to the throne room. And it was like Snoke basically orchestrated his own demise, you know, again, showing more of that pride yeah, and that hubris there. So, um you know, I thought that was a pretty nice touch to that whole thing. And as far as the cave scene, I mean, yeah, I just it was it was definitely a cool 
way to go about it. And even though at the end you realize like, oh, we're not going to find out who Ray's parents are yet. Um, it was just something new and different visually. Um, again, you know, playing with our expectations yet again and kind of taking some some surprising twists. Um, and then, of course, you know, just like you were saying, that scene with um, like Ray talking to Kylo about it. Um, just, you know, really good interactions all around. Um but, uh, you know, all of that sort of leading back up to the throne room scene that we're talking about. So we talked about all the interaction with Snoke and all that. Let's talk about that fight scene with oh, the Praetorian yes. <laughs> guards. I mean, I remember oh, when, you know, leading up to this movie, us talking about just the rumors and stuff. And when we saw those costumes for the first time, it was like, man, those guards look really cool. And I hope we get to actually see them in action and see them do something. And I think this could probably be one thing that... Uh, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed in because we got way more of this than I thought we would. Um, yep. I was like, yeah, maybe we'll get an action sequence with those guys. But like this was the main fight of the movie, basically. Like episode nine didn't have a lightsaber duel. It had this showdown with Kylo and Rey teaming up back to back against maybe six or eight or however many there were of these Praetorian guards um, who just saw Snoke get taken out. And they're obviously still loyal to him. So they're like, all right, we got to take out, you know, this traitor and his Jedi friend. Um, and so you see eight of these armored warriors wielding, you know, various like bladed way, bladed melee weapons that all have some kind of energy field around them so that they can block a lightsaber. Um, and man, you just get this crazy, awesome action scene with, uh, you know, Kylo and Rey each, you know, they're fighting back to back at first, but they quickly kind of get separated and they're all taking on like multiple guards at once. And, but there are times where they kind of help each other out. Um, I love like at the end of the fight scene where Kylo, you know, can't get to his lightsaber and he's got one of the guards kind of has him in a chokehold and Ray tosses her saber at him and he catches it oh, and ignites cool. it. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, the blade goes right through the guy's head behind him. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was really fun because it had like the action, you know, kind of all the action that you would expect, like from a lightsaber duel, but because there were so many guards, you got to see like a whole bunch of just cool, like execution style moves, basically like yeah. a video game <laughs> or something. I mean, one guy falls into, I don't know if it's like a fan or a generator or something and basically just gets shredded. And um, it's funny because all these red chunks come up and you're like, wow, that's really like bloody and gory for a Star Wars movie. And then you realize like, oh, yeah, his armor and robes were red. That's probably just what they're going to say it was. Um, probably a mix. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you got you have guys getting beheaded, guys chopped in half, uh, you know, and Ray and Kylo just doing a bunch of cool moves here. So. Um, man, I thought this was a really cool and exciting sequence. And I mean, this coupled with the Snoke, the Snoke scene right before this, I mean, I think this was probably the highlight of the movie for a lot of people. Yeah, but definitely was for me. And yeah, I mean, you described how cool it was. It just something so different for a Star Wars movie for a lightsaber battle, because we technically didn't have a lightsaber duel, but this was a great lightsaber battle. Something mm -hmm. we really haven't seen before in Star Wars in a battle like this with lightsabers. I mean, the closest we get... Is with the Jedi and the prequels chopping up battle droids, but this is against you know really fully skilled, highly trained warriors mm -hmm. that they're going up against, and it just made for some really great action sequences. I just love how, you know, it was a different type of fighting style. I mean, Kylo, the way he was using his lightsaber to take him out was different, and he even grabbed one of the Praetorian guards' weapons. So he had so he had was using two to face him off, and then, you know, Ray. I just like her like ferocity that she showed here. I mean, the, there's a moment where that guard splits up like the whips that he has 
and it takes a, a few moments for him to do that and Rage is standing there and then she just lets out a scream and just starts charging at him which is really cool and then that moment where it looks like he has her trapped and like kind of choking her and then she just or that was actually he was choking Kylo Ren I think had him in that like arm grip mm-hmm. but there was a moment where you know the guard had Ray's hand or saber hand and then she just drops it to her other hand just chops him up <laughs> it was just so cool and I think that was right before she tosses the saber to Kylo and he just ignites it and <laughs> that guard's eye that always gets a gasp a gasp and then a laugh <laughs> when mm-hmm. that happens on screen because it's like so brutal but yet it looks you know it was happened so fast that it gets a little chuckle because it's not like he ignites it and it stays ignited he just ignites it real quick and turns it off and then he just falls to the ground so yeah it was just really cool i loved it something like i said unique and different what i hope to have or to see in these new star wars movies different type of lightsaber battles and so far in the eight that we've gotten they're all unique and just so cool for each movie and i love how this one just adds to that so yeah definitely live up to expectations as far as what a lightsaber battle can be and again just seeing ray and kylo team up i just think there's something really special about that especially you know how their lightsaber battle went in the force awakens and now you know they hated each other <laughs> pretty much but through those force con- uh, mind connections and the conversations they had, they grew that trust and it just made that partnership and that team up just feel so real when you're seeing it that you just can't help but cheer and root, root for them. And because that, like I said, it was a cheer moment. And every time I've seen it, as soon as Kylo kills Snoke, you know, the crowd like it's a little cheer, but as soon as that lightsaber reaches Ray's hand, like the crowd erupts. And it's just such a cool feeling. And it just, you know, adds to what that. This adds more weight to that action sequence, which makes it so cool. So, yeah, I loved it. I couldn't be happier <laughs> with how that action bit t- played out. It was just so well done. And uh, that's one of those things that just makes me, you know, love Star Wars so much because it's where all of it is playing into one thing: great action, character moments, and it's serving the story really well. Because after the fight is almost just as good, but uh, because this is, gets to the big stuff with Rey and her parents, but before that. I just love the conversation that her and Kylo Ren had. I mean, the fact that Ray is pretty much thinking that she succeeded. She turned Ben's, Kylo Ren back to Ben Solo. She's going to help him. Because right when the battle's over, she just hurry up and goes to that, you know, viewing globe. She says, quick, tell your ships to stop firing. You know, there's still time to save them. Thinking, you know, of course he's going to do that. You know, we're a team now. We're friends. But he's just looking at Snoke's body and just realizing, you know, I'm in charge now. Like I could mm-hmm. take over the galaxy. This is what I wanted. Yeah. And, and then, I even saw that as him not looking at Snoke's body, but looking at the throne that now just had mm, half a dead uh, body sitting in it and looking at the throne thinking I can take that for myself now. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm, yeah. That probably actually makes more sense, <laughs> but Oh man, this is what I love about it where we just get Vader again in the sequence, mm-hmm. the offering that temptation to the, another young character to you know join him it just i just love how it just plays into the you know the skywalker family bloodline of that vader that han solo spoke about still being in ben solo at that very moment i don't think he said it line for line but you you know what he was evoking there vader to luke anakin to padme i just love the callbacks to those two moments in the history of star wars and in the skywalker saga it was just so well done and then this scene the disappointment and sadness on Ray's face where she just goes like, don't do this, Ben, like, you know, just how hurt she is 
once after our that battle they've been through together and just have it all come crumbling down so quickly with Ben, you know, not you know joining up with her and becoming to the light and just you know following in his grandfather's footsteps and offering that temptation to have for a rule rule with him. It was just so well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And see, this for me, I think solidifies the fate of Kylo Ren, or at least sort of the path that he's on now. I mean, mm-hmm. I know J.J. Abrams talked about with The Force Awakens how he f- sort of felt like he almost had to sacrifice Han Solo in a way to, um, you know, have uh, Kylo Ren be able to, you know, kill off a major character and sort of legitimize himself as a, a threatening, incredible villain. But this, to me, even further cemented his dark path because we see... You know, even in the last movie, but especially in this one, how, um, you know, when Snoke says that, like, killing Han split his soul to the bone, and we see that he doesn't pull the trigger on Leia, and Rey is so convinced that she can bring him back. And, you know, there's still that possibility on the table of, like, can he really be redeemed? Um, you know, it seems like he's too far gone and, like, he's done too many terrible things, but, you know, clearly at least Rey seems to think that she can bring him back and have him be a Jedi again. Um, and she sort of does convince him and help him turn against Snoke and sort of break free from that hold that Snoke has over him. And so now it comes down to him making his own choice. He can side with Rey and, you know, sort of take her side and all this and and see the good in himself that she sees in him and, uh, you know, return to that path. Or now that he's killed Snoke and gotten him out of the way, he can fill that void for himself and he can seize that power and that's what he chooses to do. And so now I'm like, okay, now I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's any coming back from this. Um, Because I, I mean, I think part of the reason that there was always a possibility of him coming back before is it's like Snoke had him on a leash in a sense. Like he had turned to the dark side in the first place because of Snoke manipulating him and tempting him. And, um, you know, you could see that maybe he wasn't too happy about the way that Snoke was sort of taunting him and belittling him for his failures and all that. And so, you know, him turning on Snoke was always a legitimate possibility, but now that he's done that, he's not, um, he didn't turn on Snoke because he realized Snoke was evil and he wanted to go back to being good. It was just, you know, kind of the old Sith tradition of the, the student become, or the student killing the master and becoming the master himself. Um, and so now that he's taken that power for himself, I certainly can't see in episode nine, uh, Kylo being like, Hey, you know what? Somebody else can have control of the entire first order. Like I'll just give up that power and go back to being a Jedi. Like I think he's fully on that dark path now. Um, but it was just fascinating to see the way that that all played out. And like you said, you know, Ray's hopeful optimism, thinking she's going to come back with him, or come back with her uh, quickly turning to, you know, just the sadness and the disappointment. Um, and that's also where that line came from that I was talking about, where he says, you know, forget the Sith, forget the Jedi, like leave it all behind. And, you know, let's just make our own new future together. Um, and, you know, again, those just that possibility of a team up for these two characters, like we saw it briefly in the fight scene. And then, uh, you know, Ray was hoping they could be Jedi together. Kylo was hoping that they could, um, you know, rule the galaxy together. But clearly, this is the point where they go their separate ways and they, uh, you know, sort of are set on different paths for good, I think. And I think when we get to wherever these characters are going to be at in episode nine, I 
don't think there's going to be as much of that connection there. I think it's going to be like, you know, they have that established history of like, we were almost sort of close once. Like, I wouldn't say friends, but it's like, we could have been friends, you know, mm. but, you know, it's like we were enemies who could have gotten on the same page and we came close, but then we completely split and now like ray is going to be a jedi fighting with the resistance kylo ren's going to be leading the first order and you know i can't wait to see the uh the final confrontation between those two in episode nine because you know we're going to come back to another lightsaber duel in that movie yeah um, uh -huh. with, the, with these two characters and now having all this history um and you know it's just this is this scene right here and everything that they've gone through in this movie is going to add so much more drama and uh, just weight and emotional complexity to uh, their next confrontation. So I can't wait to see how that all plays out. Me too. Yeah. And this is not a point in the movie where I thought it could really, you know, flip things over and go back to where we talked about the trailer. Just that one shot of him extended his hand to have her join with him. And we all thought, oh, man, what if that actually happens? I mean, that could, you know set the course of this trilogy in a totally different way. And part of me was kind of excited to actually see that if Ray did accept his offer, not necessarily turn to the dark side, but, you know, just partner up like both of them just totally leave everything behind from what, you know, their masters were teaching them and all that. But it didn't happen. And uh, jumping a little bit of ahead of myself here, but when you said, you know, them kind of splitting apart from each other, I mean, we visually saw that happen once, she tried it looked like she was extending her hand to join him but she was take the lightsaber back and mm -hmm. then kylo quickly tries to take it back too and i just love how he got you know a tug of war type thing with that lightsaber it reminded me a little bit of uh, anakin and obi-wan in revenge of the sith doing that force push against each other at the same time mm -hmm. they're both struggling but this one even to a more like dramatic effect when you're seeing the legendary skywalker lightsaber in the middle between these two characters who you know uh, it's raised now, but technically, you know, Kylo has the family claim to it. So just seeing the struggle between uh, them and then actually seeing the lightsaber split apart just as they are in their potential relationship now split apart. Visually, I thought it was cool to have the lightsaber kind of symbolize that. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that leads into, you know, Ben Solo and Kylo Ren making that reveal to Rey. And we finally get the answer to her parents and uh, I got to say, my heart sunk when I heard the word nobody. <laughs> uh, after all the time and hoping she would still have a connection to the Skywalker uh, bloodline or a solo or have some significance, it was not to be. And, you know, this was a big letdown for me after I saw the movie for the first time. It was a kind of a big reason why I wasn't really enjoying it after I saw it. And this, it really stuck with me because I just couldn't get, you know, past the feeling of, the main protagonist of this new Star Wars trilogy that's part of the Skywalker saga. Everybody refers it to the Skywalker saga and the main character is not a Skywalker. You know, the main protagonist, I should say, because I think Kylo Ren is up there as one of the main characters with Rey, but their main hero and protagonist character is not a Skywalker who, you know, will bring that name back into the light and, you know, as a hope for the galaxy. That's not to be. And it just, I had a hard time dealing with the fact that the Skywalker name could potentially end on a negative front, which I think I've mentioned before, where if Ben Solo is it for the Skywalker name, I mean, it's going to be remembered more for failure, like I said earlier, and that just didn't sit right for me. And 
but I got to say, I'm not 100% on board with it yet, but I'm, as I think about it more, the potential that it could be with Ray being a nobody. And I think I would like it if it's actually said in episode nine or something, but if it's not, it's going to be something where I think it's implied where the force, even though she's not a force birth like Anakin, it did have a way of, you know, bringing itself, manifesting itself in Ray in someone who came from, as they say, nobody. And I did like too how even Kylo Ren was saying there, like, you're a nobody. You have no part in the story. Like, you, you mean nothing to anyone except me. And that was part of his temptation. But I just like how it was kind of more self-aware within the universe that, yeah, you shouldn't be here right now. You shouldn't be, you know, in the middle of this big conflict within the galaxy and through the balance of the force. You shouldn't be here. You are not a Skywalker or a Solo. Like, why are you here? So I did like in the universe to kind of building or playing on that idea, too. And I think... Uh, see, I have conflicting emotions with this because the way that they, how they said it, her parents were nobodies and Kylo Ren pretty much says, you know, they were pretty bad people. They just sold her off for drinking money. Like, they're scum. <laughs> and the fact that she comes from such an awful parents but she doesn't know them, I think could play into the fact where, you know, that she, that the Force recognized that someone with that rough of a childhood and upbringing sensed that that could be the perfect person, you know, to bring back the balance in the light. Maybe, like I said, there were no other Skywalkers, so it had to look elsewhere in a way. And for someone to come from such rough of an upbringing, that that's where the light could manifest itself the greatest in this, you know, small child and eventually growing up to be Ray. So there are story ideas I think could make thematically work pretty cool. To me, it's just a matter of, how the Skywalkers are going to be remembered by the time we get to episode nine. I just really want them to have, you know, a massive impact on this natural, on this new generation of Jedi that we're going to be getting. And we'll talk about it later, but I didn't feel this way the first time, but on, you know, the second and third viewings, Luke's actions, I think definitely cemented that, which we'll get into later on by the time the film's over. But just in this moment, when I saw it for the first time, I was not too happy in my seat hearing those words. They were nobody, but Again, I haven't fully come to terms with, you know, being 100% on board with it, but there are ways when I think about it how it could work for something that could fit well into the overall uh, Skywalker saga and just the Star Wars saga in general when it comes to, you know, ending, I guess, the Skywalker line and passing it down to a new generation. So we'll have to see to episode nine, but I'm, I'm working my way on getting better <laughs> about feeling okay with this direction they took with Ray. Yeah, well, see, here's my thoughts on it. Um, and I, I don't remember even exactly how I felt about this the, the first time. I mean, I kind of had conflicted emotions a little bit, but I wasn't super let down. I had kind of prepared myself for this. Like, I wanted Ray to be a Skywalker or a Solo, but I think I almost was more leaning towards in my head. Like, I could see them going this route where she might just be a nobody. Um... But what you're talking about with hoping that, you know, they maybe point out in episode nine that like the force still sort of chose her, that she's not just a random character, but that at least like the force intended for her to be in this position. I think that's already clearly stated in this movie when Kylo brings her to Snoke and he says, 
you know, darkness rises and light to meet it. And I told Kylo when he became powerful with the dark side that someone from the light side would rise up to challenge him. And I just assumed it would be Luke Skywalker. But no, it was you. I immediately and then we find out that Ray's parents were nobody. I'm like, oh, so she was a nobody, but she sort of is almost like the chosen one in a sense. Like she wasn't conceived by the force, but the force took this, you know, obviously this young girl that had this seed of force potential in her who came from nothing and came from humble circumstances and from whatever, you know, for whatever reason said, okay, she's going to be the one um, to, uh, you know, to be able to wield this power and to confront the darkness and and rise up to challenge Kylo Ren. So um, I think that was already at least implied in this movie. And if they want to delve further into that in episode nine, then awesome. Um, But I didn't have too much of an issue with it in that respect i guess um and then as far as how the skywalker line is going to be remembered i think that question is answered in the final scene of the movie and we'll get to that later obviously but um yeah i'm not too concerned about that necessarily i mean i don't know i i still kind of have mixed emotions about it i mean obviously you know, as Star Wars fans were so, you know, deeply engrossed in these stories of Luke Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker, and you sort of want it to be about the Skywalker saga and the the Skywalker um, family and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if they want to go in a different direction moving forward, I mean, obviously, those characters will always be a part of Star Wars. And I think that their influence will continue to be felt, you know, people are still talking about Vader and Um, People are still going to be talking about Luke for many years to come within the story itself, not just, you know, us fans talking about these movies and whatnot. Um, And I think even in a way, even though Rey isn't, um, you know, related to the Skywalker bloodline in any way, like you can almost see her as Luke's sort of like adopted daughter in a sense or something like that, like. Um, she's kind of like the, the next Skywalker going forward by proxy. It's like, okay, so Ben Solo failed. Well, Luke or, you know, Ray isn't a Skywalker by blood, but she's the one that Luke imparted this, this wisdom and this knowledge to, and entrusted to sort of carry the torch and, um, to be the next generation of Jedi. And so whether or not she is actually related to him, you know, she's following in his footsteps and sort of carrying on that tradition. So, um, I mean, I I wouldn't say that I love that choice, but I'm okay with it. Like, I've made my peace with it already. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like a lot of things in this movie, like with how Luke Skywalker is handled and stuff, like, it's not the way that I would have done it. It's not necessarily the Star Wars movie that I wanted to see going into it. And I think that's how a lot of fans are feeling. But I have already, you know, I, I can accept and appreciate the fact that it's a great movie regardless and it's it's a story that's told very well even if it's not the story we were expecting so um i don't know i'm i'm okay with that yeah and i agree and i've said this before what i've come around on the movie a lot is it is still a great story being told even with ray coming from such a you know horrible upbringing and being so insignificant and now rising to power that is a cool story to me that i still have trouble processing it is that it's happening in the skywalker saga when it's about the skywalkers but one thing i'm feeling that's making me a little better about it is that um we could be seeing you know 
the definitive final story of the Skywalkers here. Mm-hmm. And part of me is thinking, well, yeah, we love these characters so much, but at the same time, things have to come to an end. And at least we're going to see the ending to these characters that we love so much and how their influence and effect will be passed on to like the next generation, which this movie clearly implies in certain aspects and especially at the end. And that's something that, you know, is kind of cool when I think about it, where it's not going to be something we'll be wondering about, you know, if the Skywalker line continues on, because it's something I always thought that would probably just go on forever. There'd always be a Skywalker carrying the mantle and the Jedi order and whatnot. But this could be, you know, another way to go about it that can still have a really cool effect where the Skywalker line ends here, but they're just, you know, remembered for being such legends and having such an impact on the galaxy and establishing this new generation of Jedi, even though there won't be necessarily a Skywalker involved in it for these generations, but they're what they've done in the past would be felt, you know, forever. Like their legacy will continue on forever, which when I think about it's kind of cool that we're seeing that happen in the Skywalker saga movies where their legacy and is going to be carried on. We're going to be seeing it actually carried on through characters like Ray and, We'll see maybe in episode nine some others who will become Jedi. So thinking about it that way makes me feel a little better about it. How, you know, if episode nine is it, I mean, we'll see if we get episode 10, 11, and 12. The more I think about it, the more I think that that's probably not going to happen and that episode nine probably should be it and, you know, close the final chapter on the Skywalker saga for good in that. And then if, you know, they decide to do more movies, don't have it be episode. 10 11 or 12 and it's kind of do what they're doing with ryan johnson his new trilogy just create new characters but yet have it be titled something else have the saga films end on nine if that's really the way they're going with the skywalkers so i mean we'll see what happens but at the same time part of me is accepting it and thinking about cool story possibilities and there's another part of me that's thinking of only you know <laughs> that connection of your main hero protagonist still being a skywalker in these last this last trilogy would be a nice ending for it too so we'll see how it all wraps up in episode nine but at the same time i guess i should say it is good to know we finally have somewhat of closure on ray and who her parents are well i shouldn't say that's not the case for everybody because i know there's some who think maybe kylo was lying and when he says you know describes who they are being junkers and they sold it for drinking money and whatnot but i i'm not necessarily buying that he is uh, telling a lie there. I think he's telling the truth and mm-hmm. Ray's expression and her she's the one who says they were nobody. So she's she knows it now that she's looking deep inside herself and she starts, you know, she sheds a tear when that happens. And to me really selling that yeah, she knows that's the truth. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, and Kyle I will is say like, t- you know, you know the truth. Like say it. You've known it all yeah. along. And I will say too, if they really are nobodies, let's leave it at that. I don't want to know their names i don't want to get a backstory about them of how like how they came to me and how they dropped off ray let's leave it them as nobodies we never find out who they are just like ray is because apparently they're not important enough and it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things for the path that ray's going down and let's leave it like that oh you don't let's, want randos a star wars story ah that, there's that <laughs> word that i don't want to hear yeah <laughs> you know kylo might have they might have just said, you know, your parents are randos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think it'd be better off if, you know, we don't learn anything about 
her parents. And I'm someone who always likes to learn about <laughs> the backstories and as much as I can about certain characters. But they decided to go this way with Ray. Let's keep it that way from a story standpoint. And I guess the last thing to get off my chest regarding this whole thing with Ray is that I do feel that it was a mistake to lead up or have this build up go on for two years and have her parents just be nobodies. I still think it would have been easier just to say in The Force Awakens from the get-go that her parents were nobodies. And just to have it linger on for two years after seeing it, having all these wild speculations. So this is, while I was talking about Snoke, I think something was more on the fan side of things of having that character be built up. Mm -hmm. I really think this is something on the filmmakers end of things with J.J., creating that mystery about her and letting this fan speculation and all build up to, oh, there were nobodies. To me, I just can't help but feel that's anticlimactic that it took this long to get that answer. I think I would have accepted it better if they just said so from the get-go in The Force Awakens. So that's kind of my other nitpick about it. We waited all this long, all this stuff that, you know, again, it's could be part of my fault for speculating about it too and looking at things a different way and not having it end up where I think it was going, but you just couldn't help as fans to speculate about Ray. They they wanted to create a mystery about it. It was they made such an effort in The Force Awakens not to reveal who she is. And mm-hmm. to me to have it come down as just nobody's felt a little bit of a letdown and not living up to that build up that they themselves created. So that's the other last thing that I guess will complain about regarding Ray's parents being nobodies. But gotta learn to move on. It's there now. Like I said, it's a story that's really told well, and we'll see where it goes from nine. But yeah, it's I guess good to finally get a definitive answer on it now that we know. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, I'm sure it's something that's going to take you know even more time for people to you know continue to process. And who knows, maybe we'll get more information about it in nine going forward, or maybe it really just you know is what it is. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I know it's not what a lot of people were hoping for or expecting, but I think the way it was revealed and sort of its impact on the overall story um, was done pretty well. Um, So let's move on from that and get back to uh, just some more of the awesome stuff going on here. Um, Yeah, I guess I should say this, once we got into that throne room, it just kicked off a a bunch of awesome sequences throughout the rest of the movie. Like that was the kickoff point for tons of great stuff. Yeah. And so, of course, and and like I said, we kind of had three awesome things going on all at the same time here. And so even though we're kind of breaking it down, you know, one storyline at a time, these were all kind of converging at this point. Um, So we've got uh, Finn and Rose who were on the same ship with uh, Rey and Kylo Ren, you know, on on Snoke's Dreadnought. And uh, their mission goes sideways. They get captured by the First Order. Um, and Finn comes back face to face with none other than our favorite chrome armored stormtrooper, Captain Phasma, <laughs> um, who orders uh, Rose and Finn to be executed. And she says, you know, blasters are too good for them. Let's make this something more painful. Um, and this, of course, is after they find out that DJ has not sold them out, but that, you know, he, he got captured along with them, but decided, well, hey, I'm going to try to buy my way out of this and, you know, sell some information to the First Order. Um, and so that's why they're able to start targeting the resistance ships as they're escaping. Um, he takes off with his money and his ship and we don't see or hear from him for the rest of the movie. Um, and, uh, so, you know, Phasma orders for Finn and Rose to be executed. We see the executioner stormtroopers come up with their like 
plasma energy axe things that are looking pretty sweet. Um, and then meanwhile, back with the Resistance fleet, everybody's evacuating on the shuttles. Admiral Haldo volunteers to stay behind and uh, pilot the um, the you know the First Order flagship um, to keep it going so that uh, you know they can't tell that they've like completely abandoned ship. Basically, to just keep up the illusion that they're still chasing the Resistance and try to distract them from all the transports that are um, going away. Um, and, but then, of course, they realize, oh, no, the First Order's onto us. They're shooting down our transports. And uh, so Admiral Holdo decides to sacrifice herself uh, to do, you know, the only thing she can do, because obviously she can't man all the weapon systems and stuff and take out the entire First Order fleet by herself. So desperate times call for desperate measures. And she turns this Mon Calamari cruiser back around, points it right at the First Order Dreadnought, and jumps to hyperspace. And the resulting visual and audio impact of that, I mean, that's got to be the coolest thing since Jango Fett's seismic charges going off in the <laughs> yeah. asteroid field in Episode 2. She jumps to light speed, and you just, the sound cuts out, and you just see this blinding white and blue light just splitting all these ships apart. And... You know, it's just this like stunning visual moment with no sound. And then you see just kind of a wide shot of all the the ships hanging there. And then the sound comes back in and you just hear this shrieking explosion. Um, and I'm like, well, Admiral Haldo officially maybe has the coolest death in all of Star Wars. Like <laughs> she just might. Yeah. It, it is hard to come up with a better way to go out than that. Yeah, that was awesome. Another thing we've never seen in a Star Wars movie before, using hyperspace to take out a massive, you know, Star Destroyer type ship. It was really cool how it was done. And yeah, every time I've seen it, there's just a gasp in the theater when there's no sound. You can just hear everyone go, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was just a cool effect that, you know, really hit everyone who was seeing it. I won't even say just the first time, but every time I've seen it, it has that effect on the audience so yeah it was really well done like you said <laughs> such you know going out like a hero admiral holdo definitely did and they, again that's where you know despite their conflict poe really gained his respect for holdo right there i, mean, for, I think he started to see it once he leia told him uh the plan that she had but once uh, he saw that she was willing to sacrifice herself to save the rest of the resistance like that's when you know he fully had that respect for her, which he didn't have in the beginning. So I thought this is a great, you know, culmination to the character that they introduced here with Holdo and how, you know, she, at first we didn't know, you know, how her, well, I guess I know you were talking about earlier how we didn't know of her intentions. If like she was like really for the resistance or she had an ulterior motive, but, you know, we learned that wasn't the case. And this definitely proved, you know, she was, with Leia and the resistance to the very end. So yeah, just a great, you know, ending point for the character when she went out that way and just not only saved the resistance, but just made another massive blow to the first order with that type of ship that she damaged there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the first order dreadnought, you know, the supremacy kind of dwarfed this Mon Calamari cruiser, but it was still big enough that, you know, jumping to hyperspace through it, it, caused some massive damage um didn't destroy the entire ship which is you know probably a good thing because uh you still had rose and finn and uh ray on board 
Um, but it definitely I mean, was a good thing because we finally got a phasma action sequence. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, caused a, a heck of a lot of damage, and in the aftermath of that, everybody is kind of getting back on their feet, and you know, you're seeing all the destruction that's going on. Um, so back in that hangar where Finn and Rose were about to be executed, now, uh, you know, they're they're kind of separated from the First Order troopers a bit, and they grab some weapons and they're trying to get to a shuttle to escape. Um, but, you know, we see that, uh, you know, Phasma is still alive and well, and we get to see that, uh, you know, the showdown long awaited between her and Finn. Um, first of all, I got to give a shout out to Phasma for wearing Stormtrooper armor that actually does what armor is supposed to do. Because yes. first, uh, you know, Rose is like, oh, Finn, watch out when she sees Phasma coming and she shoots her square in the chest and the blaster bolt just ricochets off. And I'm oh, like, oh, I love that. That's what armor <laughs> is supposed to do. What the heck are the rest of these guys wearing? Paper mache? <laughs> Oh, I love seeing that. that was so cool. You know, just saying how showing how much special her armor is because we know it's from, you know, made from the same material as uh, Amidala and Palpatine's uh, Naboo ships. That same chrome. That's what she based her or she created her armor from. That in the Phasma novel, we learned how exactly that happened. Where uh, General Hux's dad, when he crash landed on Phasma's planet, and well, after she joined the First Order. She went back to that planet and took the material from that damaged ship and was able to construct and make her armor off of that. So, and to see it, you know, how it really does protect her, it was really, really cool. I just love how she just stood there, not even, you know, flinching. It just, boop, bounces right off her, and then she goes Mm -hmm. into action. It was so cool. Yeah, and this was one heck of a fight scene, too. Um, with, you know, Finn with his, uh, stun baton, like, uh, what the stormtrooper had that he fought against in the force awakens, um, and Phasma with her like pole staff thing that she's got. Um, and this was a bit more of a brief fight sequence, but still a pretty cool action scene between these two characters. So, um, even though unfortunately it was yet another brief appearance for Phasma, I mean, at least she got more to do in this movie than she did in the last one. And we got, um, just a pretty cool and intense and uh visually definitely visually striking fight scene here um and we we talked about this back when we talked about the trailer for the first time just how cool it looked having like that blue electricity and energy and all the fire of all the like exploding wreckage behind them all of that reflecting off of phasma's armor and just you know the colors of everything um and uh you know just the the fight choreography was cool and again it was short Finn gets knocked down like an elevator shaft or something and uh, Phasma turns her attention back to Rose and then Finn rises up on a platform behind her and, you know, yells something at her and she turns around and he bashes her in the face with the baton and she falls down. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, in a moment that was a little bit eerily similar to Twilight of the Apprentice from Rebels... Um, yeah, you're you right. see, you know, a hole in Phasma's helmet where you see just a glimpse of the face of the person behind the mask, um, before she seemingly falls to her death as she, you know, the, the platform that she's on <laughs> crumbles and she falls into a big explosion. And, uh, I mean, I'm going to assume that's the last we see of her. I think really the only reason they brought her back for this movie because she could have been dead at the end of the force awakens last we see she gets thrown into a trash compactor on star killer base and then it blows up um and i think they probably brought her back in this movie just to um 
give Finn an antagonist to fight at the end of this, uh, you know, sort of him and Rose's mission here. Um, so I thought it was cool. I mean, it, it didn't feel too like unnecessary or out of place or anything to have Phasma back again. And it definitely sort of paid off in getting to see this fight scene here. But I think that'll be the last we're seeing of her. So uh, my condolences, Tim. I don't know. I appreciate the condolences, but I'm not believing just yet that she's totally gone. I mean, there's ways. <laughs> there are ways she could survive. And even Ryan Johnson has said, you know, you know, it, I think he's like how I wrote it intended. She's probably dead. But if JJ wants to, I think he could figure out a way to bring her back. So, yeah, I got to start mean, the hashtag the lives. <laughs> even if her armor is made out of, you know, a starship hull and could withstand an explosion like that, Finn just busted her helmet open. So, you know, it would burn her face off if nothing well, else. Just, part of it you know she'd have a massive scarring on that side of her face but i think you know she's tough especially if you read the phasma novel knowing where she came from and her rough life that she had to live on that planet so i wouldn't put it past her but (laughs) at the same time i'll say this i won't be disappointed if she's not in nine because they definitely i think intended that (laughs) this was might have been the last time we've seen her but uh, I love this sequence and you know me being the big phasma fan at first i was a little disappointed where you know, she was pretty much in only two scenes in the movie, but they definitely made it count with her in the fight she had with Finn. It was really cool. It was a, a brutal fight, great choreography, like you said. And there are just tons of cool shots of Phasma and her amazing armor. They're like I just love it after she knocks down Finn and she just has that pose where she just holds for a little bit with that spear, just looking awesome. And then when uh, Rose yells out to, you know, she screams like Finn after he gets knocked out, and she just quickly turns and has that small blaster and starts firing. They're just a really cool shot of her and her helmet and just with that small blaster. It reminded me of a shot of uh, Django Fett. I think it was in Geonosis, after, you know, he's about to fight Mace Windu, and he gets knocked around by the Reek, and he just picks up his blaster, turns around, and starts firing. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, their helmets are different, but it echoed that same awesomeness of how cool their helmets look and just firing a blaster so it was great and even though i I said i was speculating before too on other episodes how she would have to have the upper hand against finn and win that fight because of how experienced she is and technically she did finn you know got a surprise shot in there but it took her down but it was really the crumbling of the ship that did her in so (laughs) finn got a good shot but it was the ship and the it being destroyed is what you know, seems to be her end. But I did love that visually of how her helmet looked cracked and you saw just her eye. And I like the dialogue they had there too, where she just says, you know, you've always been scum and he's all rebel scum. <laughs> and then mm. she just falls out. I just, I like that dialogue. I thought it was fitting for, you know, the relationship they have and how much they hate each other. So yeah, disappointed. She wasn't in it more like I was hoping. I mean, even if she was on like the bridge in certain shots, talking with Hux or whatnot, just just having her presence there and then leading up to that fight. But it wasn't the case. And But when she was there, she was awesome. And we finally got to see her in action. So I think she will go down. If this does indeed be her the last time we see her, she will be the Boba Fett of this trilogy. But I think definitely having better action sequences than Boba Fett ever did mm-hmm. in the original trilogy. And didn't go quite out as a punk like Boba Fett did with uh, the Starlight Pit. So she's like the Boba Fett of this movie where she's not in it that much. But I think uh, she made better use of the time she had <laughs> than Boba Fett did. So Captain Phasma, if this is it, thank you <laughs> for at least 
having this awesome fight sequence and making use of your amazing, amazing armor. Yeah, she definitely had a bigger role in this movie than Boba Fett did in Return of the Jedi. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, a, a cool, like I said, cool fight sequence, cool scenery and everything. And then, uh, of course, the way that Finn and Rose finally get out of it um, <laughs> after, you know, Phasma gets taken out. There's still a bunch of stormtroopers shooting at him and stuff. Um, and suddenly they're in this you know, it's like a big hangar, but it's also kind of like a first order, like weapons manufacturing plant or something um, where they just have big racks and machines and stuff that are, you know, churning out like their ATM six walkers and TIE fighters and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so one of these, it's a smaller walker, kind of like, I don't know what the exact name for it is, but it's like a first order ATST basically comes online and starts taking out all the stormtroopers that are shooting at them and it's like whoa what the heck is going on here and you find out well the walker starts trying to like walk away from the the i don't know contraption that's holding it in place or the thing that it's under construction with um and it's kind of still attached to it so as it starts walking basically the top gets pulled off and you see that it's bb-8 sitting there basically just <laughs> hacking the wiring of it and uh you know controlling this walker and blasting stormtroopers with it which you know was uh i don't know just really fun and you know a neat little touch i mean kind of a throwback to the way that r2 did some of the same kind of stuff um especially like in the prequels like in revenge of the sith when you see him you know torching the super battle droids and stuff it's like oh it's always fun when these little astromech droids can hold their own and kind of surprise you and take out some bad guys yeah i said before i i didn't really like the comedy that was used with BB-8 in Cantobite firing the casino coins and then, you know, blowing his blaster like a smoking gun. But this, I loved. <laughs> I've seen BB-8 walk or being in that walker as it's, you know, firing stormtroopers and walking through uh, the bridges or that hangar of the ship. It Visually, it looked cool. Like I said, it was just a fun moment with with a droid. It just, it didn't, that was something that, you know, Maybe it was a little over the top with something maybe a droid could do, but I bought into it all the way. It was just cool visually to see that happen. And just a fun moment with BB-8. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, one thing I should mention, too, because I thought about this as I'm trying to recreate the scene in my head of just, um, you know, once the battle's over and uh, Finn and Rose um, get on top of the walker with BB-8 and they're sprinting towards this First Order shuttle that they're going to use to escape. Um the music that like the theme that john williams came up with for like finn and rose's theme yes oh i love it was oh it's so classic john williams like it doesn't quite sound like star wars but it sounds mm -hmm. like something it's it reminded me a lot of um the music from like indiana jones and the last crusade and also See, it reminded me of williams work on hook for some reason it had like that fantasy type Hmm. playfulness to it in a way i don't know so that's what it reminded me of but it like you said didn't feel like star wars but it works so well yeah it felt like vintage john williams mm -hmm. um and i think in time you know the more we watch this movie and listen to the soundtrack i think it'll fit right in with uh you know what we're sort of used to as star wars music but yeah, yeah for me it stood out as a little bit more like either indiana jones or like et ish um, it just yeah. kind of sounded like like vintage, like 1980s John Williams, but like I loved it. And it was just kind of a, a fun, lighthearted um, piece to just kind of accompany the adventure that these two characters were going on. Totally agree. It actually already is my favorite track off the soundtrack for The Last Jedi. I just love it so much. And the fact that it is it is pretty much the main theme of the movie, the new main theme anyway, because mm -hmm. the way I always base that off is 
what is the first theme you hear when the credits roll after you know the standard end credits fanfare what does it lead into first to me that's always signifies the main theme of the movie and that is what it leads into right away and this yeah it's not what you expect i think for a main theme for a star wars film to sound like but i love it nonetheless i like you said it's vintage john williams that just gets stuck in your head i mean when i first heard it on the soundtrack i couldn't get it out of my head for like the entire weekend and i always keep going back uh, to listen to it on the soundtrack so yeah i think it's really really good mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely one of my well this is probably my favorite new theme just because it was kind of the only like big new theme in this movie um, I would say probably my favorite track on the soundtrack, and this is totally cheating, but it's the Sacred Jedi text, just because I loved hearing Yoda's <laughs> theme again so much. I mean, that's basically all that track is. Uh, you know, it's it's from the scene where uh, Luke and Yoda are sitting there um, on Octo, but um, yeah, just hearing Yoda's theme again was just so uh, warmed my. It, it brought warm feelings to my heart. Um, as it always does yep yeah for sure um but yeah i mean overall i loved the soundtrack for this movie i loved all the new variations he did with you know ray and kylo's themes and all that kind of stuff um but all right so i think we're we're down to the last chunk of the movie here um and by the way we have totally blown away our old record for longest episode (laughs) i don't know how long we're gonna end up going with this but um i knew with the last jedi this was gonna be a long review episode even before we saw the movie i was like if we could spend four hours talking about the trailer just wait till we actually get the movie itself and see how much there is to discuss and break down with this easily it's definitely a movie that deserves this length of a discussion with all that it has man yeah (laughs) so much to it yeah for sure so everybody escapes you know the the space battle and the first order dreadnought and everything and uh they finally get down to the base on crate um Finn and Rose come in in the First Order shuttle, like with the the First Order hot on their heels, and they're getting shot at by Tie Fighters and stuff. And they crash land in the base, and you know they realize, oh, hold your fire, it's Finn and Rose. And um, but the you know the Resistance has to get prepped to hold off the the First Order here. And this battle ended up being definitely less of a battle than I thought it was going to be. Like, this is a fight for survival, and the Resistance really only has one goal. I mean, they're in this old abandoned rebel base um, on this mining planet with, you know, it's got a big blast door that they close, and the First Order brings in this, I forget what they called it, it's some kind of, oh, they called it like a a battering ram cannon, right? Yeah, huh. That's Which is pretty much old Death Star tech. Is what yeah, Finn yeah, Finn yeah. says it's, it's old Death Star tech, that or miniaturized Death Star tech that they use to basically just fire this powerful laser that can cut through blast doors and stuff like that. Um, so the whole goal of the the resistance uh, forces in this fight is to, um, you know, to take out that cannon so that it can't blow their base open. And aside from that, um, like I said, they're trying to get all, you know, the, the systems in this old base powered up and uh, get enough power to send out a signal to their allies um, because apparently they have maybe, I don't know if it's other resistance factions or just different militias or whatever scattered across the outer rim that, uh, you know, sort of share their goals of trying to take down the First Order. So they're trying to get word out to their allies and get some help in this battle because them by themselves, they have no chance. I mean, you see all the ATM-6 walkers and stuff that come in for this and all the TIE fighters and everything. 
And at this point, all the resistance, you know, X-Wings and all that kind of stuff have all been wiped out. Um, all they've got left to use are these busted up old speeders that are left in this old rebel base. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, I remember watching the trailers and stuff and thinking, okay, how are they going to get out of this one? Like, this looks different from the Battle of Hoth. Like, I don't think they're going to just tie up the walkers and take them down. Yeah. Of course, the <laughs> rebels didn't win the Battle of Hoth either. Like, they took out a few of the AT-ATs, but it really was about them being able to hold them off long enough to evacuate their base. And that's the same thing that this was. Um, but I will say as much as this was kind of more of a skirmish than a battle because, you know, the, the resistance really wasn't doing much to try to take out the first order, but they did have some ground troops and, you know, they manned some old cannons and stuff like that. Um, the visuals of it, like just from a visual standpoint, this might be my favorite ground battle in star Wars. Um, like not from an action standpoint, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, like actual battle, but as far as like the visuals of a battle scene, it was so incredible, um, seeing these, uh, you know, these old speeders skimming across the surface of crate, um, which of course has just like the flat white surface with the red minerals underneath. And so you've got, um, just, you know, the cool visual of like these speeders kicking up the red, uh, you know, lines of dirt behind them across this white surface. And then once the TIE fighters come in and start shooting at them and they kind of break off formation and start ducking and weaving and just carving these, I mean, it almost looks like they're making art in the ground as they're, you know, just carving all these curving red lines through, uh, you know, through this surface of crate. Um, and then, of course, just seeing all the, the red explosions and stuff as the TIE fighters are, you know, shooting up the ground and everything. Um I don't know, I, I absolutely loved the visuals of it. And of course, even though it wasn't like a huge all-out battle that the Resistance had any chance of winning, I mean, the action and everything looked really cool too. Especially when Rey and Chewie show up in the Falcon and uh, start taking out the TIE Fighters and stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know, how do you feel about the uh, just the way the whole Battle of Crate played out? Yeah, overall, I loved it. I mean, it did play out differently than kind of what I was expecting, kind of what you said, how it wasn't a full-on battle like some on Hoth or Geonosis. I mean, it was a little more subdued and just one-sided when you looked at what the First Order had and just the old <laughs> junky ships and equipment that the Resistance had to use, but still made for an exciting active sequence, I thought. We, the ski speeders really didn't do much or any damage really to the First Order walkers or even the, the battering ram that they were going to use. I mean, we just saw the skeeters get blown up, which, you know, I guess... If you're more on the Imperial fanboy side like I am, it was nice to see the walker just tear him up <laughs> and not really have a chance. But it, it was, like I said, a fun, exciting active sequence. And I just love when the TIE fighters got involved. There's this one shot where the TIE fighters are flying and shooting down, and you see the sol resistance soldiers in the trench, and the TIE fighters are shooting over it. I just love the sound effect where... It almost didn't sound like laser fire, but almost machine gun fire hitting the ground mm. like, in a fast pace. I just loved how it's like a... Yeah, type, I, I know exactly what trench. you're talking about. I love that, yeah. So just some cool stuff there. And then, like I said, once the Falcon came with Ray and Chewie, that was really cool. I just loved the part where it first showed up as Rose is having like the two or three TIE fighters on her tail and she can't shake them. And then... Just was one blast that looked like it took out all three TIE fighters mm -hmm. in a row. And then, you know, you see Finn's excitement. He's like, oh, whoa. And then I love Kylo Ren's reaction when he sees it. He's like, I want that hunk of junk blasted out of the sky <laughs> or something mm -hmm. to that effect. Knowing, you know, 
the history he has with that ship and how much he hates it, it made sense that he would order every TIE fighter to go after it because of how much he hates that ship. Mm. Uh, I like how Finn even said that, too. Yeah, <laughs> because you got all these TIE fighters that are, like, harassing the, the resistance um, speeders. And, you know, once the Falcon shows up, they all peel off and take off after the Falcon. And Finn's like, oh, they hate that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so all that was cool. And again, kind of what we're talking about before is how Kylo Ren would be as a leader. He's showing it right here how he's not <laughs> the best strategist or commander mm-hmm. when it comes to a battle. Like That was obviously the wrong thing to do to send all those fighters after one ship. But it made for a cool sequence, especially when they were going into the, like, the underground caves that we saw in the trailer. Oh my and, gosh, didn't it though? Uh, it looks so cool. And how awesome was it to hear the classic you know, uh, Escape from the Death Star battle theme mm-hmm. that from a new hope i love that's my favorite battle theme in all of star wars it was you know so good to hear that again and yeah i so overall i love the battle of crate i thought it you know it was a fun action sequence and it was i think just the right amount of length too to what it needed to be and you know had its own style so that we haven't seen before in a star wars film so yeah i really liked it mm-hmm. yeah and then of course ending in a way that Again, I don't think any of us saw coming um, where, you know, the uh, the resistance speeders are still making their way towards the big cannon that they're trying to take out just to protect their base. Um, but even with the Falcon, you know, drawing the TIE fighters away, they're still the speeders are getting shot down one after another. And like I said, I think they started the battle with just like 13 and they're down to just a handful of them left. Um, and you know, Poe, of course, finally realizes, you know, he, he's learned his lesson along the way about not always being the hero and, you know, doing what's best for the greater good. And he realizes like, okay, you know what, we're not going to make it. There's a time to try to be a hero and there's a time to, you know, save your own butt. And so he's like, all right, everybody pull off. We're, we'll figure something else out. It's not worth losing all the rest of our, our pilots for this. Um, and so everybody starts pulling back. And this time it's Finn who goes, no, I'm going to finish what we started. I'm going to do here what we came here to do. And Finn keeps going and he flies right in the face of this cannon as it starts firing towards the base. And suddenly I was like, oh, crap, is Finn going to die here? Um, like, this is something I definitely did not see coming. But you realize, like, I, I thought Finn was going to be the one to... Um, you know, to go out and sacrifice himself to uh, to save the rest of the resistance. And, you know, I realized, like, these speeders had guns on them, but when Finn first starts flying sort of into, like, the laser beam as it's forming, it, like, peels apart the gun on the end of his ship, and so he can't fire at it. So then he kind of just pulls his whole ship up, and he's just going to fly right into the center of this thing and, and just sacrifice himself to take it out. And Rose comes in from the side at the last minute and knocks him out of the way and both their speeders crash. Um, And I will say this was eh, maybe my least favorite moment of the movie. Definitely one that I didn't love. But, you know, Finn scrambles over to her and he's like, no, what are you doing? Why did you do that? I was going to take it out. And she's like, I saved you, you dummy. Um, And she says, that's how we're going to win, not by fighting what we hate but by saving what we love and then she kisses him as the laser fires and blows open the door to their base in the background and i mean it was kind of a cool 
visual moment, I guess. I mean, it's like, you know, certain movies where, you know, you've got fireworks at the end or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, the fireworks was, you know, the explosion of the base. But it just kind of felt like, is this really the time for that? And I really liked both of those characters through the movie. And I liked their chemistry and I liked their interactions with each other. But it didn't feel, it just didn't feel romantic to me. Like, I mean, I could certainly see why Rose would be interested in him, but it didn't feel like sort of the culmination of like a romantic subplot necessarily, um, or like that's what it needed to be building towards. Um, at the same time, I mean, I don't really have a problem with it. And obviously, I mean, you know, romance has always kind of played a part in Star Wars with, you know, Anakin and Padme and Han and Leia and whatnot. So, um, I mean, it's not that I mind the fact that there was, you know, a kiss or a, a romantic relationship between two characters, but it just didn't feel like that was the direction they were going with it until now. It's like, oh, let's just have her plant a kiss on him while the base is blowing up in the background. And I was like, is this really the best moment for that? I didn't think so. <laughs> oh, see, yeah, that didn't really bother me at all. I just kind of figured, you know, yeah, the blast, like no one's paying attention to them anyway. The First Order thinks they got all the speeders, you know, taking out the blaster is firing on the door it's taking it down and what's Finn and Rose really going to do in that moment except you know Finn's trying to help her and I will say I did like her dialogue that she said there where you know we're going to win by not fighting what we hate but saving what we love and I think that ties into the end sequence later on with Luke and how that all fits in together with the grand scheme of things so I did like how it kind of tied into some other stuff and things but yeah that didn't really bother me and I will say though going back to when uh, Finn was a looked like he was going to sacrifice himself. I was kind of with you, or I was preparing myself. Oh man, are they going to get rid of Finn already just in the second movie? I mean, everything else is going in different directions, so maybe <laughs> they are going to kill off one of the major characters. But um, I also wanted to point out too the music that was playing during that moment was so good. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it's exactly the same track, but my brother pointed out this to me when we were uh, seeing it well I've seen it for the third time he was seeing it for the first and he's his favorite Star Wars movie is Revenge of the Sith so it doesn't surprise me that he picked up on this but during that moment where you know the laser is firing at the door and Finn's about to sacrifice himself there is like a few cues in that music track that almost sound like the immolation scene from Revenge of the Sith and playing them back to back it does sound pretty similar like I said I don't know if it's exactly the same but you cannot help but feel the similarities there and if John Williams did that intentionally to call back to that amazing track from Revenge of the Sith, I'm all for it because that's one of the best Star Wars pieces of music that evokes emotion. And they're really trying to build that with Finn making that sacrifice. So whether it was or not, it was still a great piece of music that I thought fit really well to you know what could have been the end of Finn. But thankfully, it wasn't. You know, I need to go back and listen to that again on the the last Jedi soundtrack, but I'm pretty sure that was the same music that played when uh, Starkiller Base fired in The Force Awakens. You know what? I thought of that too, but I, when I listened to them back to back, I did that just to compare it. Like I said, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same, but it, to me it reminds me more of the immolation scene than Starkiller Base. Okay, I'll go listen to it again, but I, I remember watching that in the theater, and it's like as the laser is being formed by the giant First Order weapon, like at least the music to me evoked like, oh, this is the same thing that happened with Starkiller Base. Um, It'd be but, cool if you just, you know, kind of mixed the two and created this kind of a new like type of remix version of that. Because they, I know what you mean. It sounds similar to that too, but I got... Uh, once listening to it, it felt more like the immolation scene. So, mm. but 
it's great regardless though <laughs> it yeah it's really definitely well. you know the music fit that really well i think that was another issue i had with it i mean just when you're talking about um you know watching finn finn being ready to to sacrifice himself like rose's decision to save him just <sighs> didn't feel like it made sense within the overall context of the story like it's fine for us as the audience because we like Finn and we don't want to see him die. And it's like, oh, how's he going to get out of this? Like, oh, that's how he gets out of this. Rose comes in and saves him. But it's like, if you're watching that happen, it's like really you're you're seeing him about to accomplish the mission that's like the reason you guys are here in the first place. And he's going to sacrifice himself to, you know, make that happen. And you're like, actually, no, you know what? He's cute. I'm going to save him and let the base get blown up. It's like, <laughs> it seems a little selfish and like not the smartest thing to do. Um, but of course, it sets up for the epic finale where somebody else gets to uh, defend the resistance base. Um we cut back to the inside of the base. You see Poe and everybody else, you know, scrambling inside. Um, the Resistance getting ready to make, you know, their final last stand. There's just a handful of them left at this point. Um, and Leia and everybody inside realizes that, like, their signal got out. Um, you know, it's been received by their allies and nobody's responding. You know, and they talk about how there's no hope left. The spark has gone out and um, whatever allies they had just don't think that they have a chance against the first order um which i gotta say really sucks i mean for their allies to feel that way after everything leia has done with the rebellion mm -hmm. then with the resistance for them not to answer that distress call for her i mean like come on man shame on those portions of the galaxy and their allies to not yeah. show it up well shame on them but at the same time i mean when you see the first order showing up and blowing up entire star systems i can't necessarily blame them for being a little hesitant to jump into the fray as well um we got but, there, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah no it, it certainly would have been great to see a whole fleet of ships show up out of nowhere and be like oh you know it's all leia's old allies and have like uh man how cool would it have been to see you know like an old uh i mean obviously we know we wouldn't have seen wedge antilles but like it could have been cool to see him or um, even some of the characters from Rebels, like an old General Syndulla or something like that. Obviously, that didn't happen. That would have just been, you know, a cool alternate way to end it. Part of me hopes that, like, Poe or someone calls him out in Episode Nine, like, hey, like, where were you in the Battle of Crate and all that mm -hmm. <laughs> type of thing? But uh, it might be just a small little plot point that they probably don't even care about. But when I saw it, like, man, after everything Leia did for the galaxy, no one's going to answer her distress call. Like, what yeah. a way to go out if that was going to be the end. <laughs> but they do talk about how, you know, it's like they have allies out there. They just have no hope left. And I think what we're about to see here at the end of the movie is going to rekindle that hope. And so hopefully that's, you know, a setup for potentially a much bigger resistance force uh, that we'll be able to see in episode nine. Um, but the only ally who shows up is Luke Skywalker. Um, and he comes, you know, kind of steps out of the shadows of somewhere in the base. Um, and of course, immediately had me questioning, wait, how did he even get here? Like, was he on the Falcon with Ray and Chewie the whole time? Or did he like raise his X-Wing up out of the water on Octo or, you know, kind of had me questioning, like, is, is he even there for real? Or is this, you know, some sort of vision or something? I thought maybe Leia was having a vision of him because, um, he first comes to Leia and, you know, they have a, a very 
touching reunion. Um, and I don't even remember exactly all the dialogue that he says in there, but I mean, I think the, the most poignant moment that sticks out, um, he takes like the gold dice that Han had hanging in the cockpit of the Falcon and, and puts those in her hand. And he says, nobody's ever really gone. Um, and it's just kind of this comforting moment between the two of them as she's facing what she's afraid might be her death. Um, but Luke, of course, is going, getting ready to go out and make a last stand and, um, you know, buy time for the, for the rest of the resistance to escape and to continue on. Um, and of course, you know, that line in particular, it's like Luke saying that to Leia about, um, Han and kind of, you know, helping her to cope with his loss. But then also it's one of those where, you know, he's talking directly to the audience as well. And that was one of those lines that I was like, I wonder if they tweaked that a little bit after Carrie Fisher died, because obviously she had filmed all of her scenes for this part and all of her dialogue would have been in there originally. But I wonder if they maybe tweaked a line or two that Mark Hamill had and maybe reshot one or two things and said, um, okay, let's just add this thing in here or maybe, you know, just change this one line where he was talking about Han, but maybe change it so that it's something that the audience can take as like talking about Carrie as well. Um, and so that was a really, you know, touching moment. And of course, we find out that it really is Luke just being there by the force. It's not him actually physically there, but still to get a, uh, a reunion between Luke and Leia, even if it's not in the flesh necessarily, but just seeing the two of them share the screen together one last time was you know a really nice moment. Yeah, it was really, really well done. And we were hoping they would have at least one scene together. And thankfully they did. And it did a disappoint. It was such a moving moment seeing those two iconic characters at this stage again. And, you know, Luke's dialogue. I mean, basically, Leia kind of starts it off as a joke saying, I know what you're going to say. I changed my hair. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Luke just gives like that little laugh. But I just love how he just says, like, I'm sorry for like, not being there and for everything that's happened with Ben. And then, like you said, when he handed her the dice and said, nobody's ever really gone. I mean, this sequence, I mean, this is where, you know, really, you know, starts really pulling on the heartstrings here and getting the waterworks going in your eyes a little bit. But um, it was just yeah, so perfect. And again, the music that played here, this is what really helps make this a special scene too. Once, you know, you hear the Luke and Leia theme from Return of the Jedi play, when they first, you know, Luke first is sound, they start talking. And then uh, to make it even, you know, more emotional, once he hands her the dice, the Han and Leia theme played is like, oh, man. <laughs> it was like, mm. So, like, so many emotions and feelings going on during this moment. It was just so cool. And I just love how they really captured the presence that Luke carries here. I mean, even though we know it's just, you know, a reflection or a vision of himself, the way everyone is in awe of him is just so cool. Like even, you know, that little moment he had with 3PO is great too. 3PO just says, Master Luke, and Luke mm-hmm. just gives him that wink. It was just a little similar to that R2 scene, not quite on that level with him and R2, but, you know, just cool for him to acknowledge 3PO again after all they've been through. But when he's walking outside, you know, through the doors and all the resistance soldiers are looking at him, like they don't say anything, but you know they're just thinking, wow, that's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> like mm-hmm. He's here. And I think me, I could speak for myself, and I think I could speak for the audience too, especially on the first screen, just feeling almost like how the Resistance soldiers were feeling, just being in awe of the presence of Luke and just seeing him again and just how awesome it was. This is you know, what we've been hoping for to see 
in episode eight, knowing Luke was going to have a big factor in it and knowing that he's here now, he's, you know, cleaned himself up, got a haircut, <laughs> mm-hmm. newer clothes. So as I was watching it, I'm just geeking out so much. But at the same time, I'm thinking something's up here. Like not everything is what it seems. I don't know what it's going to end up being, but right now it's just awesome to see, you know, one of my favorite star Wars characters or just characters in general back as I was hoping he would be in this movie. So yeah, just that moment where he enters the room with Leia and then everyone being in awe of him, I thought was so well done. It just captured the emotion and feeling I was hoping to have of seeing Luke Skywalker again in a star Wars movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, just, you know, a cool sort of entrance for him in this, in this last piece of the movie here that he's in. Um, and yeah, like you said, just seeing the awe on everybody's faces, it was the same awe that was on the face of all of us in the movie theater watching it. And then he goes out to face the first order. Um, you've got, you know, the whole line of walkers and everything still there, you know, ready to march on the resistance base. You've got Kylo Ren's command shuttle hovering in the air over everything, you know, where he's commanding the battle from. And he sees Luke step out of, you know, the big hole that they just blew in the door to the resistance base. And he sees Luke just standing there, you know, ready to face him down. And he says, I want every gun we have to fire on that man. And um, you see just one of the ATM six walkers just fire one cannon shot at Luke and, uh, you know, just kicks up an explosion around him. And then the rest of them just unload a massive volley and they're sitting there just blasting the snot out of him for, you know, a good 30 seconds or so until Hux is like, okay, I think that's enough. That's enough. And he, you know, he orders everybody to stop and, you know, you just see a big, huge exploded cloud of, crate dust um hovering in the air and of course out of the middle of this cloud steps luke skywalker and he stares up defiantly at kylo ren's shuttle and just brushes his shoulder off without (laughs) saying a word and it was like that that was one of the the moments that got the biggest reaction out of some of the you know two screenings i went to where everybody was just like oh man like this is the legendary jedi hero that we wanted to see in action this whole time Um, and of course we'll get to, you know, how he was able to survive that, but, you know, I was kind of expecting, I was like, man, are we going to see him like using the force to deflect all these blasts? I don't think we're going to see him, you know, pull his lightsaber out and be just deflecting like thousands of laser blasts from, you know, these giant walkers and stuff, but somehow he was able to survive this and he just steps out of it completely unscathed. And of course the resistance is watching this the whole time. And eventually at some point Poe realizes like, oh, he's buying time for us to escape. Um, and they all, you know, find a way out of the base. But, um, you know, initially they're there to witness this. So again, it's adding to that myth that legend of luke skywalker that people are actually seeing these amazing things that he's doing so kylo ren says all right put the shuttle down i'm gonna go out there and face him myself um so the shuttle lands he steps out to face him and they come face to face and luke you know apologizes for failing you know in uh training ben you know for his failure of you know what we talked about earlier when he had that moment of weakness and of course kylo's like oh yeah i knew you would come here to say that like what you think i'm not gonna try to kill you now like no come on let's go you came here to fight like you're gonna die um 
and uh, we see Luke ignite his lightsaber, but it's not the green one, it's the blue one. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, again, I actually didn't pick up on that the first time around. I had forgotten that that lightsaber got destroyed when, um, when Ray and Kylo were, you know, struggling for control of it. Um, because I was still at this point, the first time I saw it, I was still just kind of trying to wrap my head around like, okay, this is really cool. And I love the Luke that we're seeing here, but how did he get here? And is he real? And like, at first I thought it was just Leia having a vision, but then obviously like Poe and C-3PO and everybody else could see him. So like, maybe he is really there, but there's just this whole sort of mystical quality about him that's making me question like is this really real right now like what's going on and so I was too busy thinking about all that to notice like oh that lightsaber got destroyed already he shouldn't have it um yeah that was the big tip off especially when I was thinking you know okay something is definitely strange going there's something strange going on here he shouldn't have that blue lightsaber why does he have the blue lightsaber at the same time it's like I'll find that out later. I just can't wait to see what's going to happen next and yeah. see what he does. So, but that was a big tip off that not everything is what it seems with Luke being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they ignite their lightsabers. They have this moment of just, you know, this long pause where they're staring each other down and kind of, you know, sizing up the situation. And um, there's just an absolutely beautiful shot of just the landscape of crate with each of them kind of on yeah far end of the frame just staring each other down and it to me definitely had a feeling that evoked and not that this was intentional necessarily but i couldn't help but sort of shake like getting these vibes of um the twin sons episode from star wars rebels where Mm obi-wan and maul have their final showdown and so i was thinking the same thing like is kylo gonna lunge at luke and is this duel gonna be over in like three strokes because you know they know each other so well or like how is this gonna go down but it at least the build-up to it definitely had that kind of feel to me it did i'm glad you brought that up because what another thing i really liked about it is you know their pose and their stance that they have with their lightsabers and what you mentioned about you know, being like the Twin Sons episode, I really think Obi-Wan's stance, or <laughs> Obi-Wan Luke's stance and pose was like Obi-Wan's in not only that episode, but even in New Hope too. To me, just I thought he was really evoking that style that Obi-Wan used, which was awesome. And then even on Kylo Ren's end, uh, the moment in the first teaser trailer for The Force Awakens that wasn't in the movie where we first see him ignite that light crossplay lightsaber. Oh, I love- yeah. He had that exact same pose and like, gesture with his hand of how he ignited it and i loved how you know we didn't get to see that in the force awakens but it still carried on that that's you know kind of his style his fighting pose there when he's about to go into battle so this those two little you know there might be little small things but to me they're they were big in a way because of what they were evoking so i love that how they haven't even done any fighting yet but still just seeing you know getting them ready and their stances that they have forward is really really cool just evoked a lot of different emotions just with a simple pose with their lightsabers. It was so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, Kylo charges into battle against Luke and he's swinging his lightsaber at him and you never actually see the lightsaber blades clash. Luke is mm-hmm. just, he's pulling some crazy Matrix-style acrobatics and just dodging all of Kylo's attacks and kind of giving him the come at me, bro. Like, you know, making this guy, uh, you know, making him look foolish, basically. Like, um but sort of feeding off of Kylo's like, you know, just anger and rage. And he's so bent on killing Luke and Luke's just like 
I ain't here to fight you. Like, I'm just buying time for my friends to escape. But if you're going to come swing it at me wildly like that, like, I'll just make you look silly. Um, and so, again, you know, I just, oh, man, I loved it so much. And I love that here at the end, we were finally getting to see the Luke in action that we've always wanted to see. Even though I would have loved to see the green lightsaber. Um, but I definitely loved his outfit. I loved his demeanor. I loved, you know, the way that he was just sort of toying with Kylo Ren almost. Um, it was just so cool to see him in action again in this way. Yeah, definitely. And this was, you know, what, regarding going back to what I said about the lightsaber at the beginning of how we, you know, just flipped it off and threw it across or threw it behind him once Ray handed it to him. This is the moment where I felt it kind of redeemed that whole scenario in a way mm. because with him using that blue lightsaber in this instance to me it's him saying you know that was the mistake i shouldn't have you know thrown out or thrown away that lightsaber significant signifying that i am i'm throwing away you know the jedi and just you know being with the force but him having that lightsaber here in this sequence with kylo ren is him saying you know i'm embracing it i'm embracing what i had to do and what you know, I was hiding away from for so long, and this lightsaber signifies that. So I liked how it kind of bookends that. It signified him having wanting nothing to do with the Jedi and the Force when he threw it behind him, but now fully embracing it and coming back to doing what he had to do, and he's showing that by using that blue lightsaber again. So yeah, I really loved that they decided to have him use the blue lightsaber instead of the green one. I think thematically it worked so well from the story they were telling with Luke in this movie. And just even his dialogue here was so good when he says, I failed you, Ben. This, you know, the heartbreak he has with that and evoking Obi-Wan's line to Anakin when he said that in episode three reminded mm -hmm. me like that. So just great stuff all around. And even as the it was ending and Kylo was realizing, you know, I can't hit this guy or when he thinks he slices him, nothing happened. And when that happened, I thought, my first reaction was, oh, man, is Luke already dead? Is he a force ghost? But he's so powerful that he's not emulating like a normal force ghost would. And he looks like he's physically there. So that's what I first thought was going to happen or be revealed. But then when Kylo goes back and just, you know, slowly pokes him with his blade and just goes right through him. And then I love Luke's dialogue here, too. Or I actually, even before that, where Luke says, you know, if you strike me down, I'll always be with you. You know, almost what Obi-Wan said, but mm -hmm. not quite. But I loved how he added, just like your father. Because, you know, you know, even though Han can't come back as a Force ghost, he still, in a way, haunts Kylo for what he did. And that's, you know, always going to be with him. Yeah. And Luke is reminding that, you know, he'll probably be even more so if he strikes him down. So that was great. And I just loved before we get the full reveal that Luke really isn't there. Just how he just says... See you around, kid. It was just so great how Mark Havel delivered that line. And I got to say, once that happened. Well, I think, isn't that, doesn't that line come before, like, after we, we get that reveal? Is it? You know I, what? I think you're I right. I think it you know is. What? Yeah. But even in the build up to that, I mean, I was so nervous because this was the part yes. I was like, oh, my mm -hmm. gosh. Like, is is he going to kill Luke here? Especially when Luke says that, um you know, if you strike me down, I'll always be with you, just like your father. And it seems I mean, come like on, Kyle, was... you're just waiting for him to pull the lightsaber up to his face, just like Obi Wan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh man, is he is he gonna pull an Obi Wan and just let himself die here? Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Um, 
and you see Kylo, you know, charge at him, slash at him with the lightsaber. And at first, you know, you don't even, you don't really see it happen the first time, but like, you know what happened, but you don't actually see the lightsaber go through him. Um, and you just see Kylo like come across on the other side and, you know, we're all waiting with, you know, our breath held like, oh my gosh, did he kill him? What just happened? And it cuts back to Luke and he's still standing there. And Kylo's like, wait, what? And, you know, at this point, I'm still waiting. Like, are we going to see Luke just disappear and his clothes drop or something like that? Um, but no, Kylo walks back up to him and he sticks the lightsaber blade right through his chest. And he's like, what the heck is going on? And you see Luke back on the island, still in his, you know, old Jedi robes that we saw at the beginning of the movie. And he's sitting out on that perch where he had Ray meditating and reaching out into the force for the first time. And he's just sitting cross-legged meditating, floating in the air and doing something so powerful with the force that he's basically like projecting his consciousness across the galaxy to be, you know, there in this battle. And I mean, whether he's like Jedi mind tricking everybody from across the galaxy or whether he's somehow like, learn to become one with the force without dying and you know just sort of like i don't know projecting himself through the force while he's still alive or whether it's just some new force power to create illusions of yourself or something whatever it was it was freaking awesome and i think that probably got the biggest cheer out of everybody the first like you know every time i've seen it in the theater so far the reveal that you know first of all kylo didn't kill luke and the fact that luke you know, the whole time is, you know, not really there, but that he's using this awesome force power. And just every time it cuts back to him floating, you know, in the air on the island, everybody's just like, whoa, because, yep. you know, again, like you said, the the whole time you it's not like it's this shocking reveal, like, oh, my gosh, Luke wasn't actually there. Like the whole time you're kind of thinking something's up with this. Like, is he there? Is he not like what's going on? But I don't think any of us expected that. Um so it was just such a cool moment, such a cool reveal. And um, then that I think that's when he says, you know, see you around, kid, and he disappears. Um, yeah. And then shortly after that, we see, you know, kind of hearkening back to the beginning of the movie where um, Kylo and Ray have that first interaction through the Force. And he says, you can't be doing this. The sheer effort of it would kill you. And obviously Luke has been doing this, you know, for long enough that he didn't show up just to talk to somebody real quick. Like he talked to Leia. He saw the whole resistance. He walked out. He took that crap ton of blaster fire from all those first order walkers. And I don't know that any, you know, of any damage or, you know, pain or whatever that your uh, your force illusion feels like if if he actually felt any of that physically, but he did a lot of stuff, you know, he took that, then Kylo comes down and they have their confrontation. And then, you know, he cuts through him with the lightsaber and everything. And finally, you know, he fades away. Um, so you see the toll that that took on Luke and he's obviously, you know, incredibly drained and exhausted by all that. And he, you know, kind of falls off the rock and then he climbs back up on the rock. And the last thing you see is him looking off at a sunset while the, uh, you know, the force theme plays just like the binary sunset from Tatooine and a new hope. Um, as Luke finally, you know, he feels like he's achieved his purpose. He's made his peace and he fades away and becomes one with the force. And I have to say, 
it's, I mean, for me, the biggest surprise and the biggest credit of this movie is I thought going in that if Luke died in this movie, I, I thought that there was a chance that he might die in this trilogy, but I wanted to see him again in episode nine. I thought if Luke died in this movie that I would be angry and disappointed and would not be happy with it. And so kudos to Ryan Johnson for killing off Luke in this movie and making me love it. I don't know how he did that, but Luke went out in just about the most boss way possible um well except for admiral haldo maybe um (laughs) but it's you know he didn't he didn't die in battle he didn't get killed he didn't um go out in some blaze of glory but he sort of went out in a blaze of glory in the sense that we saw him use like the most epic display of force power that we've ever seen in a you know in a star wars movie so far and then in the aftermath of that, he's just so drained and exhausted by it that it kills him. But it's in, as Ray says, you know, when she senses it and tells Leia about it, um, that, you know, it's not with pain or sadness, but with peace and purpose. Um, and so I think we see there that that was sort of the culmination of Luke's arc to finally come back around full circle to, I mean, he clearly opened himself back up to the force. He's not cut off from it anymore because yeah. <laughs> he's using it to an extent that we've never seen before. Um, and he's, uh, you know, even though he's not there physically, he's being there for, for his friends when they need him most. He's the only one that shows up to help them. And uh, he buys enough time for the resistance to be able to escape. Oh, and the other thing, I can't believe I skipped over this line in the middle of all this, but... Um, you know, in the middle of the confrontation between Luke and Kylo, he says, you know, Kylo Ren is like, you know, you failed, like the, the resistance is dead, the war is over, and, uh, you know, the Jedi Order dies here with you. Um, or, you know, he actually says the title of the movie says, I would have killed the last Jedi. Oh, that's right. Um, and in the meantime, you know, at, at this point, Poe has told all the resistance guys like, okay, you know, we don't need to sit around here and watch this. He's buying time for us to escape. So let's go. And they find those, uh, the Vulptex creatures, you know, those crystal foxes, they realize that those things have been, they realize that those things have been in the base there with them the whole time. And suddenly they're gone. And the resistance thinks they're trapped in there. They're like, we've studied the maps. Like that door is the only way in or out, but it's like, okay, wait, those creatures went somewhere. So clearly they knew some way out. So they follow the Vulptex. They find an exit to the base, but it's all blocked by rocks. Um, meanwhile, the Millennium Falcon lands on the other side and Ray gets out. And there was a line earlier in the movie where Luke tells her that, you know, the force isn't all just about lifting rocks. And so she kind of sees the irony here and it's like, oh, ha, I got to lift some rocks. Um, and so, you know, meanwhile, you know, Kylo Ren says that to Luke and he says, you know, everything you just said was wrong. He says the, uh, and, you know, as as he's saying this, you know, it cuts to shots of Poe and Finn and he says, the rebellion is reborn here today. The war is just beginning. And then it cuts to a shot of Ray, you know, lifting all these rocks. Um, and they're all floating in just this really cool way, like way beyond anything that we ever saw Luke do with Yoda on Dagobah and Empire Strikes Back. Um, and he says, and I will not be the last Jedi. Um, and... Man, just the way that that whole sequence played out was just so cool. I mean, I love the editing there and just Luke's dialogue and yep. the way that I, again, I love that uh, he's kind of he's he's passing the torch on to Ray here at this point, and he realizes that his time has passed, but at the same time, he's finally 
you know, sort of refound the Jedi within himself. And he's, um, you know, making his defiant last stand here. And man, I just, I loved the way this whole thing played out. I loved the confrontation. I loved all of Luke's dialogue and, you know, the way that uh, Ray shows up to save the resistance. And, um, you know, as much as I would love to have seen more of Luke in action and see that, you know, the heroic Jedi master that we were all hoping to see, um, First of all, you know, when Luke shows up and he's, you know, he finally pulls the lightsaber out again and he's got, you know, he's cleaned up a little bit and, you know, he's got the uh, the new Jedi robes on and everything. I'm like, it was it was almost bittersweet in a way because it's like, I know most of us probably would have loved to see a whole movie with that Luke Skywalker right there. And so it was kind of disappointing that we didn't, but at the same time, I love that we finally got to see that version of Luke here at the end. Um, and... You know, for him to go out, you know, with his final act being to basically save the resistance, which, you know, they by the end of the movie, they kind of just went back to calling the rebellion. Um, so I guess, you know, we're just back to the rebel alliance again. Um, and it's like, what better way for Luke to go out than in one final epic display of power where he's saving his friends um, and, you know, saving Leia and saving the future of the Jedi and the future of the rebellion that's eventually you know, we can assume going to be the ones to take down the First Order. Um, it's like, that's what Luke Skywalker would do. Um, and so, you know, as much as, you know, there's a lot of other awesome stuff that, you know, we maybe wish we had gotten to see him do. And, um, you know, again, like this not being the story that we, a lot of us probably were expecting or wanting coming into it, I think it was done in a way that um, really, you know, did a great service to the character by the end of the movie and was just, um, you know, not the story that we, that we expected, but was just expertly handled. And I thought just done really well. And this whole ending scene was fantastic. Boy, you said it, why it was so great and special. I mean, even hearing you talk about Luke's dialogue there about, you know, the rebellion being reborn and I will not be the last Jedi and how it cuts to Ray. Like, I just got chills even when you describing <laughs> that sequence. It's so good. But man, uh, I just this was this movie had one of the hardest scenes to ever watch and maybe probably will be the hardest scene I will ever have to watch in a Star Wars film, seeing the death of Luke Skywalker. And man, did it have an impact on me. I mean when I first saw it, I was just kind of like you at first when Luke disappears in his vision or like his force illusion went away. I was like, like, whew, sigh of relief. OK, he's not going to die that way. He'll be back on Octo and then someone will go back there to, you know, reunite with Luke. But then you start feeling, oh, wait, where you see how much what a toll it took on him and how uh, like how weak he was. And then you see him looking up to the sky and getting that reflection and remembering of Tatooine with the twin sons, man, it was just so beautifully handled so well done of how this is how Luke Skywalker should go out. If his time was up and it was here in this movie and uh, the second and third time when I saw it, like I never ever cry in movies, but this is the closest I've ever got to crying in a movie theater. I mean, I, I could feel myself getting choked up when we Luke is looking out at the twin sons. It's man, how can you not think of everything this character has been through? I mean, just think of, of course they want you to think about binary sunset when he's looking out on the horizon, 
is waiting to go on his grand adventure. But I even think back to Revenge of the Sith, him as a little baby with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru looking out at the sunset where that's all it began for him. And now at his birth and then at the end of his life, he's looking at the twin sons again. Uh, how <laughs> I, I did have tears coming down, I, I got to say. It was just so beautifully done. And just how, you know, you get that feeling of loss of scene. You know, it's a fictional character, of course, but someone who's a lifelong Star Wars fan growing up with this character as, you know, your main hero. And then seeing him back, you know, 30-some years, almost 40 years from when the movie for A New Hope came out. But, you know, 30 years in my lifetime of being a fan. And now that character is gone. <laughs> it just it really had an effect on me on a lot of levels. And there's like two characters I grow up loving, which is Luke Skywalker and Batman. And there has been some Batman stories where the character has died, but there's been a lot of different versions of the characters. So it's not like you you didn't like get too attached to one version when you got another one out there that you could just read more stories of. But there's only one Luke Skywalker, and that's the character played by Mark Hamill and seeing him fade away like that, man, it was at the same time, a tough watch, but so beautifully done. The music, the, the force theme, how I don't see how anyone cannot get choked up who grew up a lifelong star Wars fan with Luke Skywalker as, you know, the main character that you grew up watching for many years and then seeing it all cultivate into this one sequence here. It was just so so well done. I mean, sometimes I when I listen to the soundtrack or I just think about that sequence, I just remember how beautifully it was done, and I get choked up even thinking about it. Sometimes it's how powerful it was. So, you know, hats off to Ryan Johnson for kind of doing the unthinkable, but doing it in the perfect way. And I got to be honest regarding the whole um, him using or the Luke we saw battle Kylo Ren being a Force illusion. When I first saw it, I thought it was kind of a cop out. Like, uh, really, they're not going to have Luke there for his, you know, his final moment, the final movie of Luke Skywalker being alive. This is, you know, he's not actually there to see Leia or, or you know, to physically be in there in the same room with Leia and these other characters. But once I saw it again, it really sunk in how this was, I think, the right way to go about it because. Um, and the kind of what you were saying, how we didn't get, you know, the awesome loot battle sequence with him displaying forest powers and knocking down all the ATM six walkers and doing flips with his lightsaber and his battle with Kylo Ren that, you know, it wouldn't have felt right. That's not the purpose of what the sequence was trying to imply. And to me, it harkens back to what made Luke successful in return of the Jedi throwing away the lightsaber, choosing not to fight. Mm -hmm. And that's how he ultimately wins. And he mm -hmm. kind of takes that same lesson here. He's not going to physically go down there to fight Kylo Ren and take down, you know, the entire First Order. First of all, if I don't think, to, maybe he could, but it would have been a much tougher to do to take down, <laughs> dodge those blasters from ATM-6 walkers. But yeah, just from, well, and Luke even says at the beginning of the movie, he's like, what did you think was going to happen? I was yeah. going to run out of here with my laser sword and fight down the whole First Order myself. Like, exactly. I, and I feel like he's kind of saying that to Ray and to the audience. Like, <laughs> you want true. your heroic Luke moment, but like, again, he's not a god. Like, he's not going to take all these guys out just by himself as one Jedi. But yeah, exactly. It, but it just felt so right for the character and just for like a spiritual sense that this would be the way he you know, not only wins the battle, defeats Kylo Ren, and allows 
the rest of the resistance to escape, but just, you know, for him to display a massive amount of force power here is through this. Like, it's probably more powerful, showing how powerful he is than he would just, you know, taking down, like, a bunch of those walkers or displaying, you know, more acrobatic skills. This is displaying force abilities like we've never seen before. And I'm not even sure if any other Jedi has before. I think that would be cool if this in uh, the canon storyline where if Luke was the first one to ever do this, I think that would just add more to his legend. So I'm kind of hoping that Luke is the first Jedi to ever achieve this from this like far distance to display himself like across you know several universes or whatnot. It is really a display of Luke's mastery of the Force and you know how he went about it. And again, how I was talking about that line, what Rose said to Finn, how that kind of comes back to what Luke did about you know not fighting what we hate, choosing not or just saving what we love. That's what I think Luke was doing here. You know, he wasn't there to face down Kylo Ren because he hated him and everything that happened. He was doing it, you know, to save the ones he loved to really bring about that spark. Leia and Poe were talking about and this is something where I feel a lot better about the Skywalker legacy kind of I was talking about with Ray, her parents being a nobody and what that means for the Skywalker name I don't know why again this is one of those movies where when you see it for the first time there's so much to take in a lot to process where it didn't I didn't feel as good as I do about it now when I'm thinking about what Luke did here really cements you know the Skywalker legacy and as far as what big of an impact it's going to have on the galaxy, regardless if there's one there to train a new generation of Jedi. And Luke definitely made that felt here. And yeah, it was just so well done. I just couldn't, you know, at first I did maybe didn't feel this way, but now I just couldn't ask for a better send off than what Luke got here. So yeah, I loved it. This whole sequence and how the movie ended, I thought was great. If I just had one, you know, complaint about it, um, I will say that I felt Ray was, you know, criminally underused for this uh, final battle sequence. It almost felt like they didn't know what to do with her here, and they forgot about her. She had her little shots and scenes within the Falcon, but and I know that her big moment was lifting up the rocks, allowing everyone to escape. But there was just something I felt they could have used her more with. Whether it was another conversation with Luke, because I kind of wonder if, you know, we knew she sensed what Luke did, but I wonder if she knew ahead of time that this was going to be Luke's plan. He would, you know, distract Kylo Ren and she would be looking out for everyone to get him to safety. I just wish she would have played more of a role in this final sequence here for her being the main character and the main hero. I just felt she was really, you know, underused in this final sequence and wish she played a bigger part in it. But other than that, this was a great final sequence to end the movie on. And again, couldn't ask for a better way for Luke Skywalker's story, at least in the physical realm to end. So, because, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty safe to say he'll be back for episode nine, but yeah, just what a great emotional, powerful send off to one of the greatest fictional characters ever created. So yeah, I just was, you know, enthralled with this whole ending sequence and was just so happy with how it turned out. It got, it got the emotional effect that I think the character deserved when, you know, a a character as iconic as Luke uh, has his big final moments in the story. So yeah, Ryan Johnson nailed it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, man, you were stirring up my emotions just describing, you know, that scene of um, his death right there. And I'm just like you, like, I never cry in movies. And that's not like I wear that as a badge of honor, like, oh, I'm a tough, manly man. Like, I'm just not that much of like emotionally 
outward person like that but and this movie still didn't make me cry but it had a couple of moments that you know definitely it was like a kick in the feels um surprisingly the first one was when luke sees r2's message when he plays the the message from leia again and for some reason that one really got to me like it was just this unexpected emotional nostalgic moment that like almost made me cry happy tears um and then the moment at the end when you know you see luke back on the island and you realize like oh man like that really took a toll on him and he's struggling to pull himself back up and i was like man is he gonna die here like because at first i was almost i was kind of expecting him to die in the scene with kylo ren i thought he was gonna pull an obi-wan and just sacrifice himself Mm -hmm. um and so i was glad he survived that but then you know when you see him on the island you know he's floating up in the air and then he just kind of falls off to the side you're like "Uh uh-oh like luke's not okay and then he you know he's he's struggling to pull himself back up and i was like oh man he's gonna make it out of this and he pulls himself back up and he's you know sitting on the rock and then and at first you kind of can't tell like you can tell it's like the sunset time of day but when it cuts to behind him and you see the sunset that he's looking at and hear that that force theme swell up it was like, oh, dang you, John Williams. How could you do that to me? <laughs> um, I I was not expecting that. And I was just like, oh, man, come on. Um, yeah, just oh, such a, a perfect emotional send off. Um, and just like you, I mean, you know, Luke was like the hero of my childhood. And I'm like, man, it, it still kind of sucks that he's gone. But at the same time, it's like they did that in the best way i could possibly imagine them doing and if if we don't get a luke force ghost in episode nine i'm throwing something at somebody (laughs) like you'd almost have to be i don't know crazy not to bring him back (laughs) like what like he has to there's just no way (laughs) i mean come on yeah so i mean that was just the perfect way to end it there um And then I guess, you know, we can just wrap this up by talking about the final scene of the movie, you know, after the, uh, the resistance, uh, everybody makes it safely on board the Millennium Falcon and, uh, you know, they take off, they make it to safety and, you know, Ray and Leia have their moment where they talk about Luke. And like I said, how Ray feels that, you know, he passed with peace and purpose. Um, but then the, the moment that I love where you talk about cementing the legacy of, of the Skywalker saga is it cuts back to the kids that um, Rose and Finn encountered on Canto Bite, you know, in the stable where, you know, they're like slaves or whatever. Um, but it's just the kid and, you know, the master's not around. And they're, this one kid is playing with these basically, you know, makeshift action figures. And you see, you know, some big walkers. And then, and they're speaking in an alien language and they're, you know, they don't even put subtitles up. But you can tell they're basically reenacting the Battle of Crate, and he's got, you know, these big things that look like walkers, and then he puts one figure in front of him, and he says, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master. And um, it's like, and then the, the Master comes in and disrupts him, and they all, you know, scatter, and then one kid goes outside to pick up a broom, and you see he actually doesn't touch it. He uses the Force to call the broom to him. And um, he's got this ring on his finger that Rose apparently gave him that's, you know, it just looks like a gold ring with a, a circle on it, but you, you know, can touch it and kind of slide it open and it's got the rebellion symbol inside. Um, and it was like this thing that the resistance was using to, um, 
kind of identify themselves to their secret allies and stuff. And uh, you see that this kid's got his force powers and he's got his rebellion ring and he's, you know, hopefully looking off to the stars. And um, definitely a different way to end a Star Wars movie, you know, on these seemingly random characters instead of on our main heroes. But I love the implication of that kid using the force at the end and saying that, you know, even though Luke wasn't the last Jedi because he passed his training on to Rey, like Rey's not the only Jedi left in the galaxy now either. Well, she's the only, you know, maybe one who's had any Jedi training, but there is you know, even further potential for, like, a future Jedi Order here. There are still Force-sensitive kids out there that are looking for, um, you know, for a hero to look up to. Um, but the thing I really loved was just the the kid playing with the action figures and talking about, you know, telling, retelling the story of Luke Skywalker. I'm like, because first of all, the thing that I that really resonated with me, I'm like, that's the kid in the story, but that's me. And that's all mm-hmm. of us, you know, Star yeah. Wars fans, like playing with our toys as kids and and telling these stories and, you know, just sort of reenacting it and everything. Um, and also, I think it was even more sort of cementing Luke's story coming back full circle in this movie when he talks about how he failed because he was Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, a legend. Um, and now it's like because the resistance was there to see you know his final act of heroism and obviously i mean who knows how long after the battle of crate this final scene is actually taking place i mean it could have it, it could be well i guess it can't be that long after because the kids are all like the same age as when we saw them earlier so it's not like this is already five years down the line or something but it's obviously long enough that these reports and stories of what happened on crate have spread um just through word of mouth and you know these kids know what's going on um and you know so that now to the point that like little kids in random corners of the galaxy know the legend of luke skywalker and not his failure with ben solo and they're you know they're not talking about like when you talk about the legacy of the skywalker bloodline they're not telling stories about ben solo failed jedi knight you know, last of the Skywalker name who failed. No, they're talking about Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, the hero, and that's how he's going to be remembered. And so I I thought that was a really nice touch to cap it off, and I, you know, just sort of loved the way that that rounded everything out. Yeah, I've grown to appreciate that final sequence. That's another one where on the second view, and I thought it really worked really well. And I knew on the first time I saw it that, yeah, that was because he says it, like I said, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master. But I didn't realize until the second viewing that they were actually reenacting the Battle of Crate, which to me made me feel a lot better about where things were left with Luke and how, you know, in his final act, he really did inspire, you know, what's going to probably be the next generation of Jedi. And when I was talking about, you know, the down or the while I feel it's kind of a negative point of Ray not being, you know, a Skywalker or solo and, you know, having the Skywalker line continued throughout the Skywalker saga in these movies with this ending and it showing is that, you know, the, that legacy is going to continue on with this new generation of Jedi. They're going to be the Jedi because of Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. not only for, you know, what he did with, for Ray and having the resistance escape. So there could be hope for a new Jedi order, but it's even the inspiration to these, this new generation of force users and they're going to hear about it. And if they're force sensitive, of course they're going to probably look up to Luke Skywalker as the one they want to be, to be and emulate. So 
yeah, I thought that really helped, you know, really close the book on Luke's legacy and the Skywalker legacy, that it will continue to have a positive effect, even though amongst tons of bad things with Anakin, Ben Solo, and that one moment of weakness for Luke, they are, in the end, going to be remembered for bringing hope to the galaxy, which, you know, of course, following the Skywalker saga, and even when it was just thought episode six would be it, we knew that that's where things ended on. Luke brought hope to the galaxy, and it's going to continue on. And while he had a major bump in the road <laughs> with Ben Solo, this, you know, signifies that that's going to continue on now without, you know, it can't be ruined now by anything Luke would do because he's gone. And it's just a matter of what Ben Solo does and if he is redeemed or not. But Luke's legacy, and I think the Skywalker name now is sealed if this is it, that it is going to have a positive effect on the galaxy. So, yeah. The scene, I will say, as much as I think it helps the Skywalker, it really shows the Skywalker legacy and what it means for the future generations, I did feel, you know, it was kind of weird to end episode eight and the middle movie of a trilogy on, because I don't know about you, but this felt like it could have been the last shot of episode nine, mm-hmm. you know, because it really feels like it's the end, you know, of an era and it's passing on to the new generation. But yet we got one more movie yet, <laughs> one more movie left to see where things going from here. So at the same time, it feels weird that episode eight ended on that note, but yet still kind of exciting because we are going to see the continuation of where this one left off. And you talked about it earlier, how we don't know exactly how many years episode nine is going to take place after episode eight, but I'm kind of hoping it's a pretty big gap. I'm hoping at the least five. I mean, if it's 10, I'd be really happy, but if it's something like five and we could see some of these, younger force users get in contact with Ray. And again, I like that going back to when they were all on the Falcon specifically showing that she took the Jedi text that, you know, Luke thought Yoda destroyed <laughs> once he burned down the tree. So that I didn't pick up on that the first time either. And I was kind of thinking to myself, man, so how is this new generation of Jedi going to be trained? Ray was barely trained. I mean, she really has much more to learn. So, and she's going to be responsible for a kind of, bringing up this new generation of Jedi. But now that she has the books, it makes a lot more sense of how she's going to be able to do that. And I'm kind of hoping that that's where episode nine goes, where it's a few years off. And because we know how small in number the resistance are. So what if in episode nine, it grows bigger, but it's with a lot more force sensitive, you know, people amongst their ranks to go against Kylo in the first order. And hopefully Kylo in the Knights of Ren, I mean, Mm-hmm. How cool would that be? Ray's new generation of Jedi inspired by Luke Skywalker against Kylo Ren and the students he took from Luke originally as the Knights of Ren. I think that could be, you know, the potential for something really cool to end the trilogy on. So we'll see. But again, while it did feel a little weird to end episode eight on that note, it was still, you know, made me excited for the possibility of what we can see in nine. So, yeah. And of course, any Star Wars movie that ends with the Force theme, it usually sticks with you because not all of them end that way. But this one did, and it had that same impact where, you know, that that the Force theme makes you feel whenever you hear it. So, yeah, it was a solid ending, even though it was pretty different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, I will definitely agree with you that it felt more like the ending of a trilogy. Um, and also almost like the beginning of a trilogy in a way. Like, it kind mm-hmm. of feels like almost like the force awakens and the last Jedi were kind of like a two parter to set up whatever the next story is going to be. Um, but at the same time, I mean, especially that last scene did kind of have a a feeling of finality to it. Um, 
that almost felt like, yeah, like the ending of a trilogy. Um, because, I mean, it, that obviously is kind of setting up potential future storylines with like another generation of young Jedi. But I feel like, at least for me, I don't think that's going to have direct implications for episode nine. Like that's almost looking further into the future because I definitely want to see more of a gap in between The Last Jedi and whatever episode nine is going to be. But I'm thinking maybe like two to three years and as much as it would be cool to see like Rey and a whole army of Jedi fighting Kylo and the Knights of Ren, um, I think the more immediate story that's going to probably be resolved in Episode Nine is like the struggle of the Resistance in the First Order, and you know obviously Rey and Kylo, um, you know having uh, you know another confrontation. But um, I mean, just like you were saying, at this point Rey still has barely had any training. And I would really like to see episode nine more focus on her, just her personal development as a Jedi. And, um, you know, especially if this is set like a couple years after seeing like, okay, how much she's grown in this time. But I don't think she's going to be ready to take on students yet. Um, and if anything, you know, maybe like one apprentice or something. But I don't want episode nine to be about like Ray teaching a whole academy full of Jedi. I just want to see, like, okay, what is Rey, you know, finally coming into her own as a Jedi Knight going to look like? Um, and then, you know, maybe what lessons can she still learn from, like, Luke or Yoda's Force Ghosts, you know, if we might see them again in Episode Nine, Um and just seeing, you know, how she... I really hope so. <laughs> yeah, and, and seeing how... throw Anakin in there, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah hey, one. there you go. Um, and even, I mean, I wonder if Luke might still have more of a role to play than just teaching Ray, because as we see in this one, you know, Yoda's able to, um, you know, interact with the environment around him. I mean, he, he calls that lightning bolt down to strike the tree. He seemingly bops Luke on the head with his cane. I don't know if Luke actually felt that or not, but, <laughs> <Looked> like <he did. laughs> um, yeah. And I'm like, and Luke clearly has learned some force stuff that like nobody has ever done before. Like, you know, when he, um, you see my theory, when he projects that illusion of himself, like, I feel like that is in some way him almost like becoming one with the force, like without dying. And he's somehow just like traveling along the pathways of the force with his consciousness or something. I mean, it, it's hard to describe because I don't know exactly what's going on there, but, um, you know, so my kind of what I'm getting at is like, who knows what Luke could be able to do as a force ghost? He might be able to interact with stuff even more than like Obi-Wan or Yoda could. Um, now, obviously, at the same time, I'm not expecting him to do a ton because clearly the point of episode eight, it's it's very much sort of a passing of the torch kind of thing where this is no longer Luke's story. Um, so I'm not expecting him to still be like a major character in episode nine, but I would love it if we got to see Force Ghost Luke at some point do something. Um, but that said, I mean, I, I still want the focus of it to just kind of be on, on Rey and her completing her journey to becoming a Jedi and maybe not necessarily focused yet on her, you know, training a whole new generation and having, you know, her own Jedi Academy or whatever that's going to look like. Um, but those could certainly be exciting storylines to explore in the future. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, who knows? Like at this point, because there's so much to talk about and chew on with episode eight and because it doesn't really end on a cliffhanger or anything like that. And I feel like it actually wraps up and resolves a lot of the storylines. Like, I think going into this, we kind of expected like, okay, episode eight is going to answer some questions, but we're going to have even more questions than answers going into episode nine. I'm like, nah, at this point, like, I'm not too worried about episode nine right now. Like, I mean, we'll get back into the the speculation and the discussion and stuff as we get closer. But for now, I'm like, I don't feel like eight left me with a ton of open-ended unanswered questions aside from just general questions like we've been talking about, about what episode nine is going to look like and consist of. But it's like, we know who Ray's parents are. We don't know who Snoke is, but we know that that's probably not all that important at this point. Um, we know what happened to Luke and Kylo in between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. So it's like, um, you know, I don't have a whole lot of like pressing burning questions. And I'm like, man, I can't wait for episode nine to come out so we can still find out this, that and the other thing. Um, I'm like, you know, I'm sure episode nine is going to be great and we're going to have a whole lot more to talk about when that comes out. But for now, I'm like... I'm still in in Last Jedi mode because I still don't know that I've processed everything, um, which is hard to believe <laughs> given the length of this episode. And, you know, I feel like we've talked this thing to death already. But um, I know I'm sure we missed something, but <laughs> yeah, how packed this movie is. But geez. yeah, and I kind of know what you mean on episode nine. But as far as, you know, not having tons of questions about things, but the way this movie ended, it makes me question this like, just what exactly, what direction are they going to go? Because like mm -hmm. you said, it does kind of feel like they wrapped up a lot of stuff in this one. And like I said, that ending scene does feel like a wrap-up to a whole trilogy. So the fact that we got one more and we don't know what's going to happen and what those characters and how everything's going to end, that's, that's what has me excited for it. And, you know, again, just glad that J.J. is back to wrap it all up for the story that he started with Episode Seven. So, yeah, just... Gotta wait two more years. I mean, the wait for The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, I think went by pretty quick, even though at times it sent like, with all the speculation that we did, oh, we just can't wait to see this movie and find out some of the answers to these questions. But with episode nine, yeah, we'll see how long that's going to be because, you know, we got the Han Solo movie just six months away now. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, once we get to December next year and there's no Star Wars movie, that might start feeling like, man, episode nine seems so far away. But they will be filming by then and maybe we'll get a little info here and there between that time so yeah man it's hard to believe we got one more movie left in this trilogy we've seen and then a whole nother trilogy coming after that yeah but, but still just the fact that when we first got that announcement of episode seven eight and nine are coming back in 2012 and now we got already got two of those movies mixed with rogue one mixed in there it's just crazy how things are going how fast things are going and as i alluded to before we're talking about you know, the Skywalker saga, how episode nine could be it if they fully close the book on the Skywalker story. So that's that's one big interesting thing and question I have going into it. Will this actually end the Skywalker story or will they leave it open for like an episode 10, 11 and 12? So we'll find out. But man, we just got one more movie left in this trilogy. And <laughs> that's as hard to believe in itself. But mm -hmm. yeah. So it's going to be, you know, as always, another exciting <laughs> two years in the lead up to the next chapter in the Skywalker saga. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, but man, I think we have finally talked about just every, just about everything there is to talk about with The Last Jedi. So before we wrap up here, um, let's hear from you guys. Tim, let us know what some of our listeners thought of The Last Jedi. Yeah, so cool. We got a lot of responses, which is nice. <laughs> Whatever, you know, a new Star Wars movie comes out, we want to hear the opinions of our listeners and social media followers. So, And everybody's first... got an opinion on this one. Oh, yes. <laughs> So first up, we've got a couple of emails. First one is from uh, Stephen Yip. He says, um, my thoughts on Star Wars The Last Jedi is conflicted is probably like the one word answer would I have to, you know, have in regards to the movie. There were some fantastic scenes that I really enjoyed, like the kamikaze lightspeed attack, Poe's cannon run, Luke's astral projection battle, Leia's force flight, and Kylo and Rey's fight against the guards. And I really like the new characters and the character arcs for Poe, Holdo, and, you know, the new character Rose and what they all went through. Finn was a bit of a retread from his arc from The Force Awakens, and I feel like they really didn't have much for him to do. I thought he was out of his cowardly phase after his last experience. I enjoyed the plot twist of just killing Snoke off, especially if we weren't going to get him as Darth Plagueis or some form or some form of another as like a major dark side user. I enjoyed the humor in the movie, and I couldn't help but laugh out loud completely in a few scenes especially the training scene where Luke was telling Rey to reach out to the Force and he tickled her hand with a grass leaf and then whipped her hand. That's something I usually see in a martial arts shows, so seeing it in a mainstream movie was great. Force Ghost Yoda, while a bit odd and laughing a little too maniacally at times, showed off the idea that the Force Ghost could interact with the real world was cool, though. The special effects and environments looked incredible. The crystal foxes in the caves definitely reminds me of the Lothwolves from Rebels, and especially as they led the remnants of the Resistance to safety. And I know you can sense it coming. There are a few items that really are not sitting well with me. And he brings out that Ray being so powerful with close to no training, and he says the movie seemed to be occurring soon after the last movie, and it didn't seem like she was with Luke on Octo for months, yet she rivaled Kylo's strength with almost no training. Someone has been guided by a Jedi Master and Snoke, and then he says, Luke just doesn't seem to be Luke. Mark Hamill was fantastic in his portrayal of this character that Ryan Johnson gave him. But this wasn't the Luke from the original trilogy or any of the side stories and comics that have come after. This wasn't the person who redeemed Vader and fought to rebuild the Jedi Order. While I did enjoy the Force projection power, I would have rather have had Luke there to be physically there to fight. To be there tossing the gorilla walkers around Little Rocks, some really cool powers being shown off as he sparks the new rebellion. He could still die in the ensuing battle to ensure the rebel escape, but I would have liked something a little more in special effects intensive. And then he says, uh, the scene where the rebels say the distress beacon has gone out and has been received, no one has heard of, has heard of us. Suddenly a lone X-Wing appears, and it's Luke, and he shoots down a few gorilla walkers, gets shot out of the sky, but Force jumps out and starts going to town, throwing vehicles and troopers around. And then he talks about how when Kylo faces him, he would like to see you know either Luke or Kylo when, like, and similar to Obi-Wan versus Vader, Kylo cuts his losses for the day and runs away. What's left of the First Order? Luke actually trains Rey for the next one. I know it's Super Luke, but I'd rather have that be how the hero of the original trilogy go out instead of what we received. Some thoughts. The movie is settling in my mind as a 7.5 out of 10 for me. The Force Awakens was a 7 for me. Thanks for reading. Well, Steve, yeah, I mean, your opinion is not alone with you know, what some fans hope to see, but... Hopefully in our discussion, we, you know, <laughs> brought out some points that would make you feel a little bit better how Luke was portrayed in The Last Jedi than what some speculations that you and some other fans, including ourselves, might have had. So 
Um, thanks for sending the email, though. Appreciate hearing your thoughts on it. Then we got one from Dane who says, Hey guys, after seeing The Last Jedi for the second time and seeing all the negative comments, reviews, and petitions from Star Wars fans who didn't like the movie, I'd like to share a thought I had with you guys. The way I see is that the movie was made for, to challenge fans. It wasn't made to confirm long-held theories about the characters or the Star Wars mythology. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube in a sense that it looks simple enough, but is really hard to understand. It's hard to understand the choices the filmmakers made, like character motivations, like what's going on with Luke and the fate of the Skywalker family, or the mystery of Rey's parents, or some, or for some people, why they weren't shown more of who or what Snoke is. As a Star Wars fan, I constantly have to fight myself. My heart says, yeah, why didn't we get those things? This movie isn't so good. But my brain reminds me to wonder why these choices were made, and in the end, what I get from the movie is the fact that it is an incredibly brave move by the filmmakers. It's a movie that challenges us as Star Wars fans, which I personally think is a good thing. At least the discussions like you guys are having, it doesn't rely on fan service to sell movie tickets, which is what I think people were expecting. And I think over time, if we constantly have these discussions about the film and truly understand it, it can only lead to great things. Anyway, I love the movie. Yep. Well, I know Dane was one of the few, or I shouldn't say one of the few, but talking to other people i know he liked it right away so <laughs> it definitely had a more positive effect on him did it did me on the first viewing so which is cool and then also on the social media front we got some responses on twitter uh, first off i put a poll out which you know wanted to get a broader scope of what fans thought of it and the choices were amazing best star wars film yet really good okay but disappointing and then awful worst star wars film yet and 10%, thankfully, was just for awful worst Star Wars film yet. 13% was amazing, best Star Wars film yet. 25% was okay, but disappointing. And then 52% was really good, which probably is how I feel about it right now after seeing it three times. So at least on for those who listen to us and follow us on social media, that's the majority of thinking it's really good, which is nice to see. But then, of course, we got some responses. First up, Paul J at JJ Farm 31 says, so much to process. Wow. Is there a Last Jedi post-watching support group? <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think I might have needed one after the first viewing, I have to say. And then Joseph Golden at CCStar1138 says, I absolutely love The Last Jedi because it was both familiar and different at the same time. The story, characters, and action scenes were amazing, and the twists were surprising and shocking. Ryan Johnson has made one of my favorite Star Wars films of all time. Ultimately, this film was about the rise of the next generation, and I can't wait for more. Max Simmons at Trek 2 Amsterdam says, So many more questions than answers, as it should be. Dylan Sparks at Suburban Home says, I loved it, but I'm still trying to process everything I saw and hold back the tears. Blue Jawa at Blue underscore Jawa says, In my opinion, it's funnier than The Force Awakens in a good way. Then, then there's the pores. And of course, he has a laughing emoji in response to the pores. And then CJ Revan at CJ Revan said, just one word, amazing. Then Eric at London's Dark says, I love a lot of the film, though I see the issues and there were so many things I'm still trying to process. Need more viewings. Kylo and Ray were amazing. Hamill was unbelievably great. Stunning and unforgettable moments that rocked the saga like never before. It did not go how I thought. Faye Jones at Princess Sabatha says, I'm not sure how I feel. And then Jeffrey W. at O'Rear at uh, Jeffrey W. O'Rear says, I liked it. And then Brian Bailey at Balls in Play says, loved Poe, Ray, Ben, 
Leia, Paige, Holdo, and Rose, the caretakers, heroic moments of the female characters, failure is the greatest teacher, the Force mythology, ancient Jedi texts, Force scripture, duels, what we thought mattered didn't, what matters is conversations and interactions in fandom. And what he didn't like was a certain puppet. He wanted uh, CGI, which, of course, he means Yoda. And he wanted closure for someone, which I'm not sure who he's referring to here. So, Brian, if you're hearing this, chime in and let me know who you specifically wanted closure for. And then Neil Laurie at, Neil, at Laurie Neil says, I think unlearn what you have learned comes to mind. The Last Jedi was a masterstroke. Great moments, epic music, a thrill ride. Dustin Whalen at Red 5 with two E's says, I love The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson gave us a film that turned left instead of right every time. The Luke and Yoda scene was iconic with them watching the tree burn, and Carrie Fisher was incredible in this. Leia's journey definitely ended on a high note. Also, rest in peace, Admiral Akbar. And then some call me Tim at Tim Abathra says, I love The Last Jedi. I thought the Yoda scene did make Luke's ending okay. Also, people need to get over the Luke left the map but didn't want to be found. The map was to the first Jedi temple, not to Luke himself, which is what Luke told his friends when he went looking for it. Then we got uh, three comments on Facebook from uh, first up, Brian B. Klein says, was in delighted shock after the first viewing Thursday night. Saw it again Thursday morning, and when I was done with it, I absolutely loved it. The third, fourth, and fifth viewings have only supported my love for it. It's not perfect, but my nitpicks are very minor. The Visual Dictionary gave me some clarity on a few things as well. And then Mike LD said, not perfect, not terrible, not a masterpiece, but still adds to the lore and mythology and raises more questions for fans to speculate upon. Looking forward to your next podcast episode. And then finally, Michael Cohen over from the Rebels podcast says, I loved it, or more accurately, I love it now. I certainly enjoyed it on my first viewing, although there were some elements that needed reflection in order to appreciate them, and others I don't agree with currently. But my relationship with all Star Wars films is one that is constantly evolving, and The Last Jedi is evolving in a position or in a positive direction. So yeah, so glad to see at least our listeners and followers on social media overall really enjoyed it. You know, some had certain issues and don't think it's perfect, but didn't get a lot of the negative reaction that I know what's out there from some fans. So it's cool, at least, you know, amongst our listeners, there's more of a positive vibe for The Last Jedi. And even some kind of like me, were on the first viewing, didn't quite click. But once you see it again, it, you know, you start to take it all in and just see how what a great story is being told in episode eight. So mm-hmm. as always, thank you, everyone, for your responses and letting us know what you think. Like I said before, when it comes to a new Star Wars movie, you know, as fun as it is, just me and Kyle talking about it for hours and hours, we always love just hearing what the rest of the fandom thinks about it as well. So thanks for everyone who tweeted at us, commented on Facebook, and for sending the emails. Always appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys so much for sharing all your thoughts with us. Um, and yeah, like you said, Tim, I mean, it's nice that um, a lot of our listeners seem to enjoy the movie like we did. But hey, you know what? If you didn't and this movie's, you know, not your cup of tea, then that's fine, too. But, you know, hopefully we were able to uh, maybe address some of the things that um, you didn't like about it. And I don't know, maybe you're able to look at them a little bit differently now. Um, it's definitely a movie where you have to kind of check your expectations at the door and unlearn what you have learned. Um and, uh, you know, just one last thing I wanted to finish up with here. Um, I saw that Ryan Johnson just tweeted, uh, 
you know, about the movie, he said, the goal is never to divide or make people upset, but I do think the conversations that are happening were going to have to happen at some point if Star Wars is going to grow, move forward, and stay vital. Um, and so I, I mean, I love that. I know that it's going to rub some people the wrong way. Um, and uh, just like we were reading, or like you were reading in that email about, um, you know, somebody who wanted to see, uh, you know, Luke, like, jumping out of his x-wing and you know throwing walkers around and stuff like as much as a lot of us would have loved that kind of um you know geek heaven kind of stuff for you to see luke skywalker as the the epic legendary hero at least as far as ryan johnson was concerned he didn't feel like that was what was best for not just pleasing the fans but for moving star wars forward as a whole and continuing to challenge and evolve and grow these characters and these stories and so you know maybe it's not for everybody or maybe it might take people time to kind of come around and accept that this is the direction they're going with it but i certainly applaud him for taking the risk and for um not playing it safe and for doing the unexpected i mean i certainly can't complain because that's what i wanted after the force awakens like i love that movie too but i felt like it played it a little too safe and so they're like okay you want a movie that doesn't play it safe let's completely flip things around and <laughs> yeah. that's what the last jedi was um and so hopefully in time you know more people will come around to it but um you know, I can safely say that even though there were some things that I maybe wasn't crazy about at first or that maybe took me a little bit of time to warm up to, um, I absolutely love this movie. Um, ask me again later uh, where I would rank it in my, my overall ranking of Star Wars movies because even that list in and of itself is always changing and evolving. Yep. Um, and I don't think I can give The Last Jedi a solid ranking on there after seeing it two times. But I would I would put it near the top. Like, I I thought it was very well done. And, um, you know, it's it's new, it's exciting, it's daring and different. And, um, yeah, I, I just really loved it. So um, I think that is going to do it for our massive last jedi review episode if anybody happens to know what the guinness world record is for longest episode of a star wars podcast let me know because uh, i don't know we <laughs> might need to shoot those guys an email but um man it's... or to have to try to break it yeah <laughs> well yeah that too um if this one doesn't do it <laughs> yeah for real um but man it's been such a blast and uh i'm obviously we've talked about everything we could possibly talk about with this movie for now but this is not the last discussion we'll have on the last jedi either um i think this is a movie that's going to be the center of you know a lot of discussion and debates for years to come among star wars fans and i am looking forward to it because i love this movie and i could talk about it all day obviously because that's what we just did um (laughs) but we're gonna wrap it up for now so thank you guys so much for tuning in as always you can check us out online at uh facebook.com slash star wars the saga continues follow us on twitter at star wars tsc send us email at star wars tsc at gmail.com and check out our website at star wars tsc.com and uh, be sure to check out the uh, thunderquack podcast network at thunderquack.com for all the other awesome shows in our podcast network Um, you can also find the Last Jedi spoiler cast that Tim and I were on uh, earlier this week, along with our friends uh, Paul Herman and Joey Letson, 
Um, and we, uh, you know, kind of broke down the movie with those guys as well. That one was a lot shorter because um, we were trying to keep <laughs> yeah. it to like a couple hours. And Tim and I wanted to honestly like save a lot of our discussion for this episode. So we tried not to go too crazy with that one. But that was a lot of fun getting to talk with those guys about it, too. So if you're looking for even more Last Jedi commentary and discussion, you can check that out. Um, also, um, because we got, you know, the holidays coming up here, you know, happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will see you sometime after the New Year, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, man, next thing we're looking forward to is going to be, I guess, the first trailer for the Han Solo movie. So, probably, yeah. um, and you know what? I'm starting to think now we'll probably get that during the Super Bowl. That's uh, that's might be a good call. That's my yeah. new bet. Um, and so that's not going to be till February. So I'm sure you know we'll be back sometime in January with some kind of discussion, whether it's just more talk about the Last Jedi or you know who knows there might be some more big Star Wars news. Also, I don't know when Rebels is coming back, but that should hopefully be sometime early in the year. So um, plenty more Star Wars goodness to look forward to in 2018. So thank you guys as always for tuning in. We will see you next time, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody.